Hello again, friends, and welcome to another edition of the 605 Super Podcast Holiday Star Wars. This, of course, being Independence Day Star Wars, which has now become a tradition here on the show. I believe this is the third annual Independence Day Star Wars. Of course, I am your host, the great Brian Last, and uh, this is uh, usually we don't have any editing on the Star Wars, but on a normal show right now, I'd play this. It's me! And uh, we're starting off Star Wars, this edition of Star Wars, here with me right now, popular co-host, maybe the most popular co-host, certainly the (laughs) wrestling humorist, and that is Scott Corners. Scott, here we are, another Star Wars, let's see if we can get through this, in this heat, without falling apart. It is hot, it is, it has been with the, uh, you know, the humidity, and then also, I guess, with the way it feels, it's been like 100 degrees here, three days in a row at least. Yeah, it's been up there, and uh, if you hear background noise here at Cornish Acres, I'm under... Whoa! <laughs> did you set that up? Holy shit. I absolutely did not. There was- <laughs> Holy fucking shit! Wow! That is incredible timing. A huge thunderstorm. Uh, we just heard a... gravity! Wow! Uh, you were just a, telling me, I mean, people don't understand. You were just telling me off air. There may be a little bit of noise. It's okay now, but there's been a big thunderstorm. And then that was the loudest thunder <laughs> I've ever heard in broadcasting. Wow. Yeah. It, yeah. It, like you said, it's been up upwards of a hundred degrees for the last couple of days. And this is the only relief we've had from it. This late afternoon uh, shower and thunderstorm that's going on. But here we are hunkered down at Cornish acres <laughs> ready to tell silly wrestling anecdotes yeah i know now we just need some (laughs) this is kind of like a last minute hey let's do star wars no real anecdotes you did say something a little bit off air though uh and i agree with you it's terry funk's birthday or it just was his birthday birthday. so we should share our favorite terry funk memories at some point we'll do that a little bit later on we have more people on the line one thing i mentioned to you was obviously the conditions have gotten me thinking about the hottest tended and if I had to guess off the top of my head, I would say it would probably be the ECW arena in the summer of 96. It was just a sweat box. It was disgusting. And I was there the days when, you know, the ring broke and everyone had to just stand there in the heat while Kimono Wanalea almost kind of stripped. Honestly, at that point in time, I was 16. I was so used to seeing naked women. I was so disappointed. I was like, why are these people cheering for this she's not doing anything wow and she's far away doing that she's doing nothing and it's far away so you see nothing <laughs> well the the crowd that went there that that you know i think that was a good call under the circumstances that particular night <laughs> i don't know if i've ever been in the ecw arena i probably have when it was really hot but i used to go after the first time I went was like a November to remember show or one of their Christmas area era shows in like 93. And then I would go there maybe once a year. So I got to catch it at, at a couple of different points in its uh, history. And it wasn't unbearably hot building. I think some of those smoky mountain gyms were pretty hot too. Uh, that I, yeah, you know what? Were a few. Fan, fan week, you know, yeah. I may be re- remembering wrong, but I think that the uh, the high school gym in Barberville was pretty hot. I remember the high school gym in Morristown being pretty hot. Yeah, that's right. Did you ever go to a show at the uh, 
at the bigger building before they moved to the no no that was the year before i went that was 93 you were there i wasn't there. that was the one where ron had filmed that amazing mongolian stomper kevin sullivan brawl all around the building following them with his camera inside and outside the building it was really great completely crazy imagine that that was my first exposure to like a southern wrestling event and a crowd and bloody matches and stuff like that having grown up here in the wwf territory it was uh, certainly not anything like that stuff that i'd always wanted to see and that that particular night in morristown it was, i think it was even called a hot <laughs> it was called a hot august night in morristown so i'm gonna say that that was probably a perfect billing for that uh, event what were your impressions of ECW when you first started attending the shows? Not when you first saw it on TV, but when you started attending. It hadn't been, the, the arena itself hadn't been built up to uh, this mythical place yet. People were pretty much deriding it as a dump. Uh, there was maybe one or two vendors and just one little Coke stand there. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a dingy little dump, but it, even people then hadn't, uh, they hadn't romanticized uh, what the building was. It all sounded very exciting. Once I had gone to uh, Smoky Mountain Fan Week, that really kicked off, you know, this idea where I said, oh, yeah, I'd love to go to a wrestling show here or there. I didn't go too far other than uh, going to Tennessee. But, yeah, I did start checking out things outside of my uh, given area. Well, you went to Amarillo with us. You know, I wish, you know, that period of time was kind of the end of that, you know, even though the Amarillo show wasn't a territory, it was kind of the end of that period of time where you could do those things, where you can go to Smoky Mountain Fan Week, ECW did their own fan conventions, and there was the Amarillo thing. Like, I wish I was around in the earlier period of time where there were wrestling conventions in Memphis and Knoxville and Houston and all these different towns, but we kind of got to experience the last wave of that. I know they do stuff now, but it's totally different. Yeah, but it's still, I have friends that that made a pilgrimage, if you want to call it that, to the to Memphis to see the Mid South Coliseum and Channel Five Studios. Other friends that got to go to the Olympic Auditorium or uh, the Sportatorium. And I wish I had uh, had uh, my fandom had <laughs> come along about that time to where I could have gotten a little further out and checked out some of those places. But since you brought up Amarillo, I'm also going to say that the. Uh, the dirt floor uh, barn at the uh, fairgrounds was, was a hot building. Too. Well, at least it was September. And yeah, that's right. A little bit of a breeze. Still. But yeah, it was hot. And Leno was there sweating <laughs> all over the place, leaving his Coca-Cola on the that's ring right. apron. He required a large Coke at ringside at all times. <laughs> Someone sent me a picture of one of Dave Prezak shows, Shimmer. And Leno took the picture and he watermarked it twice. And it wasn't. Dave Prezak just posted it, and someone randomly said it to me. They go, look, double Lano'd. <laughs> but, uh, hey, I'll tell you what. Let me add someone on here early on, because I know he's been on standby, and uh, that's unfair to him. It's because my scheduling's always crazy. Let me add this contestant right now. I'll go check my roof for leaks. <laughs> but it was only one thunder Yeah. Well, Nothing to worry about. Oh, there you go. Your mic got a little crazy there. Are you on the line? New guest. No, I guess he's not. <laughs> I don't know what the hell his problem is. Let's see. Not on this call. I don't know what he's doing. Let me say, let me text him. Trying to add you. 
and let's see what happens. Is he on the call now? Hello, are you there? No. There he is, Mr. Sunshine. He was busy starting a Twitter war with somebody. He <laughs> couldn't get on right away. Bix, welcome to Independence Day Star Wars. Thank you. Well, well, well you're really you're killing the, the, the pace of the show. Bix, let me ask you a question. Let me get you in the mood right here. Uh, me sure. and Scott were just talking about it. What, what is, are you going to play with my nipples or something? Uh, well, is that what gets you in the mood? You've never revealed this on the air. All those weeks that you talked to Sue the Shooter, you never revealed what would really get to it. No. Well, well anyway, let me let me get you back on track here because this is going okay. way off the rails. Um, hottest wrestling show you ever attended, not in terms of the crowd, but in terms of the actual temperature in the building. Oh, that's absolutely the progress show that I left early last year. Oh, that's right. You oh, tell Scott. Do you know about that? No. Bix, if you don't mind. Okay. So UK promotion progress, or I guess it's technically progress because they're British. Um, ran a show last August in conjunction with Evolve. They did a doubleheader at the Elmcore Youth and Attack. Did I almost say Youth and Attack? Youth and Adult Activity Center. <laughs> Youth and Attack. <laughs> in uh, beautiful Corona, Queens, New York. Um, other promotions had run there before. It's really not a great accessible venue if just because it's like i want to say it's at least half a mile from the nearest subway and it's the seven train which means if you're coming from within queens and brooklyn it's not exactly easy to get there mm. uh and so me my roommate in front of ours take a cab over wait when was it though uh, was it in july or was it in august august, it was august. In august. okay i should point out not an especially hot or humid day outside Okay. Outside, it was okay. It was it was not that bad, but and this still, is something that you, people often overlook when telling this story. You pack a room with a bunch of wrestling fans. It's gonna it's gonna get hot, right. possibly smelly very quickly. So we get in there. I don't remember exactly how long before bell time. It's well, it's a good bit after doors. It just looks oversold. Where so you come in from? I believe about street level. Maybe not. I don't remember exactly, but it's like you end up walking downstairs, down the stairs on the by the bleachers into the venue. Bleachers are packed. A little bit of bleachers on the floor are packed. If there were any GA, because we all had GA um, on the floor, they were all filled up. So there was there was some standing room. I don't know if the standing room was necessarily overly dangerous, but at least at the beginning, there were people actually stand, sitting and standing on the stairway watching the show, which was not great. Um it quickly becomes clear that there either is no air conditioning or the building is so packed that it ceased working. It, we later hear that during the Evolve show, the air conditioning was working fine. Okay. It gets so bad that I'm like, you know what? Because the night before Battle Club Pro had booked Pete Dunn, Tyler Bate, and Trent Seven, I was just like, is there anything I really need to see? And I, I just left basically as the first match was starting. I figured I'd just take the cab home myself and... My friends left a, not that long after. Um, See what happened, Scott? As soon as he became a reporter and biz and tickets became a business expense, he's just like, <laughs> I'll, I'll go attend one match and now I'll leave. Well, actually, my friend had bought them and he okay. he was going to get the rep- the refund from Ticketfly, which th- which they did give. They did give it, okay. Yes. Oh. Um, and it was just it was not bearable. I mean, even the the middle school gym in Bed-Stuy that Battle Club Pro ran the night before. It was hot, but 
you get some water, you grab some ice down from the bodega, put it on your neck, put it on your arm, whatever, you're fine. <laughs> what great <laughs> advice for a wrestling show. That's the shit I used to have to do when I went to, like, house shows in Brooklyn and Bushwick to see bands play. Go to the bodega, get a 40, get some ice, go back to some basement, and watch some band from Washington, D.C. play in front of 25 people. Anyway. <laughs> So it's it's not like me or other people at the show had not were not willing to deal with a non air conditioned venue in the first place. Um, I'm thinking as I'm leaving that like this seems overstuffed. I wonder how many people this act is this place is actually supposed to hold. They were announcing it as like twelve or fifteen hundred. Who knows how much they exaggerated it? When I get home, I look it up. The alleged capacity of the actual gym is like six hundred twenty six. <laughs> Wow, that's double. That's more than double. Wow. Um, since then, it's become apparent that the venue might actually be not telling the truth to the promoters about how much it holds or it's oh. supposed to hold. So they yeah. told Evolve and Progress that the attendance, that the uh, maximum capacity was higher than it actually was. So it was the venue. Maybe. Uh, it, because, like, I reach out to people who had had numbers and, like, who were told, like, how many people were there at a show. And they or what the capacity was, and it was always the venue that told them. I know I talked to them. I don't remember what number they gave me, but it was certainly more than a good bit more than 626, which was, you know, the legal occupancy, to be clear. Um, Gabe Sapolsky left a very angry voicemail for me. Actually, after he'd already yelled at me on the phone, but <laughs> wait, he told wait, wait, me... Wait, He yelled at you, and then he left you a message after that? Uh, hours later, yes. So... He called me during the show. I admit, I admit when I first tweeted about it, I was pretty flippant about it, which I probably shouldn't have been. <laughs> but also, I think by that point, the story about the two fans who passed out had come out. Oh, one, of, one of which um, evacuated the bowels and also the contents of his stomach oh, when no. he passed out. Oh, no. Are you serious? And wait, wait, hold if, on. Time out, time out. I didn't realize that part of it. The guy who passed out and then obviously emptied his bowels and everything, where was he... In relation to the show, was he, you know, sitting close to the ring? Was he? In the he was ringside. Room? Yes. Oh, oh, wow. And a bunch of the wrestlers helped him to the back and that's got him water. Always, that's always a good thing on a show when the wrestlers help the fans. Who well, because also the uh, <laughs> I, if there were paramedics there, they did not. They were not super helpful right away. But it was also around the same time as TK Cooper brutally broke his ankle. That was the same show. And yes. What a shit show. So, and then the other was a woman, I think, in the bleachers who Gabe tried to claim, as if it mattered, was on chemo. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Wow. Wait, wait, wait. Let me take a step back. So, the second person that passed out was in the balcony, and it was a female. In the bleachers, yes. But it wasn't the venue's fault. It was because she was undergoing chemotherapy treatment, according to Gabe Sapolsky. Yes, because... I guess uh, not only the, uh, normal people or, or your, your flippancy would bog would bug him. <laughs> yes, could be injured by extreme heat and humidity and dehydration and stuff. But you know, I mean, that she's extra susceptible, I guess, to it makes it not their fault. Anyway, um, where was I? So also on, when Bix. I left, Why are you getting on us, Bix? You have to understand something. The second lady, we don't even get blamed for that one. That's chemo. That has nothing to do with us. <laughs> So anyway, also, I should point out, it, 
People have claimed I'm not telling the truth about this. I don't know why, because I don't think I've ever given any... Even people don't like my attitude sometimes. I don't think I've ever given people a reason to think I'm making stuff up. But why do they think you're making it up? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to get to. When I walked out of the building, a woman leaving at the same time runs past me. And And she's like, God, I couldn't breathe in there. And she was like huffing and puffing enough to the point that I didn't think it was entirely hyperbole. It wasn't the heat; it was meth. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, now this um, this is a different lady than the lady that passed out. Obviously, yes. Okay, so this is another lady who left the building when you did, which was after the first match, or right right as the first match was start. So same thing; she had the same instinct and reaction that you had had being in the building. Right. Some people left and we're going to try to go back in, too. Also, they sold out of water, like, within the first couple matches and had to grab more from a bodega down the street. That sucks, because then you know what the real price is. Yeah. And also, they, um, (laughs) there was only one restroom per gender, both of which I believe were at the top of the bleachers. And what was I going to say? Oh. There was also a water leaking and stuff over over the line to get into the bathroom. God, this is why I don't go to wrestling shows. <laughs> yeah, this sounds like the Woodstock '99 of the indie wrestling. Show. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, where was I? Okay, so I take I take a lift home. I look up all that stuff. I'm not completely following everything. So it turns out I was tweeting on that. And then Gabe decided to call me like while TK Cooper was being carried out. I don't, I don't, I have to forgive me for a second, Bix. I don't know who TK Cooper is. He's a, he's uh, one half of the, what is it? Trans Pacific power. Uh, oh, I forget. I, from Australia. Yes. Oh yeah. Dan Leonard has power. told me they're great. Yeah, yeah. I know who they are. Yeah. Dan Leonard told, really put them over to me a long while back. Yes. He completely obliterated his ankle. And so Gabe was like, I, I'm not I'm not yelling. He was yelling at me, but he was like, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling because of what just happened, which I gave him a little bit of a break on. Um, But the voicemail the next day, which I still have. <laughs> I'll pay you for it if we can play it on the air. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> yes. Oh, Bix is bringing fastballs today. This is great. <clears throat> I'll tell you a story about a crazy, a crazy incident where a woman passed out. I went to an OVW show <laughs> at uh, Louisville Gardens, and it was a big spectacular, and The Undertaker was on the show. So they really did everything up in a big way. The Undertaker goes out to hit for his match, and they got him a motorcycle to make a big grand entrance. So he comes from the back. And there was a woman who had been standing right back by the curtain. Curtain opens. Out comes the Undertaker on his cycle. All eyes are on him, and the lights are down. But after he passes and he's riding the cycle up to the ring, you can see that there's a commotion by the curtain. And we were close by to where I saw that there was a woman completely laid out on the ground, uh, like on the concrete. And... You're thinking, oh my God, what happened? Did did she slip? Did did uh, you know? <laughs> did, was there some oil on the floor? Did 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 he hit her? You know what happened? And it turns out that she was such a huge Undertaker fan 
that when he came out on the motorcycle, she passed out. Just fainted. <laughs> so she never even saw it. She never even saw it. Oh, great. <laughs> so is it is a bad idea for, idea for me to do that? No, it's perfectly fine. He left you the message. If you had, if you had, tr- New York State, I believe it is, if you had called him and recorded it without his warning. Yeah. It still would have been legal. No, in New York, in New York, New York is single party consent. Oh, that's right. Single party. Well, hey, uh, I, I believe we have a single party who's consenting right now. And now, we were both in New York at the time. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't play it, people are going to say, oh, he's claiming he has this message. From- that's a good point, actually. Hey. <laughs> Now hold on. If you now you have to. If we're really going to play this, I just want a little bit of information first. You said this was hours after he first called you. What time did he first call you, and what time would this message be? So he calls me during the show. I want to say it's either like ten or eleven ish. It's it's around. It's where. Hold on. If I can actually probably find my tweet from right after it happened. From. Because he made a point of saying he wasn't threatening me. Yeah, usually. <laughs> That's always a good move, yeah. Uh, okay, wait, 2017, 2017. This baseball August. bat is because I was going to play a game at the park. I was going to play stickball <laughs> with my friends. I wasn't going to beat anyone. I'm not threatening you, Bix, but I'm going to fucking kill you. He said, well, he was like, if I see you again... Trailed off. Okay, and was like, uh, "This what? is from about midnight." If, you, if he sees you again, he's gonna do what? Gabe Sapolsky's not kicking anyone's ass. Are you? And then me? he fought. And then he said, <laughs> "I'm, I'm arguing." He just said, "You know, I believe going by my tweet, which sounds right." And this is about midnight, but I think I don't think it was like right before. So some, let's say somewhere between eleven and midnight, while the show was going on, he said something like, "If I see you again, I'm gonna argue with you." I'm not threatening you. Okay. <laughs> uh, if I see you again, you'll probably be in the backseat of one of the cabs I'm driving. I don't need more heat, but, <laughs> but <laughs> you just contributed right there. All right. All right. I apologize. Maybe I'll bleep that. We'll see uh, how I'm feeling when I uh, go through the show. It's 22 <laughs> minutes into the show. I'll make that. Well, I'm going to play it for you guys anyway. If I just, what I'm going to say though, is if I decide after I want you to take it out, you have to promise me you will. If you decide after you want to take it out, I absolutely give you my word. I will. And the only thing is, Scott, I'm going to put it on you. We have to find some sort of substitution. It could be a few seconds for the period of time where Bix's message would have played. Okay. But for the record, we are about to be played the message that Gabe Sapolsky left Bix. What time did you say it was again, Bix? Oh, the voicemail's hours later. The voicemail, it's um, at Gabe standard time, so about 3 a.m. 3 a.m. Gabe standard time. Okay. Oh, no, because no, anyone that has ever talked with Gabe knows that if that like especially if he's like freaking out at you he's usually doing it at about 3 or 3:30 is this a common thing where he freaks out at people and and messages them in the middle of the night about things um somewhat in general though we do he he messages people out in the middle of the night like texts with them and stuff all right like a few weeks ago when i was asking about the venue change when he finally got back to me it was about 3:30 a.m. all right well Let's now hear this. This is approximately three. I'm probably gonna. uh, Yes, I'm probably gonna. Also, I didn't. I didn't hear it until well 
into into the next day. So this is, I believe, the late the Sunday night. So over 24 hours after the show. And then I don't see the T-Mobile visual voicemail notification until I want to say like Monday evening for some reason. All right. Now, I'm probably I'm going to decide not to run this, but I want to get your guys' reaction anyway. <laughs> okay. Yeah! I got to be honest, all things considered, Bix, he was, whether you agree with him or not, he was kind of measured and, you know, he wasn't... On that message? Yeah. Hello? Hello? I don't... Well, can you hear me? Yeah, we can ah. hear you. Okay, I don't know why you said hello all of a sudden. I thought you said hello. Oh. (laughs) That's why I said hello back to you. I didn't say hello. It sounded like you said hello, so I responded with courtesy. Great. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) I do love the way, though, he says, for basketball. Yes. As as if a building would have a legal uh, maximum occupancy that's only for basketball. You know what you should do? You should go down there and take a picture of that, and then you should get it framed, and you should send it to him. A picture of what? A picture of the occupancy sign. Oh, there's no, there was no sign. I was printing the certificate that's on the. There's no, isn't it a building law that a building website. is required to have a sign stating? The, there was no sign that I saw. I should say. Well, I'll tell you what. While, while Bix is uh, <laughs> recounting some of his heat-seeking moments, let me add someone here who I, th- <laughs> who I think actually may have an issue with Bix, but uh, I'm not exactly sure. And that's not his name. Here we go. I'm adding this person right now. Kenny Omega? It's No, it will not be Kenny Omega. But it's another controversy that uh, I always miss how it starts, and then I catch it in the middle, and I have to play catch up and figure oh, out. Hold on a second here, Brian. I'm on the other line. No, LeBron. No, I know you're in L.A., but you can't be on Breaking Kayfabe. Without <laughs> no, I'm sorry. We got other things to do. By the way, uh, Gene Hackman in the conversation it was my top five uh, Obscure Gene Hackman rules. Ah, hello, what's going on? <laughs> okay, Jeff, what are you taking issue with me about? I'm not taking issue with you at all. I said I wanted to uh, engage in a uh, a lovely discussion with you about something you posted on Twitter today. Okay. No heat at all. Trust me. Now, I didn't see Bix's Twitter today. I don't know what he posted on Twitter. No, the topic of uh, the particular tweet was uh, he was discussing uh, Chasen Rance, and I don't know if you had a chance to talk about that yet on the special, uh, what is it, July 4th edition? No, we've been speaking about other controversies, but we could talk about this. I have to say to begin, that may be the dumbest and most annoying name I've ever seen a human being have. I don't know too much about this guy. (laughs) You know it's his real name, right? Is that his real name? Yes. actually is. Wow. Jeez. And C-H-A-S-Y-N-R-A-N-C. I actually knew Chasen Rance many years ago when he was just starting out as a local independent kid here in Florida. And uh, can I go ahead and go here, Bri? Yeah, sure. Okay. So what Dave, uh, what Bix had, had said was that um, he was discussing, and I, it was funny, I was just having dinner with my wife talking about it. The issue seems to be that uh, Chasen was, quote, unrepentant or, or non-repentant in his uh, statements after. Is that pretty much uh, the gist of the situation there, Bix? Yeah, I mean, among other things, uh, he went on a podcast a few years well, hold ago. On, hold on, hold on, guys, hold on. Cause, explain the situation briefly. Yeah, because I, yeah. I think we may be going too much into inside baseball, because I know this has been a controversy on Twitter, but I don't know too much about who this guy is, and I got to think a lot of the listeners have no idea who the fuck this guy is and probably don't care. So let's explain it to them so they understand exactly what the situation is. Okay. Longtime Florida independent wrestler, um, originally known as a Teddy Hart hanger on, which I'm sure Jeff may have some lovely stories about. But in 2008, and then it, he got arrested in 2010, he 
had a sexual relationship with a 15-year-old girl. And he pled no contest in 2010, became a registered sex offender, obviously still is, eventually got permission from the judge to be able to be around minors if supervised. Um, and what happened over the weekend was that out of nowhere at the beginning of the already running late New Japan Daytona Beach show in conjunction with the CEO video game tournament, the opening match was out of nowhere, unadvertised, and mysteriously with their names not being announced to the live crowd. Uh, Chase and Rance against fellow Florida indie worker Aaron Epic, um, a.k.a. the guy who Tanya Cornell released screenshots of tweet, excuse me, of text messages where he admitted to beating her. I don't know who she is. Who's that? Uh, Tanya Cornell, TC Tape. She does the production for Beyond Wrestling and some other promotions. Okay, so the opening match, which they didn't even announce the names of the contestants to the crowd, which I'm guessing is a local crowd because they're on the show. The opening match is a guy who in 2010 was a sex offender for having sex with a 15-year-old, and the opponent is a guy who there is public information, from what you're saying, that he was involved in domestic violence. He admitted to it. And he admitted to it. Okay. So now yes. I, just make sure I don't think it went to court story. or anything, though. Yes. Um, okay, so here's, here's the question that I have. Yes. So the kid was unannounced on the show. I had a kid. He's now like in his late 20s because he's, no, he's 35. Oh, geez. OK, I knew the kid like 10 or 15 years ago when he was working Florida Indies. Um, so my question is, was the primary outrage was that he's a convicted sex offender and that he was used on Omega's card? Is that what everyone's uh, saw? And, and I'm asking this generally. Initially, I really don't yes. know because I'm, I'm trying to get a handle on this. Uh, so and what he allegedly done uh, did correct me if I'm wrong, is he had a sexual relation or or was it a one-time thing or was it a, long, a relationship that he had with this girl? Do you know? It was not exactly. There was an ongoing relationship, I guess is the best way to put it. And they had sex at least once. Okay, and so this wasn't later, like a, a a drive-by as the young people. No, said. no. And I mean, there have been various people around the Florida scene who have said that he told them it was just some girl he happened to meet at a party that looked like she was of age. Okay, so so my question was, this wasn't uh, the old uh, old school wrestler hooks up with an arena rat kind of thing. Is that what you're saying? As as best we know, there was some kind of ongoing relationship. But yes, well, hold okay. on, it was and, an ongoing relationship. She was 15. How old was he? 25. So my question is, is when this happened. Was could this have been a case? And and because I don't know much about the case, I'm hoping you know more. Was mm -hmm. th this was not a case of a guy that found out she was 15 and kept going? Because of course, if that's no. the case, then he's absolutely uh, should be held. You know, held. The, he already knew she was 15, and later, I believe, in the phone call, the police listened in on. He said, "You something to the effect of I could pull it up. Uh, something to the effect of." You know, I wanted to wait until you were 18, but I couldn't help myself or something. And then she was like, no, I wanted to wait till I was 18. OK, so he knew that's that's the gist of the situation. Yes. OK, that see, I, I was I didn't know because 
Certainly, if he didn't know, we are not dealing with a situation, dare I say, that is unheard of in the wrestling industry. Uh, where uh, Yeah, but it's oh, timing. I mean, that's the thing. You know, no, no, of course. If you course. go through your record collection or your movie collection or any other form of entertainment, there's a really good chance that someone on that album or someone in that movie, if it came out in the 60s or anything before the 70s, more than likely someone was having sex with a girl who was 13, 14, 15, or 16 and you know, involved with one of those things. More than likely. Every record album you like from the British Invasion – Every single one of those fucking bands. Just pick a member. And more than likely, they're sleeping with someone who may be just under the <laughs> cusp of being legal. But more no. than likely, they're sleeping with someone underage. It's kind of one of those things that, unfortunately, it's built into the cake with all that stuff. But you get to a point where society now, I think, widely, openly, publicly says, you shouldn't have sex with underage people. No. <clears throat> I, don't want, I don't want to be misunderstood at all. I certainly am not condoning what he did my question was strictly did he know if he knew boom that's on him and mm -hmm. i have no problem with uh, him having to deal with the law on that i thought this was because i was unaware of the situation did not know if this was again the proverbial drive-by uh, there are several promotions that we all are fans of that were uh, somewhat known for having uh, the uh, availability of of women who may not have been of the lawful age so i was wondering about the uh, the outrage now and uh, kind of wondering if you know before I found out the guy knew about it, if you know, why is everyone being so upset when this is something that uh, certainly in the 80s, but you're absolutely right. This is now 2018. It's a different standard that people are held to. And if he broke the law, he absolutely should be uh, held accountable. What did he yeah. say on the podcast? Because you said there was some kind of podcast. Uh, um, he made a reference to, uh, he said something to the effect of, I like, I think it was like either I like or I'm into all ages as long as they're developed. Okay, fuck. And this was three years fuck ago. Them. Throw him in the well, wood chipper. Goodbye. That's, that's not, that's not uh, a wise Goodbye. thing to say. Yeah. Especially no, for someone, like... someone who's been in front of a judge oh. on that charge. That's not the most intelligent thing to say. <laughs> no, and then... God. What an idiot. I think... <laughs> what a fucking idiot. I think everyone kind of assumed Omega didn't know. I know I did at first. But then he was, like, really belligerent to people who tweeted to him about it. I mean, some of them went way over the line. But like one, the like the first one you responded to was like, "I'm a big passion fan of yours. I've traveled long distances to see you. I've mailed merch. I've like I've had stuff mailed from Japan, and so like blah blah blah." And that he was kind of pissy at an event, and he was like, "I I didn't know. I only met Chase and Rance once, like 14 years ago. I didn't I didn't know that you know." And it was I decided to reward the rest the guys who were putting up the ring and let them pick someone to do a dark match which it wasn't a dark match it was on the stream and it ended up being ranson epic he said he got them from a wrestling school though which would be chase and rance's wrestling school so um was, that, was this a case of like the ring was was chasen's apparently it was a new ring and he and he used that school for the ring crew um However, though, so he said that, and he issued more of a better apology later. I'll be more careful next time. You have to remember if you, you know, now all the news stories are what's up top. But if you had Googled his name before Friday night, the either first or second thing would have been about his arrest and some other stuff on that topic. Um, what kind of change for some people, not everyone. Some people are still kind of defending it. I'm just not sure. Um, then I saw someone found a Instagram post from two years ago at the CEO convention two years ago that the guy who uh, Alex Jabaley, who runs it, 
posted, thanks Kenny Omega for introducing something to the effect of thanks Kenny Omega for interesting introducing us to at Team Vision Dojo, who we rented the ring from because they use the ring as a stage for the fighting game tournaments. So there he was two years ago saying Omega introduced him to Rance. Omega saying, I, I I didn't. I don't know why he would say that. And maybe he just wanted to credit me because I'm the wrestler, which doesn't really make any sense. And Jabaley has not said anything, including answering my emails. So, man, you know how lucky Trump is that you're not on the, <laughs> the Mueller <laughs> investigation. <picks>? Uh, <laughs> well, there is Actually, I, people should be should be uh, disturbed that this yeah. guy is, is is on a show. But so much of the outrage, not that it's entirely misplaced, so much of the outrage is people say as people now want to interact with Kenny. They're not interacting with Chase and Rance as much as they are with Kenny and coming hard coming down hard on Kenny. And he he may have used very, very poor judgment, uh, but that that's something else that's going on now. Where uh, <laughs> where people are are not like I said not not saying they shouldn't be uh, upset with him or shouldn't uh, hold him to take him to task or hold him to a higher standard, but everyone's on Kenny's case more so than on the uh, <laughs> convicted uh, child molester. Drop, Weird. Did you just drop the mic? What was that? That was a fan. <laughs> Something like you dropped the mic. No, I mean, and I, I got no time for either one of them in in this particular case. But it, there's something that makes people want to interact with him more so than the uh, than the accused person. Well, also, I should say too, like Omega having been on the Canadian scene with him when he was like a Teddy Hardhanger on, you know, that is a reason that he would know of him as someone other than that convicted sex offender with that school in or the Orlando era, which is how most people in wrestling know of Chase and Rance. But now there's clearly like the attitude he took where he was like, well, I didn't feel like I was around criminals at first, which was not really the thing to say. And now either him, don't know why either him or Jabaley clearly was not telling the truth. We don't know which yet. Um, it, it's still, there's something there. Um, is I, I still think it's possible he didn't know he just and just handled it terribly, but that's still a problem. And like, I don't. At the end of the day, he was the one producing the show, even if it was not technically a New Japan show. It was branded as a New Japan show. He should not have just put some guy he didn't know the reputation of or anything right. out in the opener all of a sudden, especially when the you know never even mind the show starting late. Everyone that's watching and that's there is expecting it to open with a New Japan match, probably the Liger match. And then these two guys with no ring intros from Florida Shindies come out. But it was a bad idea regardless of who it was. Shindies. <laughs> oh, you had not heard of the term Shindies? <laughs> I've not heard that term before. <laughs> I, I heard it recently in, in response to something I'm i mentioned on the show that <laughs> somebody used the word shindy and I had to please, please enlighten us. What, what is a shindy? What do you think a shindy is? I, I have no idea. <laughs> what word begins with sh? Oh, okay. Swig for the working man. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Jeff, how much ice is in your fucking drink? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently enough for you to hear. 
We're breaking kayfabe on ice. <laughs> Is that breaking kayfabe? <laughs> breaking cave. Hey, Jeff, let me ask you a question we've all been asked so far. In terms of the wrestling events you've attended, what is the hottest actual show you've attended? Not hot in terms of fans, you know, reacting to the show, but the actual temperature in the venue. Mm. Uh, wow. I'm sure it was some local event down here, uh, Shindy. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, South Florida area in the middle of uh, summer. Uh, probably one of the, uh, the old FOW shows that I used to go to. How would you describe South Florida independent wrestling to someone who has no awareness of it at all, the history of it and where it is today? Shindies. Um, I really wouldn't. I, I think it's, it's more well, uh, well run and well done than it used to be. Uh, back in the day we had, of course, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, Bobby Rogers shows. Uh, are we familiar with those? Bobby you Rogers? mean Bobby Rogers, who claimed to be Buddy Rogers' nephew yeah. and the gay WWF junior heavyweight champion and threat and what? told Paul Heyman he'd cut off his finger to get into ECW? No, the guy that said he w- tried to sell his lip. He tried to sell his it was kidneys. He tried to sell his kidneys on eBay. That Bobby Rogers. Is I think that's the same Bobby the Rogers. Same guy? <laughs> no, that is the same guy. I know the guy. No, he would go on talk shows in the 90s with a belt and claim he was the gay WWF junior heavyweight champion. And the way I always heard it made it seem like he was saying that was the title, the gay WWF junior heavyweight championship. But I think he was saying he was a gay guy who was the WWF junior heavyweight champion. Who's the you gay have to heavyweight underst- champion? You have to understand, this is a guy that I believe was also on either Maury or Jerry Springer with his then girlfriend uh, basically running a shtick on Springer and Maury Povich. It was one of those two shows. Wait, who am I thinking of, though? Buddy yeah. Rogers, when he died, wasn't he married to whoever his wife was at, the, at that time? She had a son. Maybe he was – was he deaf or was he blind? What am I forgetting? But Are you thinking of uh, b- b- uh, Paul Bosch's stepson that he adopted? No, I know about Joey Bosch, but I'm talking about didn't Buddy Rogers' wife, when he died, have a son – was it, I, I seem to remember, unless it's this guy, there were pictures in the magazines of Buddy Rogers on a beach, and then there was some like half man next to him with like sunglasses on, dark hair. And he no, was I, be- of- I believe this this kid just uh, basically got the approval of Buddy to use his name. I don't think he even had the approval of Buddy. Oh, really? Okay, I, I thought that there was, was my sort of understanding. Thing. Well, Buddy died. Now, Buddy, in Buddy's <laughs> yes. Buddy's so this son, kid, this David... kid anyway worked. He worked Florida Indies, oh. and he basically uh, founded his own promotion called FOW Future of Wrestling. And there was about a three or four year run where uh, they were uh, using guys. Among the guys they used was uh, Antonio Banks, who eventually became MVP uh, in the WWE. Um, that was like the the biggest name that came out of the group. But there were some, mm, I'm just going to say some financial irregularities that may have arisen uh, regarding the, the payoffs uh, to some of the boys. Uh, and some uh, some hanky panky that was alleged, and so they don't run anymore. There's other groups that run down here now that run fairly regularly, and I'll be honest with you, I haven't gone to see them lately. Um, there's Coastal Championship Wrestling, and they run almost like on a monthly monthly to uh, every other month basis. So they're for an independent group that's that's fairly regular, and they run the same building. So, uh, what was the question again? <laughs> I want to know about this hanky panky that was uh, controversial. 
with this promotion? Well, there there may have been uh, some allegations. Again, these are strictly allegations that someone was using someone else's credit cards to pay for different things, including paying the boys. Uh, there may have been allegations that credit cards were stolen. Uh, somebody's credit card was stolen, then then was used to to pay for either buildings or to pay off the guys. Uh, I don't know who was involved. I'm being very careful here, Brian, if you haven't noticed. Uh, but I don't know who was involved, but that was some of the allegations that was uh, oh, that were alleged. Everyone that was involved. What about Howard Brody? Where does he fit into the scheme of South Florida <laughs> independent wrestling? I, uh, you know, my mom used to say, don't talk about, uh, don't say anything about people that uh, you don't have anything good to say about. So I will uh, defer to everyone else. Where does Howard Baum fit in? <laughs> Wow, you want to tell you some stories about Howard Baum? <laughs> well, we'll see. Howard you maybe. Why don't you bring Howard on and ask Howard to tell you about Howard Brody? You might as well tell him now. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, Howard. Um... I, I, I understand that Kenny Omega wanted to use Bobby Rogers on that show last week. <laughs> <laughs> he was retired, so he went with uh, Chase and Ranch. Chase and Ranch? That's, that's my favorite dressing. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Okay, actually, I, sh- I should mention this. Over the weekend, it was fun to look at the Twitter search and start typing Chase and Rance's name in to see what the auto auto suggest would be. One was ch- some one I believe was something like Chase and Ranch. Um, there was Chase and Rance nonce using the British terminology. Um, Chase and <laughs> yeah. Glory, chasing a wrestling career. And apparently chasing underaged uh, females, but that's another story altogether. He had a tag team with Sid Vicious called Rant Sid. <laughs> Great dad joke there. You know, you know what that joke's going to get you, Brian? 100,000 downloads a day, just like some of those other podcasts we talk about. Hey, that would be a, a, that would be a hit. We'd be going down if that was the case. Full tide. <laughs> So uh, I got someone else I promised I would add. Let me add him because I think he's on standby. Let's click this. Let's see if this works. Here he is. I'm adding him to the call right now. And we'll see if he actually picks up. Is he on the line already? Guest, are you there? Hello again, everybody. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, you're on the line with Scott Cornish, the wrestling humorist, David Bixen's fan, Jeff Baldrin, and myself. Oh, my goodness. And we're still not related. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. People, I, I love when people go, man, I love your podcast. You're so intelligent. You're so insightful. And just the, and, and, and the, and the communication, the rapport you have with Barry. And I'm like, no, that's the, uh, that's the, that's the other guy. I'm like, who are you? I'm like... I uh, do the Kentucky Fried Wrestling. Oh, yeah. Yours is good, too. So, uh... <laughs> you should have said, I'm that... Sh- what in the world? <laughs> oh, my God, is that... Is that Rip Rogers? Bomb's intro. <laughs> <laughs> That's Rip Rogers! Maybe the greatest beginning of any episode of Kentucky Fried Wrestling. It probably took us two hours to get, like, three minutes of audio because it was so funny. When Scott kept getting attacked by Chase by Giorgio Moroder because it was the ICW invasion episode. <laughs> so he couldn't control when the ICW theme music would come in and out of the program. 
one of the great concepts that we introduce every week on Kentucky yes. Fried Wrestling. A lot of production, a lot of production values go into uh, each and every episode, which is why it's always late. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, uh, Scott, I'm going to ask you the question I've asked everyone when they uh, first got on, or actually a little bit after that in some cases, but in terms of wrestling shows you attended or even worked, what temperature-wise was the hottest show you ever were at? Oh, man. Uh, you mean as far as, like, actual temperature or, or this incredible heat that I would have? Uh, this is the speak. first time I didn't preface the question by specifically saying, not the crowd, but the actual temperature. <laughs> yes, he means, he means like, temperature, weather-wise, whatever, as opposed to the heat you got when you romanced yeah. Uptown Karen. Right, exactly. <laughs> or, or, uh, or, or slapped Miss Texas. Um, oh, you mean Bubba you Johnson? Uh, yeah, exactly. Hey, that was never proven. Uh, I well, think what was, it was that angle? That angle was that Miss Texas uh, was really well, a man. And then yeah. Yeah, it was Bert Prentice claimed to have evidence that she was a trans, she was a transgender woman who had been a man named Bubba Johnson and then brought out Sapphire as Bubba Johnson's ex-wife. Wow. You, uh, man, <laughs> you, have a, you remember a lot of details about this angle. <laughs> How could you forget? Uh, it? I mean, th- that's an amazing progressive storyline for 1992 or whatever. Well, it was. well, Lawler, Lawler had some photographic evidence on Miss Texas, but uh, gave no indication that that was the case that she used to be a man. But uh, that's oh, a story dear. for that's a story for another time. <clears throat> You'll be seeing those photos soon at a on a T-shirt at the Kentucky Fried <laughs> Wrestling store. <laughs> exactly. Oh, nothing, nothing but uh, nothing but the best and fine merchandise and and very good taste. But hottest show you've ever been at? I would say you know what? Now that I'm now that I think about, it, uh, I went to a show in San Antonio, a world class show, Kevin Von Erich against Ric Flair. I was on vacation. My uh, wow. my best friend, my yeah, my best friend moved away, and uh, actually, it's the first time I was on a plane and went there. And it was funny. My uh, I, I remember my barber. Uh, you know, this old man. His name was Cotton, and he had like he was like like this ninety year old barber. He's exactly the way you would picture him. And he goes, "When you get on the plane, tell the stewardess, oh, did you just get on?" Because apparently that 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 was like a like a pickup line back in back in the uh, day, like uh, implying that she was an angel and in she Cotton's had, days. Yeah, yeah, it's back in yeah, yeah, in Cotton's days. Uh, so I did it, and uh, she was she was not amused. Um, but at any rate, uh, but yeah, I, let's get back to your friend who moved out of town. Yeah, <laughs> why? <laughs> he actually, uh, it was one of those days. He did, it, like his dad got transferred, and it's like. Wow. And it, and it happened so quickly. You know, we're like, we collected comic books together. We watched wrestling together. And then it's like, my dad got transferred. We're going to Texas in two weeks. And it was like, what? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he went and I, we we uh, we went to a show in San Antonio. And I, I had I thought that world class was like this big deal. I had, uh, you know, been at several shows at the Mid-South Coliseum. I thought every place had like a really nice arena. This place was a hot box. It was like a roach motel. And I, I, yeah, it, that that was the hottest venue that I've ever been in. Was it the usual venue they ran in San Antonio? Or was it the Hemisphere Arena? The Junction. I, oh, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But but the tamales were great, though. And so was the food. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him in Mexican just to get out of here. <laughs> Fast. <laughs> 
Who else was on that show? It was Kevin versus Flair. So uh, what was it? 84 or 85? It was af- it was after uh Carrie's run. And uh and Carrie and Kevin both assured us in a pre-match interview that uh it was Kevin's turn. Uh, Kevin That's what Fritz that's what Fritz see, said. Did you guys see that Kevin flipped out on Seth Hansen on Twitter? Yes. <laughs> what the yeah. fuck? Hold on, let me pull this. And DM'd up. him and called him a soy boy. Hold on. Uh-huh. <laughs> let me find this and I'll read it on the air. You mean Kevin will Kevin, read it on the air. Kevin will read it on the air. So I mentioned this a while back. I am, despite all of this, I somehow remain a fan of Kevin Von Erich. There's something. Why? I, I can't explain <laughs> it. But Kevin, he posts these amazing photos of the most beautiful sunsets, <laughs> the most beautiful waves. And then he also messages Seth Hansen and calls him Soy Boy. Let me Seth Hansen, who tweets nothing about politics, by the way. Seth Hansen, who is one of my favorite people on Twitter, if I want wrestling history, it's nonstop. He's always delivering the goods. He's always bringing great stuff. I can't imagine he gets anything out of it other than the joy in doing it. Here's what, and he made this public, so I don't have a problem reading it, but here's what Kevin Von Erich messaged to him. You really want to alienate half the country for this battle between a duly elected president and the, uh, this is the worst Kevin I've ever done, and the corrupt Clinton bunch and this open border bullshit? Are you insane? I travel all over the world. Every country is hardcore on customs and immigration, but not us, huh? Life is too short to follow the crowd, bubblehead. Think for for yourself. Look around you. You want anarchy? Socialism? What the hell, man? Look at Venezuela. You side with Satanists and child sex traffickers, soy boy? How can you sleep? By the way, no question mark. Uh, there was lots of exclamation points. No yeah. question mark after how can you sleep? Uh, yeah, this is this is the side of Kevin that I find humorous where I don't know what Seth Hansen posted, but Kevin saw that from his very, very lovely place in Kauai, one of the most peaceful and wonderful he places. He didn't see anything, though. He doesn't I, tweet about politics yeah, ever. I, I think all he posted was something about – I think it was just a result of, of uh, Fritz no. losing a match to Giant Baba. <laughs> <laughs> and that just set him off. Good uh, lord. Yeah, apparently, uh, I know Meltzer said this. I heard this from another source, too. The new Vice documentary series that's going to be coming out on wrestling. Apparently, Kevin talked a little more than he usually does. But we'll see uh, what happens. I heard the Brody well, which Which Vice uh, documentary series? Because there are two be- that are coming. What do you mean? About wrestling. Two two different series coming? Yes. Which one are you talking about? The one you're talking about is one that I didn't even know that there was any public details about yet. Um, Damien Abraham has his own – oh, I'm forgetting what the name of it is all of a sudden. It's weird because it hasn't officially aired yet, but for Canadian regulatory purposes, they air episodes randomly on the Canadian version of Vice in the middle of the night. His is going to different parts of the world to take in their wrestling culture. That's so whether right. it's Lucha yes. Libre or Japan or even going to the whole like Bolivian Cholitas thing with the women wrestlers, that's that's his show. The show you're talking about, which I had known about for a few months, I didn't even realize there was anything public about it yet. The one Isn't that coming out in October? I think so. The one you just yeah. mentioned before, that guy should take Kurt Brown with him when he goes to all the different places around the world. That is the perfect guy to be on a show like that. Um, the other one... And I know you guys have heard this too. Apparently, the Gino documentary 
as part of the series is amazing. And I can't. Oh wait to wow! See it. I didn't know Gino was. I actually need to get back to the guy who was working. I, I need to find the DMs. The he guy had... that was working on the Gino book. Oh no, not the book. Oh. It was the the guy who's one of the producers. Of the documentary had reached out to me, and he had been asking for like any potential suggestions. And I oh, yeah. I need to find the DM. Oh, there's back. a guy. I don't want to say his name because I, I I was under the impression he may not have wanted to go too public with it. But uh, he was in John McAdams' Facebook group, pro wrestling, whatever. Oh, that I. That I, re- no, that I remember. Book, and he had <laughs> spoken to all the different people that like knew Gino and were around him at the end, and he knew all sorts of shit that no one so, else was talking about. So, so are they going to prove the theory that somebody actually put a gun to his head and made him snort all that cocaine? Or well, no, I believe the the stupid conspiracy theory is that someone put a gun to his head and he ate all the cocaine. Ah, they found it in his belly, and if you would snort it, it wouldn't just be found in a lump in your belly. <laughs> Uh, well, I can tell you that I, you know, I sat and had dinner with Tully Blanchard a year or two ago, and it had been thirty plus years, and Tully still didn't want to talk about Gino's death. And which I, I was like, "Geez, it's only been thirty four years here, you know, or whatever." Uh, Tully, uh, nope, you know, it just was very like closed mouth. Gosh, snowflake, talk. <laughs> that's why i wrestled against flair in san antonio we said fuck the blanchards <laughs> that's a pretty good that's a pretty good kevin <laughs> in terms of gino you know that's the weirdest one because there's still stuff you hear that you've never heard before when it comes out and like when i had Jeannie clark on i never realized that her and gina were involved right before his death or that she lived in that complex. And so many people lived in that complex. And there's a lot of, you know, and then that whole Houston connection where he was, was it that he was, he had a benefactor who was part of the gay community. I feel weird saying that after the AJ Styles thing, but. The gay community. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, what AJ Styles thing? Oh my God. Okay. Let me find it. <laughs> This, I, we actually just talked about it on the Cornette show. This is one of those things that will follow AJ Styles around forever. I guess, did people know before this, Bix, that AJ may have a problem with homosexuality? Yes. Okay. Because so- it, in these shows, he would cut promos and he would use the other F word a lot. My most, my favorite time being when he was cutting a promo on Michael Shane in an IWA show when they were setting up their match for later and he said, I'm going to kick you in your other F word paused for a second and then said head almost cracking up because he didn't want to say ass. All right. But he had no problem saying the other word. (laughs) No, no. And also I had heard stories um, around that time where he was at the TNA weekly pay-per-view tapings and he was telling people about the movie he went to that weekend. And he said, it was, Jack A S S. He wouldn't <laughs> say jackets. <laughs> oh no! No. Oh. Well, anyway, now isn't he a big proponent of the whole world is flat theory? I've also no, heard that's that about Flip Gordon. It. No, 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 no. I think I, I, I it wouldn't I, shock me though. I'm pretty sure that Styles. That's why when he comes out, he does that thing with his arms. He's going flat. The world's flat. <laughs> where he's waving his arms. <laughs> Seriously. Okay, not, okay. Well, I, I, I found realize, it. I didn't realize until recently. I was like, I always thought for years. I'm like, why does every piece of his outfit say pie? Is he in the math? 
I didn't realize it's P1 for phenomenal one. I always thought it was pi. I'm like, what does 3.14 have to do with anything this guy fucking does? You're, you're giving him way too much credit. I, clearly. Clearly. <laughs> And what about Gino and the Houston gay community? Let's get back to that. <laughs> and where does Paul Boss fit and all that? <clears throat> Vix, were you going to play anything? I don't know what you were going to do. Yeah, I found no. I was queuing it up. Gonna, and... Isn't there isn't there a, uh, a ducky series also in the works called Jerry's Girls? A look at Lawler's fan base, or is yo, that? Yo, not, yo. what's uh, up? What's up? What's up? Is that who's producing I, it? <laughs> All right, I found it. This is next. We're this... going to play an angry uh, voicemail from Burt Prentice. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is from when AJ Styles was on Wrestling Observer Live. I don't know when exactly. The YouTube video is from 2010. I think it's before that. Anyway. Oh no, it has to be at least 2005, 2006, somewhere in that range. It was a good bit before this. Johnny, are you there? Oh, Johnny. Okay, Johnny's. Uh, go to Phil in Arizona. Phil, what's going uh, on? This is Johnny. Okay, go ahead, Johnny. Uh, how you doing tonight, Brian, AJ, everybody? What's up, man? Uh, just had a question for AJ. I was just wondering how you feel about your large following in the gay community. Ah! The gay community. That's just yeah, because I think it's mainly attributed to your looks. Oh God, get, oh, get rid of them. Well, oh God, just okay. Let's go to Phil in Arizona. The wow. gay community. <laughs> no, no, no. It was more like the gay community. Wow. wow, you're making fun of Southerners. Listen to you, you racist. Well, uh, yeah, I know, right? Bunch of rednecks. <laughs> What's the worst thing you said on Memphis TV that you regretted? Other than well, anything involving making Dave Brown upset. The, uh, the, retard, the retard comment? No, see, I said you can't, ta- oh, you can't okay. say anything that made Dave Brown upset. Uh, well, this one, this one got, uh, this took some balls and it, and it got me some heat right away. Uh, so I think it was only my second or third interview. And I said, I said, yeah, I said, I said, Brian Christopher comes out here too sleazy. You know, he's the only guy I know that goes to a VD clinic to meet women. And they, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they were not happy about that one. Oh, and I said, uh, and I, and I, and in the very same interview, I took a line from, uh, Dan Shockett, the, the uh, heel writer in the after mags. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I said, the only reason Lawler's not over the hills because he never climbed it in the first place. And so I get to the back and Brian's like, what are you talking about? VD clinic, blah, blah, blah. My wife's already called me. And, uh, and then Lawler goes, yeah, and I'm old. I'm just old. I guess I should just retire. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then Scott turned around and Kevin Lawler high-fived him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I know how it works. <laughs> Well, you know, Brian, as you know, Kevin often felt left out um, some of the Lawler family activities, but we'll leave, leave it at that. One of the greatest rebellion moves in, in Lawler family history was when Kevin Lawler said, I'm leaving. I'm going to go live with Eddie Gilbert up in Philadelphia, and I'm going to become Freddie Gilbert in ECW. Yeah, and I, I, I was at the Coliseum uh, the night that Freddie came, returned home, and uh, yeah, the King, King was not happy to see him. He and he kept calling him, no, and he kept calling him Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Hey, guys, while everyone else is on the line, does anyone have a theory or a thought about the whole idea that Mil Moscaris may have at one point worked one day in Memphis in 1979 as a heel and done a stretcher job after losing the fall? <clears throat> I got a few thoughts on it. Uh... Beyond you. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> um... The photos do look like him, right? There are a couple photos, aren't what? there? I remember them looking like it. 
What photos? Am I remembering wrong? I thought there were, I've seen photos of the match. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't, you have photos? Hold on. What? Of course we should have turned to Bixen's fan for the photos. <laughs> He's probably got a whole file over there. I could have I could have sworn that I would have seen photos like in your Oh, um, no. on your on your old site or something. No, I think what I did, I, I uh, posted a picture of them wrestling in world class. And I was saying Cornette wanted to be convinced. He said all it would take would be one photo. And I said, OK, here you go. <laughs> oh, wait but, a second. No, 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 no. Um, I feel like I never owned the book. But you know how there was that Memphis photo book what that came with solvers? like the song CD solvers? or something? I could have sworn I, I pretty like the whole thing seemed confusing to me because I could have sworn I've seen a photo before. Okay, okay. Uh, which Memphis photo book? The that black and white one that came with the entrance music CD. I know the one you're talking about, uh, Sputnik Midgets. I have it here. Whatever that oh, one is called. Yeah, but that book also has Bruno Sammartino wrestling Lawler and uh, defending the WWF championship. So take that. I could have sworn I've seen a photo somewhere from that match. But then again, I have that weird memory of an angle in all Japan where uh, Dynamite and Johnny Smith turn on Davy Boy by putting him through a table, <laughs> which I, I'm told never happened. But I feel like I'm. Pre- it was on this like I if I maybe I fell asleep watching a Best of Dynamite Kid tape I had while sick, but I could <laughs> I. But I like I I'm not someone who ever remembers dreams as real though. So you think and you, you dreamt you saw a photo of Mel Maskers? No. <laughs> oh. But Brian, anyway, I'm just, but he, I'm, I'm saying it just seems very random. That's all I'll say. The Mark James stuff, though, like the guy, who, which wrestler was it that was on the records that he had that it said was there as opposed uh, to Aaron Rodriguez? Uh, you're talking about Francisco Flores, which is not the original Francisco Flores, but another one. The, uh, right, Mexican, not, to be, conf- the, not yeah, to be confused with the UWA promoter. Yeah, the uh, Mexican Angel, the one with money. Yes, not to be who was the one with money. Yeah, who well, was right, also? But he was who, wrestling who was, elsewhere that night. Yeah, not well, and not just wrestling elsewhere. He was he was working for Goulas on Goula, arguably uh, Goulas's be- biggest show ever uh, in Birmingham. He it was uh, supposed to be headlined by Harley Race and Randy Savage for the NWA title. And uh, race no showed because he had a family emergency. So, uh, but and he was working. Uh, on, he was in the semi main teaming with Bobby Eaton against the Freebirds. So, why would he no show that? Work this bout in Memphis and just and then rejoin the crew two nights later uh, for Goulas. It just doesn't make any sense. There's no way that's even close to the biggest wrestling show Nick Goulas ever ran in that town. In oh, Birmingham? Yeah, with, he, uh, he ran Birmingham for 40 fucking years. He had tons of major matches. No, no, no. But but that was the, they had been building up Savage, though, as the golden boy who could who could defeat. This is the first time they were ever going to meet. He was, you know, had this. It was sort of like how Jarrett had taken Lawler and built him up. He had been, they'd been talking about Savage getting this world title shot for like over a year. If you look at some of like the programs, they're always talking about where Randy is in the rankings. And so I think it I mean, I think I think it, that's pretty big. But I'm not going to argue with you about that. The point is, uh, <laughs> well, you know, according to Nick Goulas, every show that he booked was a record breaker. You know, the biggest show was always going to be the next one. So, but wait, where you were at that show, right? Uh, yeah, I was in Memphis. Yeah, did it? it my... Did you remember it looking like Mil Mascaras? And do you remember the outfit <sighs> looking like a genuine Mil Mascaras outfit? The outfit was was spot on. But dude, you know, I was eight. 
Uh, what can I tell you? Uh, was he walking on his tiptoes? I don't remember. I, I, the only thing I remember, he was, eight, I, he was walking on his tiptoes. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was just trying to see over all the drunks and the. That was a, the one and only time that we sat in general admission. Holy cow! I think we were the only ones there who didn't come in with a flask. Um, but anyway, they they uh, he did, he had the the classic black and silver uh, deal on. And the reason, partly why I remember that is because they did show the highlights of the match the next day on the Channel 5 News, uh, but they didn't air it on Saturday. And actually, it's funny, Jerry, huh. Jarrett, Jerry Jarrett actually chimed in again because somebody brought it up. <laughs> You'll love this, Brian. He said, uh, he said, no, uh, Mil Mascaris was just passing through and I did him a favor. <laughs> What? A favor? Yeah, I did him a favor. I put him on my card, and he did a stretcher job for me. <clears throat> I'm leaning more and more towards there's no way in fucking hell that was Mil Musk. Oh, come on. Well, here's a question. When all those paychecks used to show up on eBay, where did those come from? Uh, the office. The canceled checks. Okay. Yeah. How many of those did Jared save over the years? Where did all those go? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's when you say they came from the office. Who? I mean, who would have had those checks and who would have? Who put them on eBay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, you know what? I'm not sure. I know. I know that. I think Mark was collecting some of those. Um, so it was you. That's what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that uh, lends credibility to Scott's uh, theory is that there's really no evidence to the contrary, other than everyone saying. That just isn't something Mascaris would do. But you know, if you if you look at if you look at a lot of guys who came through Memphis, they a lot, a lot of people did stuff that they didn't do anywhere else. I mean, uh, you know, Jack Briscoe didn't do too many clean jobs right in the middle of the ring, uh, which he did for Lawler uh, when Lawler made his comeback in '81. Uh, you, you know, so it's it, it doesn't it doesn't, and I think I think the key to this whole thing, which Jared uh, tried to explain was the power of relationships back then. And, you know, if he indeed was tight with, uh, with Luderoth, that certainly, I think that that's, that this could have been arranged, but, but, and, and not only did he do the finish, but it wasn't even like Jarrett suggested it according to Jerry, which I just about cracked up when he told me this, he goes, I was given them the finish. And I said, idol is going to take the ride on the stretcher. And Bill, Brian, you can do it better than I can. What did you imitate? Oh, Jenny, Jenny, please, please, Jenny. I'm so delighted to be here in Memphis for you and your promotion. Please allow me to do a stretcher job tonight. Please allow Fargo to kick my ass. And me take That's a great stretcher. Italian accent, Brian. That's Mel Moscow. Have you ever heard what he really sounds like? Uh, Mel He sounds Mil very Mascar. much like my Bruno. Yes. <laughs> How about this? And then at the end, Fargo ripped my mask off. He puts it on his bulbous head. <laughs> and, I and I and oh, I Ryan, I British now. Brian, I think we solved the mystery. I think uh, Mel Masker said it was Dom DiNucci. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell Fargo to call me a piece of shit. <laughs> and, ride me, and ride me like a jackass all the way to the back. <laughs> Here's what gives it some cre credibility to me. Okay. <laughs> Boy, that really broke you, and I don't even know why. <laughs> tell him to beat me. Okay, thank you. Tell him to beat me. I was going to mention like that yellow. angle, though. That 
The friendship what with other Salvador territory Luderoth? ever mentioned Salvador Luderoth on TV? Yeah. That's right. why I buy Jerry's story to a degree. However, <laughs> I mean, that, that is. I thought you were on my side. Yeah, well, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm on the oh. side of the devil. And, however, just saying the guy's name on TV proves nothing. I mean, because what's the whole point of it then? Is it I'm going to record this and then send it to Sal? And that old man in Mexico City will watch this and enjoy it? It means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody watching TV is even going to, I mean, obviously the other promoters would know the name, but nobody's going to know that's the real promoter's name because they don't have the NWA membership book. Well, here's the question then. Everyone here on this call knows Memphis wrestling. Are there other examples of minutia in details like this that you remember from Memphis TV? You mean like times where they didn't use Jerry Lawler's handwriting? They always use Jerry Lawler's handwriting oh, yeah. <laughs> on every single award or anything. Yeah, my favorite was the award that said, also, she committed lesbian acts in front of... Oh, that was something else. Ooh. Look out! <laughs> <laughs> See, we need to start doing some more of these Lance Russell sound effects here in the KFR podcast. I think that Okay, be- let me ask you a question. What's, did you ever talk to Macklin about like why, why he refused to do well <laughs> why he refused to do the his lance impression with lance uh no i didn't uh well that's good probably no the actually the, the, the probably the most memorable <laughs> conversation i had with with macklin uh lawler was berating me because they i've been feuding with this disc doc because i you know i said i was bobby bowden's uh nephew and mm-hmm. so this you're uh, not Oh, well, <clears throat> moving right along. Um, so they had this this uh, guy, he, he's called the Rain Man, and he was like a, a, a sports uh, procrastinator who, you know, would pick games and he would torch people for his Rain services. Man. Yeah, yeah. They brewed 700 home runs. <laughs> so he, uh, anyway, we got into it and he interviewed Bobby Bowden for a show and he brought my Gotta name watch up. Buckner, gotta watch Buckner. Yeah, and he goes, <laughs> And he asked him if he had a nephew in professional wrestling. Of course, Bobby Bowden said no, and they had me on the show. And I said, well, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that he's a lot like Lance Russell. He's got Alzheimer's disease, and he gets names and faces of relatives mixed up all the time. And and so this – eventually it led to a match. And instead of putting us in a tag match where they could hide us, they actually put us in a singles match. And, it, I mean, of course, we stunk out the building. And, Law, and we get to the back, and Lawler's like, what the hell are you doing? Because I was trying to take all these crazy bumps. He goes, what are you, trying to be Shawn Michaels out there? What the fuck were you thinking? And then Macklin chimes in. And I and I looked at him, and I, I was like, hey, fuck off, Macklin. <laughs> <laughs> and his eyes got so big, and he just turned right around. Uh, that match was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Good button. <laughs> All right, TD Steele in the ring. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that needs something else. I'll tell you what. Do you remember the first week he was on Memphis TV, what you thought when all of a sudden he was introduced as the new permanent co-host? Uh, no. It was that memorable. <laughs> I the only the, the only one I could really remember where I just was so I couldn't believe it was when Ronnie Gossett came out there. On the very first week first after week? Lance, yeah, uh, the idea was that, and the whole thing where it turned out 
that where nobody had you no know, nobody hired him. He just had wandered <laughs> out onto the set. I was like, wow, God, you really didn't think that one through. Uh, I remember '89 was a year I I, I kind of really started tuning out. That was that was a rough year. <laughs> hey, bits, can I play you something? Is it going to be that's not my dad? No, well, no, I could do that. I mean, everyone knows that. That's not my dad. That's not uh-huh. my dad. That's not my dad. That's not my dad. Baby, baby. But I have something else. You know, this show started a long time ago, and there was a soundbite that you used to play. Uh-huh. That was me saying I could do sue the shooter all day. Uh, for some reason, that soundbite's been lost. I don't know where it is. Uh, and I'm not, uh, even, I'm not even joking. I actually couldn't find it. Do you have it handy, Bix? Can you play it? Let me let me see if I can find it. Uh, the scenes here at the program, <laughs> which, see, people, which people have been, type in S- which people have been clamoring for. Behind the scenes, what's it? And a bastard. Sue the shooter comes right after Sapolsky. <laughs> can you find it, Bix, or no? No go. I'm not finding it so far. Hold on, let me. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll dig around a little more. All right. Well, I never had a soundbite to play of you. And the last Star Wars we did, there was one moment I was finally able to isolate of you. And I said, I'm going to uh-huh. save this. This is going to be like my Bix alarm, where one day okay. I'm going to be able to show him I finally got a soundbite of him and I have it. And then something else came to my mind. And I was like, wow, now I really have to play this. I'm going to play you the soundbite first. This is me isolating you in a moment. And I'll, and I'll show you why this started killing me in a second. Here's the noise. Okay. I don't know what I said. I forget wow. what I said that prompted that. But once again, here's the noise. Well, I, I can counter that, though, because I isolated a reaction I had once when me and Jordan were recording two scoops, which I hope is coming back at some point, which was, Ah! That's you? <laughs> hold on, yeah. wait. Wait, but hold on, though, because you can't counter that, because this is why. Listen to this again. Ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> All right, well, there, anyway, I, I realize that it goes perfectly with immigrant song. <laughs> ah! <laughs> so now you can't recreate I, it as now, good as it is. Now, and what was that in reference to? Brian, had you said something uh, like totally ridiculous, and Bix was doubting you? That's what it sounds like. It, it was he was doubting me. Probably, I probably was saying like, "Oh, you should really listen to Bowden's show." It's good. Nah. <laughs> he was like, eh, I "Got other things to do with my life." He's like, eh, I, yeah. It kind of sounds like he's auditioning for the B fifty two. Maybe a little bit. Hold on, hold on. Uh, it would be like rock lobster. The B fifty twos. Aren't they popular in the gay community? <laughs> hey, they're from Athens, Georgia. Where's uh, AJ from? He's from Georgia, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, yes. He's from uh, Augusta, right? I don't know. 
Yeah. yeah. How far is Augusta where, from Athens? Does anyone know? Where, where Tommy Rich won the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in front of 3,000 people. <laughs> okay. Well. And home of the Masters. Well, we're, we're yeah, we're, we're speaking of gay men in uh, Augusta. So, I don't know. Whoa. Look at you, just a okay. golfer. What? 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 <laughs> wow, Scott Bowden. What did I, what, what did I do now? <clears throat> what, have you been talking with Boyd Shire lately or something? <laughs> well, anyway, let me uh, let me add someone to the call, someone who is, uh, who I've been meaning to get on here, and I believe he's on standby, and I just got to check what number uh, is best for him. And let's see. I can guess who that is then, actually. Uh, maybe you can. Maybe you can't. Who's your guess? Vandal? No, not Vandal. Vandal okay. can't do it. Uh, hold oh, on. I'm... Let me see if this is the right number to get for this person. Is it Atomic Bomb? Atomic Bomb. Who's Howard that? Bomb. Oh, no, it's not Howard Bomb. Howard Brody? Certainly. <laughs> Certainly not. The ghost of Gino Moore? <laughs> it's... Hello? Bobby Blaze. Yeah. yeah. Season's greetings. <laughs> Season's greetings. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Welcome back to the Super Podcast. Welcome back to Star Wars. On the line with you right now, Wayne, do you hear this cast of characters? We have the wrestling humorist Scott Cornish. We have Bobby. wrestling journalist David Bixenspan. Uh, oh, thank you. That's great. <laughs> we have <laughs> wrestling podcast host extraordinaire Jeff Baldrin. We have uh, podcast host extraordinaire and great wrestling manager, Scott Bowden. And I think that's everyone. Yeah. Wow. Hello, guys. What a great cast to be joined with for the uh, 4th of July Star Wars. Thank you very much. Wow. Hope everyone's doing great. Hey, Bobby, yes. where was the hottest yes. place you ever worked? We were all discussing this before. In terms of places you wrestled, and not, not in terms of the heat from the crowd, but the actual temperature in the place, like it's burning up. Where's the hottest place yeah, you ever I'm wrestled? I'm glad you clarified that to make sure I understood the question. Uh, <laughs> South Africa, man. Seriously, South Africa. Um, I had a, I left from Tampa to Miami, Miami to uh, London. Of course, didn't leave the Air Force there. You're still indoors. Got to Johannesburg. Man, the moment the, the plane door opened, boom, that heat was right there. And had to go from Johannesburg down to the first town and with like five hours sleep. And that night in that building, no doubt, man, like Sun, Sun City, South Africa, something like that, Cape Town, South Africa, all over there, it was definitely the hottest. Uh, Humidity-wise, somewhere in southern Tokyo or southern Japan, rather, in the summertime, the, humid was, the humidity was real, real high. But as far as overall hot, it had to be South Africa. We'll continue with this in one sec. Jeff Baldrin, I believe, has to jump off in a second. So, Jeff, I'll give you a few seconds here. The floor is yours. Okay, in the spirit of breaking kayfabe, gentlemen, I will now leave you with this. Give me your F, marry, or kill. It's a popular segment on the show. I know you all listen. Heather Thomas, Heather Graham, Heather Locklear. Go. Who? Who Heather Graham. Yeah, you pick it. Brian, yours. Heather Graham. That's not Brian. That's not how you play the game. (laughs) (laughs) Are you not familiar with the product? I I just... <laughs> hey, who are you going to F? Who are you going to marry? Who are you going to kill? I'm Bowden, not Baldrin. <laughs> right? So Heather Thomas, Heather Locklear, Heather Graham, Brian. I would marry Heather Graham, 
uh, F, marry, kill. I would kill Heather Locklear, clearly, and I would uh, fuck Heather Thomas. As okay. long as it's in, like, 1982 or something. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, we're okay. talking in their yeah, prime. Right. So, yeah, Scott, talking- go ahead. Oh, God. Uh, I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I like how he just said Heather Graham. It reminds me, years ago, Scott Muni, world famous <laughs> DJ. He was <laughs> one of the many who claimed to be like the fifth Beatle. He was a institution in New York. He was a program manager as well as a DJ. Scott so. He was a big deal here. And after he got fired by the rock station, they gave him a shot on WFAN to do sports because they said, oh, when Scott... When Scott wasn't on the air, he was running the station. He was drinking his whiskey and talking sports with the other DJs. So they put him on the air. And I'll never forget it. Some caller, you know, they wouldn't just ask sports questions. They would want to ask a music question. I believe this lasted one night. And one caller goes, hey, Scott, so it's so great to hear you here on the fan. I'm just wondering, what's your favorite Beatles song? And his response was, John Lennon. <laughs> F. Mary Kill. Uh, Heather Graham. <laughs> now wait a minute i haven't had that much whiskey yet. come on now <laughs> <laughs> whose turn is it next baldrin it's your game wait are uh, you sure that's real because i just searched youtube for scott muni wfan and <laughs> i found an imus promo no. where it's rob bartlett as scott muni oh, doing no, no, a sports report it's 100 real because he hosted it with richard near because Richard Neer okay. used to also do – Richard Neer did sports radio and rock radio at the same time. And he's also really great at it. I love Richard Neer. He's a different pace of broadcaster. But it was definitely the real Scott Muni. Not only I was that, on the air with Richard Neer once. What? Wasn't the real Don Steele? <laughs> no. Wait, who's the other Neer so I make sure I'm not confusing them? Who's Richard Neer's brother? Uh, Richard Farr. Neer and Farr. Oh, so do you have a brother whose last name is first? see that one i kind of did against myself it really doesn't work in that way (laughs) um i don't remember oh dan near dan near no it was i think it was richard um they had like an all request hour this is oh what when k-rock became something else or maybe it had become maybe it was k-rock again um you regular listeners of breaking kayfabe will notice the difference in how f marry kill happens on this show Versus on that show. We, we and I submitted, you would submit a playlist. And mine got picked. So I pre-recorded it with Richard Neer. Get out of here. How old uh, were you? When was the, I want to say early to mid-2000s. Oh, that's pretty cool. Wow. That's really cool. I'm a big Richard Neer fan. But anyway, F. Mary Kill. What, uh, Bowden um, refused to He passed. He, Bowden, you know, I, Bowden, he took the AJ Styles way out. No, I just, I just immediately had this image of uh, Roller Girl, you know, yeah, with, her t- with her tits flopping out, and I just got distracted. Sorry. Just said, <laughs> All right, Bobby, what do you got to say? Bobby? Bobby, okay, what I'll say is this. I'm going to fuck Richard Ramirez, the <laughs> night stalker. I'm going to fucking marry Ted Bundy, and I'm going to kill John Wayne Casey because he's a fucking clown. <laughs> uh, no, truthfully, sir, I think I would uh, kill Heather Locklear, um, uh, fuck Heather Thomas, and I'd marry Heather Cram. That's exactly what I said. He's obviously a very smart yeah. Fine choices, Bix. Uh-huh. As a Thank journalist, you. I'm going to remain impartial and pass. <laughs> He's covering okay, back the to Heather Locklear meltdown. Back to Heather uh, the, the this, AJ Styles. You know this this, this could potentially ruin your status as the highbrow podcast of the Arcadian. That's true. <laughs> we're we're trying to branch out to yes. 
Yes. What we want to have as many uh, many listeners as uh, certain former ring announcers for WCW. I uh, won't go into. <laughs> Only Brian gets that joke. Well, Dave Penn, no, Dave, I get that joke too. Oh, I get listeners, it. And, and there's no fucking way <laughs> in the history of Has Earth. he said millions? Millions. But anyway, F. Mary Kill, where are we? We're done. Not yet. No, Scott Cornish. <laughs> oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I would F. Heather Graham, <laughs> Mary Heather Graham, and kill Heather Feather. <laughs> Heather, no, dude. Heather Feather would kill you, man. <laughs> you better get her while she's sleeping, dude. <laughs> I always love the way she was described on the "I like to hurt people" bo- box. It was something like Heather Feather, four hundred pounds of wild female wrestler. Mm. <laughs> she was so not wild. <laughs> Anyway, Badger, do you want to leave on that note? Is there anything else you want to say? Yeah, to yeah. <laughs> let's, leave on, let's leave on the Heather Feather note. <laughs> All right, of course, between now and then, you can listen to Breaking Kayfabe with Badger and Barry, which actually goes up tonight at midnight uh, as we talk right now, but it'll be up whenever you listen to this program. Jeff, say goodbye. Uh, goodbye, <laughs> Jeff. And then you can Good just night, gentlemen. Good night, Jeff. <laughs> he didn't even say, say goodbye, Jeff. He said, Jeff, say goodbye, so that joke doesn't really work. <laughs> I'll actually be filling in for Baldrin the rest of the way here. So no one will notice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, <sighs> Dave, the show the show will go yeah. faster if you don't keep uh, bringing up jokes that don't work. <laughs> are, are, Thanks, hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, hey, I'm, who's the who's I'm, the wrestling humorist here? <laughs> hey, Bobby. What I was going to ask you is, I noticed recently. Because uh, Travis Heckle did the artwork. Did you put out, after all the season's greeting stuff we've done on the show, did you put out a kid's book or is it a Christmas book? What is it? Okay, no, it's a shoot story that happened to me. It's called Seasons. They, you, on a cover on Amazon, you can't put fucking or fuck. So I put effing. But the mm-hmm. story was called, it was it was a little published story in another book. And I told the other author I'd wait six months to let them, you know, get their credit and their money, et cetera. So I did a reprint. I redone it, et cetera. And it's called Seasons Up and Greetings. It's definitely not a kid's book. Uh, my best Christmas ever. And it was about 1983. Um, me, my brother, my cousin, and an aunt. Um, or an aunt, depending on how you say it, uh, took us from the hills of here in Kentucky up to Baltimore, Maryland to spend a week uh, during Christmas um, on my grandmother's dime, and it just turned into, it was just a clusterfuck of a, of a week, but it was great. And, you know, you're like uh, like 20 years old, and it's basically called Seasons Up and Greetings. It's definitely not kids, but, but Travis, big shout out to uh, Memphis Rest there. He'd done the artwork for the book. Um, but it's a 15-page short story is all it is. It's on Amazon. Um, it's just part of some, you know, short stories I write. And, and like I said, it's published back in December and I put it out, um, earlier this, um, this year, of course, uh, I think like maybe May. So thanks for asking about, but it's definitely my kid's book, but it is, it's about teenage boys in lust. Even though I had already turned 20, it's, um, you know, three teenagers traveling together for Nant, um, seeing a bunch of crazy relatives, um, having a great time. So that's what it is. And Travis did do the artwork for it. Hey, Bobby, have you ever talked to Bix before? Have you guys ever been on at the same time? Yes, when he yes. started going off about the Jews. Oh. No, I oh, to bring that right. up. Yeah, I, I, knew you could, 
<laughs> you got oh, me hey. barred for six months. It's been every, six months, guys. I'm no. Every, every, I was building up for the story, but yes, we've been together, and I follow you guys on Twitter. But thank you. Don't bring that up. Take a night. It had a point. Did it not have a point to the story, though? I don't even remember what the story was. It was about because he took the he took the money and the ticket and he got off the plane and everyone's happy. All right, well, so. Bobby, say goodbye and uh, it was <laughs> nice having you on the show. <laughs> no, I can't. Thank you for having me back and you'll have a very nice evening. <laughs> Season's fucking greetings, happy fucking Fourth of July, motherfuckers. <laughs> how's, how's the weather in Kentucky? It's like a hundred degrees the way it feels in the air up here uh, in New Jersey right now. How is it? Yes. 90, 97 feels like 107. It's been, you know, it, actually, I'm, I'm surprised you can hear it. Just stop before you called. Uh, this is thunderstorming. Hopefully, it's coming through this area. It sounds beautiful out, actually. It's supposed to rain a little bit, get down to 71 sometime middle of the night, but it has been up in the high 90s. Has not hit 100 yet, but feel like has been 107. I do know that. I don't know. I don't know how I can tell this, Bobby, but it, it sounds like you're just incredibly sweaty right now. I'm always sweating. I'm fucking 300 pounds of fucking, just a big fat fucking white senior citizen sweating motherfucker. How's that? I hear you. Right on. <laughs> Aaron's conditioner right now is a fat man's best friend. <laughs> so. well, but you know, the other day, I didn't get a chance to read it on the air. Uh, I was going to probably do it the next time. Uh, hopefully, if I remember, we get so many. But one of the emails to the Cornette show for the drive through was praising you against Candido. And they were saying, again, this was the emailer. They were saying how it was such an impressive match because you could tell Candido was still getting his, still getting together, still really coming together in Smoky Mountain. And you were kind of a young wrestler, still kind of getting things together in this, you know, letter writer's eyes. And his opinion was it was Brian Hildebrand kind of holding everything together, kind of the glue of the match. Any thoughts on that? Um, I think that's probably 99% accurate, man. I really do. I think, you know, all, all due respect to Jim Cornette, of course, uh, all due respect to, uh, to Chris for coming up and, and uh, I met him prior to going, you know, to doing a program with them. But the bottom line was really, I mean, we worked our ass off with a little bit, I think, and I've heard Jimmy, I've heard Brian on the show, uh, talk about how athletic we were at that time, how young, um, if we'd have went out there and done a, a thousand to one, you know, flying moves, we'd been off, you know what I'm saying? But we, we added just the right amount at that time. But to answer your question, yeah. Um, Mark Curtis, the referee, Brian, um, I think he kind of, you know, kept it in perspective. Like, you know, here, this, this may or may not get over this area at the time. Um, I like this, I like that. So he's kind of go between. So I don't think he let it get too far out there. Um, we'd have to, you know, get everything approved, of course, but we, yeah, I think that's very accurate because he was, he was there. I always considered him part of the office anyway, and it wasn't like we said, we're going to do this, this, this would be very, very extreme. Um, and we was doing just enough that it was a step above and, and thankfully it was just the right amount as I've heard over the years, you know, and yeah, we were both getting our feet wet, both getting experience factor in. But, but Brian was kind of holding it together, you know, like giving us a cue, this, that, whatever, um, and breaking K favor, whatever, you know, basically like, you know, got, you know, a minute left, two minutes. We kind of knew, 
but but again, if it wasn't TV, we didn't have to worry about it because we had give or take a few minutes on a house show. Obviously, you know, you go over under whatever we needed, but we always countered, always got stuff together, and yeah, Brian was a big part of that, and 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 you know, bless his soul. Um, but uh, that run with Candida was great. I enjoyed it. All-time favorite opponent, easily, hands down. And then Jimmy, of course, gave us that uh, freedom to get out there and work. And I remember him coming to us one time. I won't mention, but there's some WWF slash E-Stars on a show at that time. And he knew who the main was. He said, he's a guy's your third match. Go out there and tear the fucking house down. If they can't follow you, it's their own fucking fault. Have a good match. And so you, we had that freedom. And when your boss was telling you that, and then, of course, again, go back to Mark Curtis, keeping it right there with that 99%, you know, 95% level, it all just gelled together, man. And when you got someone that you care for, respect, and have an idea, and you gel with them, it's that much easier. So you had three people, because it all, it, it, not counting Jimmy, of course, because he booked it and, and all that, but when you got three people, Brian, Chris, and myself, willing to go out there and try to put on the best match they can for the fans, then that, that yeah, that, that's a very accurate statement. Who's making noise? Scott. Uh, <laughs> how did you know that, Bix? Because I maximized Skype and it your circle oh, it up as you right. were typing. Jesus. The mute button I, is I feel like you're the I feel like you're the hall monitor. I know, but I was trying to I was looking for something on my hard drive. Sorry. But I hope that answer your question. So yeah, the answer to the person the email or in question, yes, I'd say it was a large, you know, ninety nine percent, ninety five percent accurate. That he was he was holding it together with us, you know, in in, in correspondence of what we was going to do, where we was going, where the program was going, where where Chris was going next, where I was going next, and all that. So yes. What's the maddest you ever got at a referee in real life? Oh man, um, Mountain, press mute. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it got super hot at a referee per se. Um, I don't recall an exact incident. I will say this. The only time I was very upset with something that I felt affected a match, uh, Dan Sever and I, you know, I wrestled him twice. The first time was in uh, Charlotte. A uh, pretty good match, of course. If, if it had been in a cage, it'd over like 30 friggin' seconds at that point. But it, it still turned out pretty good, and, and, and Mark Curtis was referee. And I don't know, again, if we're break cafe, Brian Hildebrand, again, all due respect. And it went good because I wasn't even sure if he knew it was a fucking work then. And, of course, you can find that story in Pin Me, Pay Me. But the second time, that was in, like, May. The second time we had Dan Sever to myself, yes, yeah. thank you. I was there. Uh, there was another referee. I wasn't hot until I saw the playback. And I kind of knew it. I kind of felt it. And Severin had been up to my home. We had been training together a couple of days, went to Knoxville together, et cetera. I'm not saying it was completely choreographed, but it was a much easier 50-50 less work. Let me get behind you before you're countering me already. You know, I'm playing checkers here. You're playing chess. I get that. But this is a crowd I've been in front of. I've been a champion here. been working here three years. And he was on to it by then. You know, thankfully. And, but we had a different referee than Brian. And the first opening spot was um, one of us does the fireman carry, quick pin, kick out. The other one snaps up, does the fireman carry, quick pin, kick out, get up, look at each other, shake hands. I, I don't know who the referee is to this day because I don't want to name names, drop names, whatever. It was not Mark Curtis. And when I watched the playback, the dude was heavier. He got to his knees. He barely got the one count in before, like, our Dan either kicked out. And it, like, it kind of sucked the beginning of the matchup. I felt like if Brian was there, he'd been all over, like, move one. 
boom, won, and we shook hands. I felt like it would have, even though it still ended up being a pretty good match, I was so mad that the referee's timing was off. Like, you know, man, you, you fucked up our opening spot. Uh, I, again, I didn't get mad at him that night, but I could sense it. And then when I watched the playback on the, on the you know TV later, I'm like, man, that really did throw the timing off of what we were trying to accomplish, that we're both wrestlers. I'm this way, he's that way. We're going to show respect and then go and finish the next four or five minutes of the match at the Super Bowl, like you said, um, of professional wrestling back then. But um, I don't know that I didn't go to the locker room and go off on or anything like that, but it, it, it's sunk a little bit later. And even now, it still bothers me a little bit because I know what a great opportunity I had to wrestle that weekend with uh, Dan and to, uh, to, to be a part of the Smoky Mountain crew and represent us really good and all that but i haven't ever really like been hot hot at a referee and going to back and bitch moan and complain about it you know it's like i understood and try to understand that you know hey man we all got a job to do tonight you just didn't do your job you know kind of thing that's me though well let me ask you yeah. a question scott cornish um scott what was the maddest you've ever been at a referee in real life <laughs> well i Years years later, when I met Dick Worley, uh, he was one that I used to see growing up all the time watching WWF TV. And I don't know if I was seriously mad about it, but uh, it was probably 20 or 30 years later when I actually finally met him at the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in Amsterdam, New York. And I said, Mr. Worley, uh, there's something I always wanted to say to you, but never could. He said, oh, yeah, what's that? I said, he pulled the hair. How did he react to that? He laughed and asked me where the OGB was. <laughs> Dick Worley or Dick Kroll? Which referee would you take in your match? Really tall? Uh, really Gilberto Roman. Oh, that's Scott's favorite. <laughs> Gil Roman. That's the that, hey, Bobby. That's, if you have one guy on TV, Gil. Gilberto Roman, the one guy on TV that they would just openly mock. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, believe it or not, of all the referees out there, um, the very first referee I ever met in my life, it, it's a little known fact, I actually went to the Monster Factory because I'd seen an article in the uh, Sports Illustrator on Larry Sharp and Bam Bam. I called a number, took a couple days off work, and went up there. Get out of here. And the, first, the only referee, no, I did, straight shoot. Um, but anyway, I, the first referee I met was Dick Worley. Officially met was Dick Worley, but um, I you know, only met him for a brief time. I went to to a tryout, quote tryout at the Monster Factory. Uh, Charlie Fortin put me in a ring. Larry Sharp was over doing a little TV thing. Uh, where they used to have those um, like uh, you know New Jersey PM or New York PM or whatever it was a little show coming after your nightly news, and they was doing a special on the Monster Factory. He came over, spoke to me, and. Um, I had already spoke to Malenko's, and that's what I ended up choosing. But, uh, yeah, Dick Worley, the first time, I not that I was in the business, but um, and my uncle was so impressed because I came from Kentucky. I went to Baltimore, stayed on night, and then drove over to the Monster Factory the next day in New Jersey. And when I came home a couple of days later and told him who I met, he was like, Dick Worley, Dick Worley. He, went, he popped big time for Dick Worley. Um, he didn't say pull a hair or anything. But, uh, but anyway, that was the only time I ever encountered him that I know of. And, of course, my favorite referee, you know, I, as much as I love Nick Patrick and a couple other guys out there, uh, you know, Brian, Mark Curtis, you know, that's, that's my all-time favorite because, you know, me and him 
again, he he was a he, he was some a, a big big part of my early you know career, and um, so that's that that's my you know story. But yeah, Dick World, that's, that's funny that you say it to referee though. That's that's awesome, man. And uh, there's a guy who used to wrestle locally here, and, and he ended up being a referee here, and he went by Sandy. The blind referee McGee, and he had his big old thick coat bottle glasses, and we used to like him a lot because <laughs> he couldn't see shit with or without the glasses, and his timing was always a little bit off. And he was always he was always like a um, a good person to rib before I was in a business and after I was in a business because he really still didn't know. He was right on that edge of like, oh, I think I want to know the finish. You know, don't tell me anything else. You know, he still wanted to know who's going to win, even though he won. Or excuse me, he didn't want to know who's going to win or who's going to lose, even though he would know the finish. That's all he wanted to know. And he was such a fan. You see him in a corner sometimes. I have old VHSs or whatever. He's standing in the corner, like watching matches from like ICW uh, all the way through to when I had a little promotion down here. He's standing there like he's watching legitimately. You'll watch five matches and four of them. He's standing in the corner like watching the match. <laughs> so he was always fun to rim part, but he never, you know, it was just more of a local indie kind of wrestle or referee, you know, once, twice, three times a month at the most, you know. So I could give him some props, though. My favorite rep bump of all time was uh, one of Dennis's shows. There was a referee. I don't even know who he was. I never saw him on another show. He was there, and he took the bump in the corner, and then he feigned like he lost his contact lenses. And he's, like, feeling around on the mat for his contact lens. Meanwhile, the pinfall's there, and he's missing it. I had never seen it before. It was so clever. I don't know if I've ever seen it anywhere else since. I'm sure it's happened, and I just haven't seen it. But I always thought that was good. But before I heard Bix uh, was going to ask Bobby something, so let me go to Bix. Let me let me finish up one thing on that. Oh, here's the, here's one of the best things that we've done. Let me tell you what, what Handsome Ransom, he used to, this guy, he used to go by Handsome Ransom, Bill Smith, the American heartthrob. Big old heavyset white guy. And like I said, he was he became Sandy McGee, the blind referee. He wore those big, thick Coke bottle glasses. We had a little promotion. We, we had a show that would do about 50 people a month as free outdoors. And then we'd done a regular show about every two months. This is after Smoky Mountain has shut down. Cause I did, I did run some shows, Ashland being one of them. Um, you know, and, and you know, Brian came up and we used, you know, whatever local and we, we had Smoky Mountain guys, but, um, as it shut down and things went on, uh, got back from WCW, whatever, Sadie McGee, the blind referee, we did this spot. And one of the last shows the guy ever done, he had those big, thick coke block glasses, and he came up with it, and we done it. I was wrestling the guy, uh, Robbie Kellum, who ended up in you know the Maestro of Wrestling, the Stroh. Me and him wrestling. He goes for the count, the cover, one, two, and Sandy McGee accidentally like brushes his right hand against his glasses, knocks him off, stops the count. We got about 100 people at a pay show. They're all pretty much on top of you. He picks up the glasses. Hey, I kick out, okay, because he's from my hometown. And he looks up to the crowd and goes, oh, prescription ran out. <laughs> and the price popped. So he woke up. He dropped his glasses, one, two, stopped the count, picked up his glasses, looked at him about maybe a foot in front of his eyes, had his big bulging eyes. He can't play with his glasses, hold them up, no shit, guys. And he says, prescription ran out, and the place popped. And by that time, of course, I counted it. He put them on, one, two, three, and I go over on the ring. And But we had, we did it. We had it done. One of the last shows I ever ran with him as a referee, but but he was on his way out, and I was on my way to other things, and, and, and Stroh was on his way to other things. But it was it was a really good – it was a good gimmick. 
and, he, and, and it worked for that one night. But again, you had to know your audience. You know what I'm saying? So not to try to one up you looking for the the contact lens, but we did actually do pull the glasses off. The prescription ran out. Kick out. Reverse. One, two, three. <laughs> Bix, what, Bix, what uh, were you going to say before? I was going to tell her. I'm sorry. What were you going to say? <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah. Good, good job pretending you didn't interrupt yourself. Um, I was going to tell a stupid joke that doesn't feel like it would work anymore. Aww. I guess that means I have to say what it was, though. Yeah. Yeah. That is the hey, Bobby, have you ever gotten a dick whirly? <laughs> no context in which that joke works, Bix. I know. <laughs> is that Bowden? <laughs> you, you awake? <laughs> yeah. Bowden's not on the call. Oh no, Bowden is on the call. Bowden's on the call. Yes, Bowden. So you're getting doing it to if, me if, now. If, if 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 Bix keeps this up, I'm, I am leaving. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Bowden, there were so many awful referees in Memphis, specifically after Jerry Calhoun and Jerry Lawler had their falling out. And Jerry are you Calhoun taking a, are you are you taking a dig at me? I'm not taking a dig at you. You may have been one of the better ones. I've seen some. I mean, uh, the aforementioned TD Steele. I got to see him referee oh, live in Louisville. I got to, got to see Frank Morell. Who was who was the worst? And who were some of the worst? I can't say who was the very worst. Who were some of the worst referees you remember in Memphis? The, the one who pissed me off big time was Thomas Marlin, Eddie Marlin's brother, who they would bring in to refer, to, to officiate the World Championship matches. He would he would not really he would, I think referee more so often in in Louisville but if Nick Bockwinkle came into Memphis uh, if, Har- if Harley Race he refereed both the Harley Race matches in 1977 and he would count so damn slowly it was just like damn come on count count <laughs> and it was just I mean it just burned me up and it and it it sort of like even bothered me carrying over to uh, when I got into the business and I remember I went up to Eddie Marlin and I said. I said, you know, your brother Thomas, when he was refereeing, and he's like, uh-huh. I'm like, what was the deal with the with the count? You know, the slow, methodical count. And I expected like some kind of something, some kind of explanation or, or him to laugh it off. And he just goes, what are you talking about? He counted like any other referee. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yikes. Okay. Uh, How about Paul Nabry? Uh, well, yeah, that one really sucks because – that guy, first of all, he looks like he should have been a part of the ring crew, if that. Um, he was uh, somehow related to Jerry Jarrett, and he took my spot. And so, and and shortly after, you know, they they had to, they let me go refereeing for a while. They brought him in, and he got that that whole deal with Vince McMahon, that whole rub. That would have been my spot. Mm. <laughs> so the course of wrestling. I remember Frank Morrell. I just I was just. So you said not necessarily the, the overall worst, but as one of the, one of the worst. Could I ask you guys the opposite? Um, I've been in a ring with some great great referees. I feel, but when I first started Smoky Mountain, he had just finished up, and I never actually got to meet him. What about Tommy Young? What he great or not? I mean, can we? Is that are we going from extreme to extreme there? I'm just kind of mixing it up here with your story that someone goes, oh, he kind of like everyone else or all the other referees, you know? Well. Who was the best? If you go for a group survey, who's the worst and the best? Uh, Are you going for Dick Worley thing still? I mean, look, if you're going the best, most people would put Mark Curtis and Tommy. But they would put Tommy Young first, and they would put Mark Curtis on that list. And then it's where it varies. You know, a lot of people like Earl. Thank you. 
I've never been an Earl yeah. Hebner guy. Uh, it's just me. You know who I actually liked? And I feel like no one ever says he was a good referee. Joey Morella. I actually liked him as a referee. He almost blew WrestleMania 3. What do you mean he almost blew WrestleMania 3? <laughs> who, he counted? Ventura? <laughs> he counted 3. <laughs> when, when Hogan went for the first slam. He didn't count 3. He did too. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, uh, he was good, yes. For, for, yeah, that, for I, that product, he was definitely good. I wanted to hear what you said, though. Mark Curtis, but then you said, you know, Tommy, and then so you had to probably go Tommy, then, then, then yeah. Mark Curtis. Well, that's Young me. Then after that, it's the open field. Tommy Young kind of That's what I was asking. That's what I was asking. Thank you. Well, yes, that's what uh, I was asking. Yes. I have, I have some strong opinions about this. Uh, first of all, you know, being a former official myself, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> Tommy Young, I, I'm, I'm sort of split on uh, because I, I liked him most of the time, but occasionally. It, he would get a little too involved and it was almost, but it was often in Flair's matches. It seemed like Flair would kind of goad him into like doing a little bit more like, uh, you know, the whole shoving routine that Flair would do. And uh, it, sometimes Tommy, I thought was a bit overly expressive with, with, uh, with his face. I mean, you want that from a referee, you want him reacting in the right way to, to different things, but sometimes it was a little thick, but I, I love the way he counted. It, you know, it's just so smooth the way you just do that slide and that count. And I, I, I did my best, and I thought that I looked like Tommy Young. And the first couple of times when I got back home after seeing myself referee, I was like, wow, I got a lot of work to do. Because uh, he, he just he was just so fluid in doing it. Uh, one referee who I think is uh, – you mentioned him earlier, uh, Bobby, and I just, I just don't get it. I think he's horrible is Nick Patrick. Oh, I think he's just one of the worst referees ever. I hate that. I hate that count that he does. It's like he puts his elbow on the mat and then, and then does the soft counts with his I arm. think the reason I mentioned him because I got along with him. I liked him. But also, um, he used to, you know, he'd done the TV for like the Super Clash and those things. So prior to actually getting in, I'd already had a kind of like, I kind of already pre- preconceived I liked him. You know what I'm saying? So that that was personally and professionally. But yeah, I think Tommy Young, and but what you're saying about like on a flare match is the the difference of the uh, the push or whatever the uh, oversell or what have you with it. That was one of the things I think Mark Curtis he kept it right at the right amount of match involvement when people do, his reactions. That's where he may have had Tommy just a little bit. I think um, even though I agree Tommy's number one, he set the standard. Mark Curtis is like right there with. When he's in that match, he's so involved. He's he he knew exactly where to take it to. I can't disagree that that Nick, I'm not putting Nick Patrick third, but in many by any means, I'm just saying personally and professionally, I got along with the guy and I liked him. But uh, Joey was great and for that product. WWF at that time, you know, I, he was great for that product. You know, so it depends. Dick Worley's another one because you know you got people from the Northeast there that that saw that product early that I didn't see. That you know, that's the name reference that even my uncle like he popped big time. Like you met Dick Worley, you know. Here's an older guy that's been a, right, a lifelong wrestling fan. And when I was like up there, and he, I told him a few people I'd met, he's like, "Really, Dick Worley?" You know, because like, he was still marking that pre K Fave, you know, uh, broken K Fave or whatever. Um, he was like pop for 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 Dick Worley, you know. So and then it, you mentioned Ab, uh, Ab, what do you say, Earl Hebner? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of guys you could mention, but the, but I like what you're saying about. If that's the way you feel about Nick, that's fine. 
I was already a fan of his before I met him, well, and then I got to know him personally. I still liked him. I guess why I was getting but, that. That's my reason. But how many other how many other referees can you say almost single handedly destroyed a company <laughs> with with his count at Starcade? Yeah, I mean, but, yeah, but he had bad knees anyway. Nick had bad knees. That wasn't a blown dude. count, though. Yeah, Hogan yeah. had him do it. Oh, oh, had him do it? That was not the finish he, he was given? He finally admitted that um, like a year or two ago. But, uh, admitted what? That Hogan? That Hogan basically yeah, told him to but, do it, and he felt like Hogan was the guy with the real power. Uh, well, and he was right. <laughs> he was right. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but look where that, look, yeah, but look where that got him. Is, that's my point. I mean, if he had done the correct finish, I mean, you know, uh, I'm not saying that that would have necessarily, that that that's what put them on the downhill slide. The yeah, and he still got a job with WWF for years or WWE or whatever you want to say. Well, I mean, so yeah, well, yeah, I, I, your point I, is I guess he did well for himself, but he, but he destroyed WCW. You're, you're, a lot of people absolutely. blame different people for killing WCW. You blame Nick Patrick. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, think I'm just saying Nick had bad knees. It, well, it's hard again, to get down fast and count. And, 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 but come on, like you said, what, what, you're what blaming is, one person. What is, what is, what is he, Bronco Lubitsch? I mean, come on. I mean, I don't. <laughs> some people blame the TBS exec. Some people blame Bischoff. No. But the Nick Patrick. Patrick angle is one that's rarely looked at and evaluated. Yes. I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. I'm, I'm working oh, on man. a very com- comprehensive piece on this about Nick Patrick. Oh. <laughs> Put WCW literally down for the three count. At this point, I'm going to say hello to a friend of the show who's out there listening, I'm sure. Scott Dickinson, another great referee from WCW. Uh, He's out there listening. Hello, Scott. You'll be back on the oh, show. Scott was a great guy, man. What a great guy good he was. Guy. Yes, or he is, I'm sure. Yeah, he's, good he's guy. He's alive, yes. <laughs> he's still out there, and he's still a good yeah. guy. But uh, Well, I missed that. When I knew him, he was a really good guy. I had just forgotten slip of the mind there. But I'm, I hadn't heard that name for a while, so good deal, man. Hello, Scott. Cool. I, I think everyone that I like the most has probably been mentioned other than uh, Charles Robinson. I think he's good. Yeah, there he's man. Can I just briefly say, I, I, I want to say this. Charles Robinson was in Charlotte the night I had my tryout. He was having his tryout. And um, Charles Robinson may very well be to this day, and I just saw him like maybe three years ago up in Charleston, West Virginia. What a pleasant. I'm so happy for his success. He, I know he just got back from Japan. Charles Robinson may be one of, if not the hardest working guys in the WWE today. Dude, yeah. that guy, he, he does it all. And what let me tell you this, on a personal, professional level, he is a top-notch human being, man, father, referee, friend, um, fan of the business. That guy is first class. Scott Robinson, man, I, I'm going to put him at number three right there. I'll be signed Tommy because Tommy was his idol, if I'm not mistaken. I've got to put Mark second. And then, I mean, I, I know Flair's his main man, you know, the little mates there. So I'm just saying as referees, Charles, but Charles, I'll put him, that's my number three hands down right there. Well, so I'm you, glad you uh, brought his name up. I love Charles Robinson. So, okay. yeah, what a so great you, guy. The way you put him over, that- I'm going to guess you owe him money or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't, you know what? He follows me on Twitter. He follows me on Instagram. I follow him. And um, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, as, 
if if I owed him money, I'd, I'd go rob someone. I'd beat up an old lady. I'd, I, I'd do what I have to do. And I'd say, this money's going to charge Robinson. Because I would not want to owe him money because I have too much love and respect for him. So, so no, I, I say that out of kindness, love, and respect for the wrestling business and also as a human being. Charles Robinson's top-notch first-class, you know, right there in the heart of a human being. But what a great guy. Are you saying, are you saying, are you, motherfucking son of a bitch. you said you were going to beat up an old lady, and here she is. You motherfucker, motherfucker, Miss Spencer, I damn fuck you to your eyeballs pop out, Miss Spencer. Fuck you. You son of a bitch, you. I hope you die in the next 30 minutes, you motherfucking bastard. I'm just 29 minutes left, you fucking douche foam. I'm dying 20 minutes. You fucking son of a bitch. You didn't even know my mother. How do you know she's a bitch? Fuck you. I'll die in 27 minutes. You, I'll, I'm going to die in 27 minutes for you. Who are you <laughs> and what do you want? <laughs> I want to smoke pussy, bitch. <laughs> well, uh, where, where do we go from here? That is the next question. Uh, I'm going to put Charles Robinson over to fucking Miss Spencer. That's where we go. <laughs> hey, Bix, uh, any referees that you think deserve notation here as we're talking about some of the best referees? Uh, that weren't mentioned already? Yeah. Uh, Scrappy McGowan? I really shouldn't do that either. Yeah, that's exactly. Um, hold on, hold on. Let's, uh, let's match that up. Yeah. <laughs> Nah, no, that one, it was it was better. less modulated. The other than that. one's better. It also goes on longer. That's the whole reason why this is possible. A tone. No. Just imagine Bruce and Brody getting off the airplane in Japan. The new one you're doing, I like a lot better than the old one. But anyway, ah! uh, what, Bix, <laughs> what referees uh, have we uh, left out? What about J Japan? What referees do you think are the best Japanese referees? Do you like uh... Red Shoes, the current New Japan referee? No. Why? What about uh, Duke Kiyomuka? Well, I like... What? <laughs> <laughs> I like the way the Red Shoes get stuff over, but... I... I... <laughs> I don't know why you brought Duke Kiyomuka there. I don't know why it cracked me up so much. We're talking about a modern Japanese referee. And you dropped Duke Kiyomuka into the conversation. What? He... <laughs> One of the most famous referees ever. He found David Von Erich dead. I mean, it's... You know, it's what? What? That's Joe Higuchi. <laughs> was oh, Duke oh, right, right. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> Duke Kiyomuka's Pat Tanaka's dad. <laughs> Sorry. One of the most famous As you said, one of the most famous referees of all time. <laughs> oh, let me ask you a question then. Since I mentioned Patanaka. Yeah. Scott, were you working refereeing the match or at least at working on the card where Patanaka threw up in Eric Gimri's face? No, uh, -uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, was not there. Which I've always because I've always wondered if that was a planned spot or not. Because uh, Eric Gimbrey blows <laughs> green at him, and then Pat Tanaka throws up on him. Uh, in Memphis, there's no telling. <clears throat> I don't know about this. What, what's the story with this? Bix? There's a match in Memphis in 92-ish where Eric Embry blows green mist to Pat Tanaka, and then Pat Tanaka throws up on him. Oh, that must have been a planned spot then. I would hope so. That also, work. it's Embry, yeah, yeah. Embry, who's done puking spots before. So is Tanaka known for his weak stomach? <laughs> Tanaka is known for a lot of things. I don't oh, think that's one of them. Only when he eats a large amount of cocaine. 
You know, it's funny. There's an interview <laughs> that I know I, we've talked about it before, and it's on YouTube. It's from the USWA Smoky Mountain for you in 1995, and it's Team Smoky Mountain. It's Brian Hildebrand. It's Terry Gordy, Buddy Landell, Robert Gibson, Tracy Smothers, who's great, and Pat Tanaka, who had nothing to do with Smoky <laughs> Mountain at all. And the interview is labeled like the highest, drunkest wrestling promo of all time. It is not even close to that, except for Pat Tanaka. You see him. He's all in black. He's got his sunglasses on. He's sweating. He's the only guy there. It looks like he's having a party. I've known Pat Tanaka way back when from Tampa. I have party with Pat Tanaka. I've seen Pat Tanaka talk to him, hung out with him. Other than, believe it or not, not in Smoky Mountain. I'm talking down in Florida. I'm talking when he was up on TV for WCW and Indies. And I'm going to say this. And I saw when he was in WWE when I was up in Canada, my first territory. I already knew it from Florida. We ran into him because they come into town. While we was out of town, we come in. We hooked up the bar later on that evening. Some of the crew did. I don't think Pat Locke has a fucking weak stomach. I think he can go all night long. They had to be a planned spot. I, I know what you're talking about with the uh, – Hey, he like you said, man, it, not a knock on Pat, but uh, if he does, when he done interview, it's hard telling what Pat's done with the sunglasses. Like I've been up fucking partying on my, he probably had for days. Hey, hey Bobby, <laughs> did, hey Bobby, did did you work? I, I know you worked with Lawler and Smoky Mountain. Did you work with him in Memphis? No, I didn't. Um, I I had I was during the time I was begging to go to Memphis. And actually, uh, Robert, I ran into Robert Fuller down in uh, Tampa, uh, Tampa at St. Petersburg at a gym. Uh, I, I talked to Pat Locke. He's like, Bobby, you want to go to Memphis now? I can help hook you up. Oh. I, I, I want to go somewhere. You know, I don't know if he had that pouring up. And I was working for uh, Tuesday night sportatorium for him. And uh, long story short, uh, I didn't go to Memphis. The, the next, when I did finally have that chance, uh, Jimmy was hooked me up with Randy Hales, and I, I was talking to him backstage at the Smoky Mountain shows. And Jimmy's going to be, you know, give me three or four months off as one of the things. You got to go somewhere, can't stay. Here's some opportunities. But when I talked to Randy at that time, uh, some things were going on personally. It just wasn't beneficial for me financially to go out there because I was making, you know, more money five minutes from my home at a gym. Right. Versus, in fact, Tracy Smothers had offered me a place to stay out there, you know, above Nashville. He said, you know, here's a good spot for you, you know. Uh, but the other thing was at that time, the Bruce brothers had been out there. They did a 10-day run. They said their money was off. I had seen Candido's check. He, he had written out all the dates, all the things he had done way, like two years before that. I'm like, fuck, how'd you make it, you know, because um, yeah. he's a heel out there working, and I saw that. But but I at that time, once I got that little bit of a break, or I should say big break with, with Smoky Mountain, when it, the time did come and I had to speak with Randy Hales and had some connection, experience, and all that, it just wasn't beneficial for me financially to go work that territory. Looking back, do I regret it? No, but do I wish I would have done it? Absolutely, I wish I went. If I went when I was talking to Robert, I wasn't ready. When I was talking to Pat down at, you know, I worked every Tuesday at Sportatorium in Tampa, I was ready. But by the time I had that experience of going to South Africa, going to Australia, and those places, and I, I got my trial, uh, I worked for Bobby Fulton. I'd already talked to Jimmy Cornette, been talking to him for like nine months at the time. He's seen my taste picture, et cetera. Went back to Canada one more time. By the time Jimmy gave me a job, a year and a half later or whatever it was when I was talking to Randy, the bottom line was it just wasn't worth it for me to go out there 
financially. Experience, exposure, all that would have been great. But, but you know, uh, if you're no, not, you know, first you learn to work, and then you learn to make money. At that point, I was learning to make money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I made a decision like I didn't get to work Memphis. No, I had an op- I was begging for an opportunity. It didn't happen. When the opportunity came, it was already too late for me to accept that 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 opportunity. So. Yeah. Well, I think you would have loved it, except for the money. <laughs> yes, I do too. I, I absolutely, because that's my favorite territory. That's what I grew up on. Um, the guys, the talent, the style. You know, other than the money, I agree. I'd have been there ninety-eight percent. You know, other than money, um, I didn't take those fucking long trips and and hangovers and stayovers and and, and taking and rainy was like you know most of the baby faces. You know, make the money at the clinic tables, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, what a fucking great opportunity. But it just still, I was like, eh, you know, wasn't the right time. Hey, and there's God. a rhyme and reason for everything, but no regrets. All right, well, no regrets. Let's not, not regret anything here. I'm going to add one more person here to the call. We may have uh, another person after this, but let me add this person. He was not going to be a part of this, but he was a late addition. He got in touch and said he was, in fact, available. And now we're adding him to the line, a very popular guest and co-host on the program are you there new person no he's not we'll wait a few more seconds Let wow you're, you're really building hello there he is howard baum welcome to holiday star wars here on the super podcast here he is what an esteemed panel it's my honor <laughs> well, on, yeah, i'm sure on the panel right now you have with you the wrestling humorist scott cornish of course david bixenspan scott bowden Bobby Blaze, myself, and now you. Wow, what an esteemed panel. I describe myself. Hello, Howard. Huh? Hey. What were you saying, Scott? I said I describe myself as steamed at this point, not esteemed. Steamed. <laughs> <laughs> Howard, Howard, let me ask you the question we've asked everyone so far. You're in South Florida. Jeff Baldwin was on a little bit earlier, so we heard what he had to say. What is the right. hottest actual show you attended in terms of temperature? Not a problem because, um, as I was just explaining to Count Grog himself today, Greg Mosterjack, um, Tampa and Miami seemed to be like the two major towns, and uh, it was the other places that were the sweat boxes. Like Eddie Graham's place looked really uncomfortable, you know, and I never made any of the spot shows or anything like that. So I, I really. Probably a show at the Davy Rodeo Arena because it was just outdoors and muggy. But uh, nope, nothing exciting to uh, to share there. All right, well, thanks for joining us today. Hope everyone's well, <laughs> and uh, I wish you the best in future endeavors. Uh, I'm, looking, I, uh, I'm looking forward to your appearance on episode 88, the Lost episode. Oh boy, really? Yeah, really. It's my fault. You know what? I, I'm without going into too much detail. I'm having an editing block issue because there's a couple of things oh. I have to figure out how to edit. One of them, actually, Howard, involves you. And it's because you and I had this long conversation about this. I don't even know what to call it. This argument between Roy Lusher and this guy. Right. I guess it's several guys from this WWF Facebook group who claim that Roy took credit for discovering the Spiros Arion video when they deserve the credit for discovering it. Although Roy didn't really take credit for discovering it. I just said, Roy, you put it up, come on the show and talk about it. And that's kind of what you and I talked about. 
And then literally, like, within two hours of the recording ending, Roy got in touch with me and the other guys got in touch with me and I got more of the story and, like, almost everything we talked about was negated and reversed. And it was just like, what Uh. do I do with this fucking segment now? Because so much of it's changed. So I'm debating what to do about that right now. But basically, for those of you who don't know, uh, we had Roy Lucher on episode 87. He had posted a video of Spiros Arion's heel turn on Bruno San Martino. Footage had been found. It appears to be 8mm film shot of the television in uh, the 70s when it happened. And the footage went up. Someone got a copy of it, sent it to Roy. Roy posted it on YouTube for people to see. The people who put it up, I guess, originally on Facebook, when I say originally, you know, as far as it's not their video. They got a copy of it. They uploaded right. it. Kind of the <laughs> but, they still want, but, 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 but they still want credit. Well, they want, and, and by the way, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think it's wrong well, to say, hey, I discovered this or I uploaded it. Give me credit. I don't think that necessarily is wrong. I'm not saying that means they own the rights to anything or, or anything else. I don't think that's wrong. I mean, if you discover it, maybe deserve to have that said. Sure. Them and Roy went back and forth, and it got stupid. I think they shut down Roy's YouTube channel. They shut down another YouTube channel where a guy had uploaded classic content. Then they were it got in. stupid. And then they at were some t- point. It, at some point, it got stupid. Yeah, well, it, it was stupid the whole fucking time, and I don't well, think right. And I, and, and I feel bad that Roy got in the middle of it because I don't think he did anything wrong. I asked Roy to come on the show to talk about it because I saw he uploaded it, and all of a sudden these guys went crazy on Roy, and Roy didn't back down. Once they started attacking Roy, Roy's attitude, and I don't blame him for this, was "fuck you, you're gonna fuck with me, I'm gonna tell you to go fuck with, go fuck yourself right back." And then they, it was just two sides going at it. And then Roy got in touch with whoever Roy found the original source. And I don't know if Roy got to the original source or Roy knew someone who knew the original source. But next thing you know, Roy has all eight DVDs of where this content came from. And now he's just uploading it freely because he's like, you know, in his eyes, fuck you. Don't fuck with me. I don't fuck with you. And that's where we're at. So that's one of the issues I'm having with the show is editing Figuring out that, and now that I've discussed it here, I you know may make my decision easier. And then there's another thing I have to figure out. But other than that, the the Fumi Saito interview uh, is fucking fantastic. It's a history of Japanese wrestling, the likes of which most podcasts have never had. He's just he's a fantastic guest. He knows his stuff, and it's really fun. The Jeff Walton segment's great. The top ten's great. It'll be out very soon. I actually now I'm holding it back until after Star Wars because it doesn't make sense to drop it within a day or two of Star Wars. So this will come out on Wednesday and then episode 88. Hopefully we'll be out within a few days of that. And then episode 89 is so ready. Basically, does, through the law this... of attrition, the problem is with the co-host is what you're saying. What I meant to say is uh, <laughs> I wish you the best in your future endeavors, as I said earlier. <laughs> oh, hey, you were great. It, you were... It, it, is this the one you originally had me lined up to do and then you had to get Howard? Is that? <laughs> well, I mean, I tell you every show I have you live. Oh, so, I know you're going to be busy. So petty. So petty when they try to climb their way up to the mountaintop. But, but let me ask that. everyone else their thoughts because we'll discuss it now. And Howard, you were a part of the original conversation with the idea that some of that may or may not get on the air now. That every, Literally, within hours of us recording that, everything in the story went like the other way. And then Roy discovered all the footage. And it was like, what? what do I do with this now? I just recorded. 25 minutes with Howard debating this, but what do you guys think, <laughs> everyone else on the line, about if someone discovers something like this, if someone finds some 8 millimeter footage of a classic wrestling thing and they upload it to Facebook, 
if someone else takes that and uploads it to YouTube, is there a responsibility to give credit to the person who originally, not necessarily discovered it, but the person who originally uploaded it? Uh, who are who, who, wait, who are you asking first? Anybody? Or well, you... jump in. You jumped in, so go ahead. Uh, yeah. Um. You know, <laughs> it's just weird because because I, I was away. You know, I, I was away from like wrestling fans for about three years, and <laughs> and then and then came back, and I I just I'd sort of forgotten just how uh, silly uh, these these feuds can erupt in Facebook groups and <laughs> yes. things like that. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. And and you and gosh, uh, Brian, you know that we've had some, or at least I've had some battles with with a certain guy who uh, owns owns a lot. Of, well, he's acquired a lot of Memphis footage, right? And Doesn't he's cleaned own up. shit. Well, no, no, let's Does, be very, okay, very clear uh, yeah, right here. Okay, okay, there are certain all right, yeah, people who yeah. sell videos, some of them may be Memphis, and they may be well-meaning, I'm not saying anything <laughs> about that, but they don't own the rights to fucking shit. And by yeah. the way, you also don't own the rights to any of the other television shows or music shows or music videos or the publishing rights to any of the music on any of those shows or in any of those videos that you're also selling. So get off anyone's back like Scott Bowden, who's actually promoting your shit, you dumb fuck. Anyway, Can I, to be clear, this is a certain person in Georgia. No, is it? Who is it? Uh, is it that guy over at the '80s TV channel, or no, the other no. one, the okay. '60s one? Yeah, he's in Georgia. What are you talking about? Is he in Georgia? Yeah, yes. he's in he's in Georgia. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> we've really tap danced around this one. Hold on, uh, the guy dedicating everything to Memphis history lives in Georgia. Well, no, he he's a displacement. I don't think he's originally from Georgia, though. No, he he was. I think from, there's two people. I think you're talking about one guy who puts his name on it, like he came up with it, like he's a producer of it. So and so productions that's on YouTube, and then there's the other guy who sells really high quality, excellent looking stuff from a particular decade that will go unnamed, apparently. But it's really cool stuff. No, I, but as far but, as the rights, as far as the rights, may I just say I believe in transparency. Like if you're going to write an article. Name everything about it. Say the photographer, the building, the writer, and everyone's happy. Like my friend so-and-so hooked me up with this guy and that guy. What is wrong with complete transparency? Yeah, if you, or, if you, or, tra- or transparency, is it? <laughs> yeah, if yeah, if you can. I mean, in in the wrestling business, I think it's a little tougher sometimes. I mean, and I've always tried to correct and and update my sources accordingly. But sometimes I and I view stuff that that I don't know. Uh, and I've had people just totally rip, you know, paragraphs from my articles, and they Mike you Lano. know. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And submit it to uh, Stu, Stu, uh, Stu Sachs over yo, yo, yo. at what's up, what's up, what's up? Uh, over at Pro Wrestling <laughs> Illustrated. And then, you know, uh, it's just uh, and he and he totally denies it until he learns that I'm on the on the line listening in. And that's the only. Oh, yeah. Well, I read your article and it was just kind of like, you know, by osmosis. It was so wonderful that I you know, on a on a subconscious <laughs> level, I, I I typed it exactly right. the way you did. By osmosis. Uh, but some of these guys, some of these guys are just, uh, they're, they're, I don't know. Um, it's, it's weird. Uh, I, I don't know what Roy, was Roy saying that he was the one no, who, no. okay. Here's the only thing that could possibly be an issue. And I haven't gone back and listened in a while, but I may have said, Roy, this footage has been discovered. You put it up. It may have been the way I worded it, but Roy never represented to me off air or I believe on air that he was in any way like you know part of this grand discovery he just uploaded it right and was there to talk about it who said no who just said no not me but as far as like the duty or whatever 
I think it can hurt, but you should, I feel like on YouTube, especially if it's WWE, though, you should only give them credit if they're not using their real name just to be safe. Because you don't want to feel like you're narking on anyone. Well, that's the other thing, too, because then they start saying, like, you know, we own the footage, we have the rights to the footage, or some variation of that argument for anyone who's going to go, that's not what we said. It was some variation of, you know, we have the footage, and Roy was like, well, actually, the WWE owns the footage. You have no right to file a claim for the footage. It's WWE footage. You just happen to film it when it was on TV. So it just mm-hmm. it just created <laughs> just silliness, like I said. Right, right. Um, but, but the, but the but, people who first uh, uploaded it to Facebook, they were not the ones who discovered it, right? They just they were just the first ones to put it out on social media. Yes, and and they're the ones who want some kind of. Uh, gold star or well, they will <laughs> and again like i said i don't For think what? that's necessary they well here's if, the thing if, I, if you if you went and you let's just say let's give an example like this let's just say you went and you traded tapes with someone and you got some footage and for whatever reason, the person who sent it to you didn't realize it was something special. So you go, holy shit, I'm going to go cut this up and I'm going to go put this on my Facebook page. You do that. Two minutes later, someone pulls it down. They send it to someone else. That person doesn't know the whole story and goes, oh shit, I'm going to upload this. They go upload it. You wouldn't be a little bit annoyed that, oh, you know, come on. I mean, that was all me. I'm the one who discovered it. I'm the one who put it up. I'm playing devil's advocate here, but this is what I think the argument is. If I put it on Facebook, I wouldn't care though, unless I explicitly said not to share it. I don't know if they said that or not. It was in a, their Facebook group, which I believe is a private group. And it was from there that the footage got out and got to Roy. Does Roy have an obligation to give credit to them, even though he, at that point, had no idea who they were? <laughs> I mean, if, if they want credit given to who? The Facebook group? That's where it started. They got mad because they thought Roy was taking credit for discovering this. No, but who do they think the credit should actually be given to? That we're talking about here. (laughs) They want credit for discovering the footage. The Facebook group. I don't know. But they weren't, though. They were were just the ones who posted it, right? Right. So, I don't know. That's that's weird. But, but, well... I, I, but it, it, to your point about the guy in and and in Georgia whose whose footage I've used, you know, I've written articles about that guy. I've plugged his stuff dozens of times, but occasionally I, I might forget to, uh, to to mention his name in a post, and you know, he would just get increasingly agitated. And then I used to, and then the the kicker was when I, we used a screenshot of his for one of our uh, early episodes, oh, just yeah, because it was it was. A, yeah, it was just a perfect shot of Lance rolling his eyes during one of Bearcat Wright's interviews. It just it just accomplished like epitomized everything that Lance was so great at. You know, you, you can just tell right there that Bearcat is going on and on, and Lance is just you know reacting accordingly, and it's just perfect. And I was just shocked. He goes, he goes, you know what? I don't I don't want you using any more of my stuff. Period. And I went, I didn't. He goes, what about your post last night? And I went, what? He goes, the screenshot. And I went. Dude. It's a screenshot. Come on. I said, do you want credit for the screenshot? And he's like, no, but well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, maybe I do. And it just got this back and forth. I said, you know what, man? Let's just part ways. <laughs> How much is he paying the publishing companies for all the music on those DVDs he's putting in the professional little commercial packages and selling? <laughs> I think we all know the answer. Stay in your fucking lane, behave yourself, and you owe Scott Bound an apology.
Well, I just think I just think as wrestling fans, we should we should share a lot of this stuff as it comes to light. There's a lot of stuff out there that we that we don't even know. I mean, you know, Brian, I shared that stuff with you uh, that I think maybe uh, Jim Blake and Jimmy Hart are sitting on some of the state WHBQ stuff, the back and forth with Lawler and Dusty Rhodes. I mean, I had never seen that before. Uh, So as, as fans, I mean, I just think, you know. We discover it. We share it. We try to give credit when we can. If there's an oversight, we try to correct it. Uh, but we're all in this together. You know, we're all trying to to find whatever footage we can that we thought was lost and, and we might never see. That's the thing. I can the set some light on the Jimmy Hart thing. Hold on, Bix. One, one second, yeah. Bix. That's the thing. The footage emerged, and I was so delighted that the footage was out there that I wanted to talk about it. And it went from us being delighted the footage was out there to. These guys screaming, it was us! It was me! I did it! Like, get the fuck out of here. I'm sorry. But they weren't. They were they, they were just the first ones to post it to social media. But and I and maybe they should get a mention. But but you more had Roy on there just to talk about the angle itself, right? And well, because Roy uh, uploads lots of footage, so it was a part yeah, of it. Yeah, it was of course. Of a few yeah. discussions. It was a part about WWF. WWE, excuse me, pulling down footage they actually don't own the rights to. It was a part of different things. Yeah. Roy's very involved and active to this day in what would be considered the modern tape trading community, I sure. guess. Yeah. Yeah. His perspective would be interesting to get. And uh, it is interesting. Uh, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, those guys can go fuck themselves. <laughs> well, you see, if it was a Memphis well, wrestling no. group, he wouldn't have said that. But because it's the well, Northeast. That, dude, there, was, there was less controversy about the Zeb Reuter footage than there is about this. I mean, yeah, really? Uh, yay. Hey, I'll tell well, you, you know, what, guys. Like, I'll tell you what. Hold on. Before you say anything, our pal Bobby Blaze, noted author and raconteur Bobby Blaze, has to leave the show in a second. He has other commitments. Bobby, any last words? Yes, you know what? Thank you all so much. It's great to be back of the podcast that says, fuck those guys, the great 605. I love you guys to death. You know, uh, you know what can I say? I'm a friend, an occasional listener of the show. Okay, well, Mark, I listen about all of them. And I'm so happy to be, I'm so happy for Brian and the entire, you know, Arcadia Vanguard, uh, you know, podcast family. That's awesome. I hope everyone does have a safe and awesome, you know, 4th of July. Um, guys, thanks for me back. But, I didn't want to, I'm off Facebook because of all the controversy of other things. I'm on Twitter at Bobby Blaze 744. Um, and, and that's personal reason, not professional or anything uh, on the Facebook. But yeah, I Bobby can see what things get caught up on that. Video and then those guys yelled at him, so he got off Facebook. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's the whole deal. But anyway, what I was going to say is, as a published author, you know, you can find my books, Pin Me, Pay Me, um, Have Beautiful Travel, or you can find the Educational Wrestler, my short story, Seasons, Fucking Greetings. All those things were Amazon, but but as a published author, and then, then I think whoever said it, Howard or whoever was talking about you know having your articles published, you know there there are you're crossing a really fine line. You guys, I thought it was a good good argument about it. It can go either way. When that stuff goes out there, who knows? But I do think credit needs to be given where credit's due. If someone takes a paragraph off of an article or a, a, a story you've written and they and they put it back out there, you. you that's really touchy, and and I think Facebook and YouTube and those things. But I do think give credit where credit's due, as far back as you possibly can. But if you don't own it, you know at least put over. Hey, 
this is from Bobby Blaze's book, or this is from so-and-so's article, or this is from so-and-so's YouTube page, or this is from Memphis, I don't own the rights, or technically, like you were saying, Roy said, this technically WWE owns the rights or whatever, but, but you don't want people stealing your shit. But also it's nice to be recognized that, hey, you know what? I may have found it in someone's attic. I'm the one that found it. I put it up there. Does that mean I own it? I own that particular eight millimeter I may have found in someone's attic or basement. But do I own that footage? No, because I recorded it off of WWF back in whatever, 1960 or whatever. So technically, that person knows it. If Howard puts it out there, Roy puts it out there, Brian puts it out there, he should say, you know, Bobby found this in his fucking uncle's basement or whatever, but here it is. And then at that point, it goes forever. To that person, can say, you know what? For example, Roy, he can say, I got this from Brian, who got it from Bobby. At that point, it becomes so trickle down. You know what? Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, gone? this is quite a segue. <laughs> what happened? Okay. Well, I do concur with Bobby. I do concur with Bobby. I will yeah. say, where's well, Brian? Because listen, well, it's like on um, you know this apparently uh, a segment that may or may not air. What I was telling Brian in this episode eighty-eight, like it was piggybacked on the subject, is like credit for this and that in the wrestling world. And I don't know why people are so loath to give credit where what does it cost to like give somebody else the rub? Like I got this from somewhere. I, you know, like a lot of magazines, yeah. if you yeah. notice, they, they, it's like they begrudgingly use a photographer's name. It's like they have to, by some writ of law, I have had to like break out the microscope to find my name. And it's like the entire article is my photos for a two page spread and then some hack comes in there and puts some words together. Mm-hmm. And at the top, it's like, will Dusty ever survive? Three-inch letters by Mike O'Hara. Then at the bottom, sideways of a photo in microscopic <laughs> print is photo Howard Brown. Yeah. You know, I never got that. Like, promote everybody. This is the This is the analogy I have on that, which I told Brian last time, is wrestling is a finite pizza pie. And everybody wants their name on a pepperoni. That's my – I'm that green pepper over there. I'm the guy that trades tapes. That's my zucchini. I'm the crushed um, sausage. I'm the I'm the photographer. You know, like everyone has their little lane and their, their little gimmick, you know? And that's great, but why can't – the pie is finite. So if you've done something in wrestling, no matter what it is, just say what it is. I'm an indie guy. I was never on TV, period. I'm a photographer. I was never in the A and the B magazines. I was in the C ones and some international ones. Whatever. Say the fucking – why do you have to aggrandize yourself and cut other people out? It's a finite pie, and at this time, all the dust in professional wrestling is settled. By this time, if you're going to do something, you would have done it by now. So <laughs> like stick with what you were. Scott lived the dream. I lived the dream. A lot of people did a lot of cool things, and if you didn't – don't proclaim yourself to have done that. And if somebody gives me something, I'm more than happy to say, oh, my friend Joe Schmo gave me this rare photo, this rare video, and right. this is where I got it from. Because, um, I mean, there's not even they're not even arguing over money. It's Vincent K. McMahon Sr.'s money that they're talking about. Like, I don't even get it. Well, and if it's if it's if it's it's about name value, they're gonna know your name for what you do. And if you never did anything, they're not going to know your name. Hence, if Roy said these guys' names who nobody ever heard of, so what? Because yeah. just appease them, and what does it even matter? Because 
if you do enough things, people will know your name. And if you don't do enough things, people are not going to know your name. And that's every level of the business. So if you've been around long enough and you've done things, if you think you're going to get famous or get anything off of discovering one video in a 50-year career, what does it even matter? Give the guy the credit. Okay, this guy says, so here's his name in print. Who cares? Yeah. Well, uh, in my case, I went to a Mid-South Coliseum group. You know, and it was like 5,000 people. And, you know, I assumed that, that, I, that I would be welcome there. And I noticed my first time on the board that the guy had uh, a quote that I'd gotten that I'd hustled to get the day after it was the day Jack Briscoe died. And Lawler was at Monday Night Raw and he was the first world champion that Lawler faced in Memphis. You know, I, and I, got, you know, called Lawler, got the quote, wrote the article that night. And, this guy had lifted like sections of it and and posted it like it was his own. And I said, Oh, it's nice to be here in the group. Um, uh, and I'm flattered that you would use my work without credit crediting me. And I, and I did it in a very smart ass kind of tone and almost lighthearted. Um, and the guy just goes, you're banned. How dare you come in here and shit in your, oh my and, God. Shit, and shit in your own nest. And I said, I was like, I'm having trouble following you. And he <laughs> your goes, own nest. I love he goes, it. He goes, he goes, that quote doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Lawler. And I go, yeah, but who do you think got the quote? And he goes, yeah, but Lawler said, he goes, he goes, but Lawler said it. And I go, yeah, he said it to me in an interview that I got. And he goes, but how can you own that quote? It, it comes from Lawler's mouth. And I go, no, it didn't come from Lawler's mouth. It came from my computer. It came from stuff that I had written. He goes, you were just merely quoting him. I said, so I get, I do the work, I hustle, I write the article, I put it up, you do your research, which is copying and pasting, and the quote now just belongs to the universe? And he goes, yes. <laughs> wow. And you I was like, what? well, there's this, no arguing with that. That is the problem with the fact that anybody can jump on the computer, anybody can jump into the wrestling business and proclaim a site or do whatever – and since the segment's not going to air, may I say that I had the exact same scenario with this website devoted to old school wrestlers. I won't go into the whole thing, Brian. Don't have a conniption, but I can see him. I can see him getting worried over there. But I'll make I'll make it the really thumbnail story, which I had the exact same thing. This is one site. Their whole existence is to this one Facebook page. Their whole thing is to. Um, just take pictures from wherever, like scan close-up photos out of the Japanese magazines. Don't credit anyone. Roll Gomez de Molina's names, juniors, named whoever he is. You know, all the photographers' names are on all the pages. They never use them. They plaster them up there. So I made a big point out of saying, "Photo Howard Baum," and put a little plug for my website on each one. Like big deal. If if it was me, I would welcome the photographer. Yeah, of and course. I see them. I see them becoming deleted. Like, as I do it, I'm like, wow. oh, this must be some mistake. Because I'm like in the doctor's <laughs> office. I'm like, oh, there must be some mistake. And I do it again. Photo Howard Bow. But then I don't give it the full plug. I don't put the hard way thing in there. I just go, um, photo Howard Baum. All right, that's legit. Now I'm not even plugging my site, right? And it's deleted again. So I put a message up for the administrators. And um, I'm like, guys, I'm trying to work with you here. Once I launch my site, I'll make you guys one of the exclusive pages and I'll send you my stuff. I have all this rare, unreleased stuff. Work with me. What does it kill you to give me credit on my photos? And the guy goes, you are not going to come here and plug your shit. Ah, I yes, said, so, that's what the guy told me to do. I said, so <laughs> you're telling me that your whole site 
website is based on using photographers' work that you purposely go out of your way to not put the name of. And even when I point it out, you're like, you're not going to plug your shit here? I'm like, thanks for the rub, you low life. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, he's like, dude, I work two jobs. I can't debate this. I'm like, it shouldn't be debated. You should just put my yeah. name in there. He gave me the same line. He goes, he goes, how dare you come in here and try to plug your website and podcast? So I went, well, you know, we're going to have to talk. I bet it's the same fucking guy. Hey, hey guys, uh, real quick on the topic of uh, tape traders and all those other things. On the line right now, the host of Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam and Sean Goodwin. John McAdam. John, welcome to Holiday Star Wars. I loved the way Howard just said, and you. That was perfect, man. <laughs> <laughs> Did I? <laughs> no, no, not you. <laughs> who else? Who else is this at? As at that part? Is at this party? Uh, on the line I, right now. I live. Well, he lives on the line right now. Is Howard Baum? I got to remember who Scott Bowden, Scott Cornish, <laughs> and David Bixenspan. Not to be confused with Jeff Baldron. Uh... That's right. Well, how are you guys? Hey, 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 you know what, McAdam? Let me hit you with something that Scott Bowden said to me the other day off air. Can I, can I reveal something you said to me off air? Would, would that be uh, okay? Hit me, big boy. He said know. to me, he's the first person I've ever heard say this. And I was like, wow, this is a conversation. I need backup. I need McAdam. Scott Bowden believes that Bill Watts was not a good color commentator. Okay, no. You're, you're, see, I knew you would do this. I what? knew that what? you would exaggerate what? the point. I just said that. <laughs> no, I just said that he. It surprised me because I just think that he. You could tell that he is the booker. I mean, he is going out of his way to hold you by the hand and explain every little detail. He. It's just way too much. He leaves nothing to the imagination of the viewer to, to figure it out. I don't know if he underestimated the intelligence of his audience or what, but it was just, it was just way, it's just, and not all the time, but just, man, a lot, a lot to where it was, it's noticeable. It's like, okay, okay, Bill, you, we, we get it. We get the story points that you're trying to hit. And I feel like he's, he's got this notebook. That he's going, I want to make sure I hit this point, this point, this point. And that's not the way it's done. I mean, Lance Russell would, would hit all the storyline stuff, but he, you know, it wasn't like so measured. And he didn't have a notebook uh, full of stuff that he had to work into the broadcast. I think that – I think overall Bill Watts was an outstanding commentator, but you do make a good point there. Uh, Bill – I mean you had to be the densest person in the world to know that you know, Mid-South wrestling belonged to him, that he was the top guy and he <laughs> called the shots. And sometimes he did come across as more of a narrator than a commentator. Yes, exactly. I mean, he but did overall, it. he was excellent. Well – I don't. I don't know how you could say overall he was excellent if if he had a habit of doing see, this that. That's what think, I'm talking I, about. This no, I think what he, I'm I think talking I, about. No, I think he was good, but I don't think he was excellent because I don't think an excellent commentator would have to do that. Um, I, but it, it it wasn't just limited to the action. He did an interview with Terry Taylor where Terry Taylor said maybe one sentence. Because he was going, because he basically was That's speaking. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, well, okay, no, that that could be that guy. That fair enough. But it was. I didn't. But, it, but he was doing these points that he should have that should have come from Taylor's mouth, you know. But Watts had to like take control of the interview. 
Yeah, I still maintain that he was an excellent commentator. It's not a flawless commentator. I mean, I remember one time it was Gino Hernandez and Mr. Wrestling 2, and Watts sat there the whole uh, match bitching about the Oklahoma Sooners losing to Arizona State in the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 that brings me to another point. A little bit, it's too much. A little too much with it. It's 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 the fourth quarter. It's it's you know the ball's on the goal line. Is he gonna bring it home? There are way That's too many. Jim Ross though. Jim Ross took all that. Oh, but Will Watts would do that kind of stuff too, though. Know? Uh, I, I don't know. I just it, a little heavy handed for me. Had you just? I will say that I think it worked for. I think it worked for his product because I think like I I mentally divide announcers into one of two categories immediately takes 10 seconds into the first time seeing them is do you like the quality of their voice and what they're putting across or not? And I'm pretty picky. Can't stand certain people, you know, some people that are legends. I'm not going to open up a whole dead cow thing, but I like Watts because I think he's good for that market. I think he's really good for that market. The oil trough, you know, roll your sleeves up and, the whole tough guy deal, and I think he—I think he got his point across good for that product. I think he could have accomplished the same thing by saying less. That's all. That's that's the point. But some people say that everyone's name. Bix, some people, Bix, what do you think? Bix, some people say that about me. <laughs> he definitely is narrating and putting thoughts in everyone's head a little more than some other Booker commentators were. It's almost like when you watch it now, it's almost like a director's commentary. It's just, yeah. it, it's, you know, and we, I think we've all seen movies too, where they have this narration and you ask yourself, God, is this really necessary? You know, you know does so much have to be explained? I mean, aren't we seeing the reactions of some, you know, some, some movies without a doubt benefit from, from narration, but uh, some of them, it's just like, why are they doing this? Why do they not trust us to, to get, the reaction of from from one of the actors uh, and follow the story points. I don't know. It's sometimes and and often when it's done in the movies, you call that lazy storytelling. Which you know, uh, what certainly wasn't that. I think he was very effective most of the time. But it's a little. It's just a little much. Can you think of any angle in particular where that would really make a case for you? Because uh, I feel bad because I haven't done my due diligence and even seen any UWF in years and years, but. I do know when shit went down and Watts is is calling it, I it, it seemed appropriate. You know what? I, I'll I'll say this. I think it was less so in the in the UWF years. It, it occurred to me recently because I've been watching. Because he wasn't the, doing commentary in the UWF years. Well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, <laughs> that might be it. Be, that must be one. <laughs> but I'm talking like the '83, '84 stuff uh that, that i've been watching on wwe network it's just it, you know it's so apparent that he's to me especially now looking back with the benefit of hindsight like god no doubt who's, who the booker was there because it's just it's so much of it is just so thoroughly explained with, and with without uh being necessary can i provide an example yeah right for, right from that time frame um, just going back, we had an issue in fall of 83 where Russia shot down one of our planes, a, a passenger plane, like 250 or 300 people were killed. Watts brings in Nikolai Volkov as the ultimate Russian heel right after this happens. And apparently the fans just didn't get into it. And Watts turned, I mean, he really got political on almost every show, talking about how the Russians were no good commies and et cetera, et cetera. And he just really... Yeah. went too far, I felt, 
forcing that angle down everyone's throat as opposed to just seeing if it happened naturally, if the, if Volkov got over on his own, which he kind of didn't. How about, did any of you guys ever see Volkov, like in the maybe late 70s, early 80s, like up till 81-ish maybe? Me totally. Yeah. Because he, he was in Florida, and he was like a monster. He had that big furry jacket, that Cheeto Mongol, uh, the part of his outfit that he must have taken with him. He looked spectacular. He did all these like muscle moves, the hanging, the hanging tree, and the pressing guys over his head and uh, over his head and stuff. I thought he was amazing, like circa 1980. I didn't think they used him enough. He couldn't talk, but he was. I thought he was very impressive back then. Howard, I actually saw that stuff on cable. I got uh, Florida Championship Wrestling on cable back then, and you're right. He was very impressive, and this might surprise people, but uh, first Sir Oliver Humperdinck was his manager, and Humperdinck was fine. And then Volkov switched over to Lord Alfred Hayes. Lord Alfred Hayes was incredible in Florida at this point. He was great, yeah, yeah, because I loved his voice. He's like, Mr. You know, like, he just had a great tone to his voice. It's easy to look great when Alexis Smirnoff is your partner. Uh, he wasn't yeah, yeah. there. Well, no, no, hey, no, it was Koloff. They brought well, in Koloff to team with Volkov in like uh, 1980. That, that oh, that's era. right, because that was the angle they did with Dick Murdoch, where Dick Murdoch, uh, I actually got that footage, funny enough, on a tape from Dr. Mike Lano. He sent me footage, and it had, <laughs> it had, it had, it had 1980 Florida wrestling, perfect quality. I've never seen better quality of Florida up to that point. And I couldn't believe it, and it progressively got worse and worse and worse, and then it rewound itself to the beginning, and then it was all fuzz. But when Florida and ICW aired in San Francisco in 80 and 81, I guess, someone taped it, and Mike borrowed those tapes, I believe, and never gave them back, and that's how we got that footage. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have I have some of that. That is good footage. Yeah, that was a great time. Um Thanks for giving him credit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Should I read the latest Lano email to his yeah. email list? Yeah, there's a sense of irony there. <laughs> he gave uh, Lano credit. What did you say, Bix? Should I read the latest Lano email to his email list? Yes, please. You should. The email list that consists of me, Meltzer, Brian Alvarez, Wade, Mike Mooniam, uh, whoever Eric Schaefer is, and Alex Marvez. Alex Marvez still has anything to do with wrestling? No, that's what makes it funny. Oh. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I do need to scan, though. He sent me all the issues of three count that he had, which really? was his newsletter. Oh, yes. Very cool. All right. Subject. Bay Area media all over, parenthesis, TV, comma, radio, and close parenthesis. Oakland Council discussing XFL if a team will work here with Raiders leaving. This is the then subject said, line? Yes. <laughs> then he says it was kind of surprising last night and this morning to see top of top, uh, top of the news pieces with older Vince slash XFL part deuce footage <laughs> being shown. <laughs> XFL seemingly has proposed one of its own one of its parenthesis only eight question mark close parenthesis team. It's eliminate from Oakland here. Oh. And then, okay, inexplicably, I may have to actually do a screen share so you can see what I'm talking about. Hold on, let me do this. Yo, yo, At the yo, bottom, what's okay. up, what's up, what's up? Now, first of all, as we all know, Mike uses AOL for his email. Not <laughs> something like Juno. <laughs> yes, well, because he puts his email on everything. No. 
Yes. Are you anyway. The, uh, like two lines next. Two lines later. <laughs> <laughs> two lines later. Um, there's a what looks like an email, a complete email update with all the graphics and everything from something called Dogster, like a pet email list. Okay, now you guys can see it. <laughs> so you see, here's the Michelano email. Mm. Here's the subject. You see the subject. You see the. Lieutenant you, you see the body, and the two lines down, Dogster. Dogster's Wagalicious Photo Contest. Two, three stars. Vote now. Using coconut oil for dog's itchy skin. So how to subscribe to the Dog Watch newsletter. Appropriate dog bite treatments for different situations. Maybe sent that because of Nakamura. Um, <laughs> pet care. Where and how to find financial assistance for your dog. Eight new <laughs> products your pup will love. My dog has been down on his luck lately. We yeah. sent all of this so, to you, Dave but, Meltzer, Wade Keller, and Brian Alvarez? And Alex Marvez and Mike Mooniam and whoever Eric Schaffer is. Wow. The elite. And he, Only the elite gets to see that stuff. It's the Rona Barrett insider wrestling report. Rona Barrett. And Hollywood, what's up with this? How's your dog's breath? Are you looking for <laughs> Is your dog looking for a payday loan? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the commercials during ROH. With my dog's driving record, he's never going to get insurance. I don't know what airs on ROH, but every time my dad runs into it, he tells me how much it sucks. But Scott, were you going to say something? No, I was just saying, for you people listening along at home, I'm going to uh, recreate that uh, (laughs) that thing we were all just reading. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Brian, I I finally got a chance to watch one of Lawler's new episodes of his... uh... (laughs) where he's got Dundee on there and they're going through some matches. And I don't know if you know this, but the, the main sponsor is a, is a payday lender. And I guess, and Lawler's just going on and on about how wonderful these folks are. And I'm just like, wow, Jesus, real classy program there. <laughs> you know what I love? Like, you know, like, you know, the real Lawler Scott and I yeah. like was around him a tiny bit, but I know enough from what I've seen. So what I find hilarious is these, like, PSA, these, like, um, good-natured videos that he would do with, like, the disadvantaged youth and whatnot. You know all the famous videos throughout the years. And he'd be, like, crouching with the children and frolicking in different scenarios. Because, you know, the real king. And then for him to have to plaster a smile on and go down to the YMCA and whatnot, that's the comedy. Because he's like, yeah, you know, with his usual cheesy smile and everything. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's one video too where he uh, he he went down to to the United Way, and it was like, and it was set to that song. Uh, if it weren't for kids, have you ever thought there wouldn't be no Santa Claus? And it's oh, and it's just it's, <laughs> thank God it's, for kids. That one, yeah, that one? yeah. That's the wrong so song appropriate. for a Jerry Lawler video. Yikes! <laughs> well, and a Yikes. billboard went up, a, a billboard went up in Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> a billboard went up in Memphis not too long ago with uh, like uh, stay in school kids and it had a picture of Lawler and I'm like, is he really the best choice for this? Wasn't he getting girls like out a- of school and, go- and taking them shopping in Louisville? Uh, <laughs> let's all skip school and watch cartoons and go shopping. Uh, you know, I'm not even I'm not even going to put Scott on the on the spot, but I just know like if a percentage of what I knew leaked out, everybody's mind would be blown. And I know Scott knows way more than me, I but uh, we're not here to do any uh, of that. Hey, you know? hey, 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 last, 
You keep and I'm not talking about any one particular subject, by the way. I'm not talking about any allegations of underage sex or anything. I'm talking about maybe completely other stuff. And that maybe doesn't mean maybe it is or maybe it's not. I'm talking about there's a lot that would shock a lot of people. Hey, and Alan, cocaine! Alan, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, I don't know. I had to share because so few people get to see things. It's not even that I saw anything. It's just you know how people are in real life. And it's just like, you know, that can be edited, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's been a long day. What the fuck? I, I, I'm like, you know, Brian knows that. I have my good days and my bad days. Monday night is like not this the opposite. Star Wars, no editing. Well, whatever. I didn't say anything bad. And by the way, I'm still a fan of Lawler no matter what, just as a performer and a personality of the way he acts in real life and everything. But, yeah, but not as a human being. Is that, is that what you're saying? Pretty much <laughs> from what I may gather, notwithstanding any future uh, merchandising deals or anything like that, I would happen to concur with that. I did like Scott bringing up the taking the girl shopping because my favorite my favorite like weird detail from when I was looking at all that stuff was where he's explaining, like, yeah, so I took them to this specific like dollar store I go to in Louisville because they have these big things of detergent for like six ninety nine, and in Memphis they cost nine ninety nine. So it's like Lawler going like Lawler, who owns the wrestling promotion, has all this cash hidden in his jukebox, etc. Giving this long explanation on how he always makes a point to get, like, several jugs of laundry detergent at the discount store when he's in Louisville so he can save $3 a bottle. <laughs> See, that's the odd thing about Lawler that I noticed. See, this is the weird part about Lawler is that he's like an open book. He'll He's always so open with you, and if you didn't know him, you'd think, oh, he's working you. But then if you know the true story, you think to yourself, he's telling an absolutely true story right now. And when he tells the true story, it sounds like it could be an intricate work. You know what I'm well, talking about, right, Scott? Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, listen, like, I'm not a professional liar, but when I have to lie, when I'm caught sending an email to someone accidentally and I have to wiggle myself out of a situation, I channel the king, and it works ten times out of ten. And all you got to do is be humble and you give away as much truth as you can. It's like Con Man 101. And he's like, well, that may be true. I was with Miss Cornshucker at the mall. Absolutely. And we were there and it was a sunny day. I remember it. I had my top down. And then he goes on to it. And it's like 98% true, except the one part that's going to like, <laughs> you know, get him in trouble. Yeah. But he's the most beautiful liar. And he... He does his angles. Nobody does his angles like that because you can listen to Lawler work any kind of an angle with like the Russian invader up to his good opponents. You know, like it's just it's always compelling to hear him go, Lance. I I know I'm a little disheveled today. Uh, it was my engine broke down, and it's always a true story. You know, because you know behind the scenes he's just telling Dutch Mantel, oh my engine broke down or something. Then he goes right out there and he incorporates it into the thing. My God, he's a beautiful liar. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. He's, he's well, that a, should be your next beautiful... shirt. Beautiful liar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad. Well, do, do you guys know? Do you guys, bad. I know Brian knows this, but uh, Howard, you probably don't. But uh, you, well, that T-shirt that I promised I would, I would send you. <laughs> Uh, and I never I got. Wonder, I was to wondering it. about that. I didn't want to come out what? and say anything in public. Well, it's like Lawler. I figured maybe me. you guys ran out of uh, money or something. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't us. It was a valiant. It was a valiant effort. 
a first class operation like this? No, Lawler. <laughs> I, I had I'd, I'd been trying to reach out to Lawler because I had this idea for the shirt because I knew he's a big Kiss fan, and when he came back from a broken leg, he he mimicked this uh, Kiss entrance where he came up from the uh, stadium at the uh, at the uh, not the, but the stage at the Coliseum, and instead of you know, I, where it would be King written in his uh, his uh, standard. Uh, handwriting it would be the kiss font you know and it, it's not anything groundbreaking or totally genius but i just thought but number one that he would like it and he probably wouldn't get mad if i sent him one number two mark james has been putting out shirts with with uh with his image on it and you know i just didn't think it would be a big deal well he sent me this expletive field text that let me Ooh. know that he was not happy about it and and then I kind of got the feeling because it was so like harsh that I was that it was like I don't think he's really mad. I think he's just messing with me. And I said, okay, I'll take it down, man. No, you know, no, no big deal. And I did. And a week later, it's the very same design on his on his site. So he, <laughs> if I if I stole it, then he stole it back, which I just thought was classic Lawler. Uh, wow, you know, I saw he, that. I saw that whole thing transcribe. I saw it pop up on his shit, and I'm like, oh, what's going on here? I, was, I figured I was, something – I figured what you just said, I figured that's exactly what happened. And then he – Because I, I know you wouldn't forget about me on my birthday. No, of course not. Uh, <laughs> it, it, he, he, well, but you know what, though? He said I couldn't sell a black shirt. I may send you a red one. How about that? Um, hmm. But but he uh, – and then he called me like two weeks later, and he's joking around with me. And and I said, uh, I said, okay, so I'm, uh, I guess there's no more heat about the t-shirt set. And he goes, ah, shit, no. <laughs> he didn't really care. He he just wanted to like just you know uh, push my buttons and, and think I had some heat. Huh. No, but the, but the reason why I remember that detail and and Bix, it, it came from your research, and Brian, you and I were talking about this. I was like, can you imagine a worse way to spend an afternoon than being than having to take two thirteen year old girls to a shopping mall and and spend the afternoon with them? I mean, that sounds like a horrible horrible way to spend a, a day. Well, that's certainly just... why you have to question <laughs> the motives of someone. Who decided to go to the mall with two thirteen-year-olds? Well, he never right. Like, well, how do you put yourself? How do you? How do you picture? How do you frame that? Well, he, right? you know, yeah, there's well, no he way. No. Well, well, wait a minute. He had two <laughs> he had two boys. He never had two daughters. <laughs> this, maybe this filled a hole in his life, or maybe he filled a few holes. I don't wait, know. What do the other people in the fucking mall say? If all well, of a sudden they see this grown man, well, he, he was in what his late forties, fifties at the time, probably no. 40s, late forties, right? I think he's like forty-two then, right? Okay, he's with two thirteen-year-old girls, not his daughters, and he's just walking around hanging out with them. Well, I mean, what, what what does that look like? How does that go down? I was at the mall the other day. I had to take care of some stuff. How does it go down with Jerry Lawler walking around the mall with two thirteen-year-olds? <laughs> Mentoring. Uh, yes exactly <laughs> but also like the one of the parts i couldn't figure out like why it, i well i mean he did get arrested and charged and indicted and everything it was just the other stuff that meant he only got gotten for the uh witness harassment one of the state like the sworn statements from witnesses was like oh yeah i i, I drove mr lawler to the motel and those those girls weren't there they didn't go in the room with him that was after he already told the police that the girls were in his room well do you know the the moment that i decided <laughs> that the king was innocent <laughs> where i really knew in my heart 
It's when the Nunnery Brothers came out there and spoke on his behalf. Oh, wow. Because, because <laughs> I mean, somebody like the Nunnery Brothers is not going to go out on a limb if it's not if they don't believe in somebody. So that was good enough for me. I understand they couldn't get Jerry Clower for the occasion, but <laughs> the Nunneries pretty much did it for me. Where was Smokey Jackson? I, I thought it was no. I talk about transparent. I thought that was so transparent. Where he's up for these charges, and the nun, he's bringing everybody who ever knew him out week after week, and he's like, and La poor Lance had to be like, oh, we got uh, Steve Nunnery here of the Nunnery Brothers, uh, of course, works with Jerry in the studio, and uh, he just wanted to come out here and say something, and the guy, the poor guy, had to come out there and give a five-minute promo on what a great guy Jerry Lawler is. I don't know if any of you, you remember that, but. Um, I and, thought it was uh, so transparent. It, it, <laughs> well, I'll say this: I think I think Nunnery probably really does believe that, and we're yeah. A weird but uh, right, Scott. Just uh, Lance Russell, and uh, here's the cashier that uh, sold him the laundry detergent. <laughs> <laughs> We've got an itemized receipt here. Uh... <laughs> wow, uh, uh, six ninety nine, uh, King. Uh, see, see why you go there. <laughs> Is that, uh, He's he, right. It's a, it's a, and the King does always smell nice and fresh. I. Uh... <laughs> how how many times does six ninety nine go into fourteen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's an well, this is all our math book. I'm, I'm, giving right. to, I'm giving credit to Jeff Bowdrin for that joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh. He always flashes up a joint, doesn't he? He yeah. was here earlier. You missed Jeff Bowdrin. Oh, it's too bad. He's I like our. I like our comedic chemistry we're like the laurel and we're like the uh, laurel and hardy, hardy of wrestling yeah i said you yeah. know um tell us about the hottest show you were ever at in south florida and he goes i don't know he goes i can tell you about howard baum at independent shows in florida i said ah well <laughs> <laughs> so, there were about three of them so i don't know how many <laughs> oh uh, you know what the, you, you know what you know what i forgot though bro. I, I i don't know if i ever told you this story or not but uh buddy wang used to promote you know the uh, some of the towns that you would never even heard of and he would have these long intermissions and he would also turn off the air conditioning at times. And I'm like, buddy, what the hell's going on? We're taking like 40 minute intermissions and it's burning it up in here. And he's like, well, just trying to get the people thirsty. They, they get thirsty to buy more cola. And I'm like, wow, shrewd promoter there. My goodness. You know who deserves their own like comic book treatment or something is the is the behind the scenes crew of Memphis. Just the the Buddy Wayne's, the Guy Coffee's. Totally. Bikinis, you know, <laughs> like th there was such a cast of comedy going on, like right behind the scenes, that guy who sits next to Lance, who looks like a member of the KKK. Yes. He always looked like he'd be right at home, like holding a cross, you know, like, is this where the fire is? Yeah. <laughs> and that guy looks like he's leading a lynch mob. It's like, you know, every time you see him sitting next to Lance and there's never any interaction with him and Lance. It's like he's no. doing his own thing. Lance is doing his own thing. I don't think I ever saw that guy say a word. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Exactly. Like, no one knows his name, his personality, nothing. But you know he's a leader of the local clan. That's That much is clear. <laughs> but um, but no, I mean, the behind the scenes, the guy coffees and all that stuff. 
one of the funniest things I've ever seen. We were at a spot show in Milan High School in Milan, Tennessee, and um, Lawler's working Bota the Witch Doctor, and um, and I mean, Tom Branch. Yeah, Bota. Tom Branch. Tom Branch is the manager of Bota. Oh. So Tom. So um, Tom Branch is holding the punk, and Lawler gets the punk. You know, the fire. Bota carried the fire to the ring. So Lawler gets it away from him, and then he gives it to Guy Coffee. And I'm the only person in the building who could even hear this because I was right there at the ring. And Lawler goes, "Better watch out, Coffee! I'll burn that thing right off your head." <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I thought it was extra funny. Like there's like a thousand people there. I'm the only one who heard that. You know. <laughs> I'll burn that uh, thing right off your head. McAdam, let's get. I'll say it till I'll I'll say it till it becomes funny. Yep. Not a problem. I, I think, we, I, I think we're, we're we're not sticking to wrestling here. Well, we're way off. Well, let's we're uh, way off base. It's funny. Stick to wrestling. McAdam just wrote to me the other day. He's like, well, "I have a topic that has nothing to do with wrestling." I'm like, "Wait a minute." Stick to wrestling. No, but we're gonna do a couple of special episodes to stick to wrestling. But John. On the first few episodes of your show, you guys have discussed many issues. You know, Bix and I used to do what-ifs on the Super Podcast every now and then. We still do them. You're now doing them on your show. Gino Hernandez, we talked about him a little bit earlier. Excuse me, I can't speak. Uh, about the upcoming documentary or mini-documentary. I'm not exactly sure. I guess that's the best way to title it. That Vice is doing. What are your thoughts on Gino? And who's the guy in your group? Is his name supposed to be private? The guy who was writing the Gino book? Uh, Mark Underwood. Well, I guess it doesn't have to be private. Okay, that's what I was asking. Well, I mean, you know, he's—I mean, he's using his own name on Facebook. And by the way, we're friends. He's a really good guy. Um, but he uses his own name on Facebook, and he's just discussed the project. So, I mean, it's not private to him. Is the project dead, or is it something he's looking to return to? Especially now that you know Gino's about to be in the news again. Um, as or far as I know, news, I should say. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, I could be wrong here. The project was never really dead. I just, you know, never finished it. But I, I mean, I don't want to make guesses on his part, but I would think that would be a shrewd move if, you know, Hernandez's name is part of the bad pun coming back to life. You know, why not get it out there? It'd be perfect timing. It'd make perfect sense. Yeah. Where did you end up, you and Sean, with what if Gino Hernandez had survived? Oh, he, uh we were all over the place with that because of all the guys that, you know, you can bring up a what if on Gino is the one with, you know, the, the highest high and the lowest low. He could have easily wound up in the NWA as one of the four horsemen. He could have easily wound up in the WWF getting a big push there, or he could have been one of the guys, you know, scratching and surviving uh, in Dallas in 1988, you know, Chris Adams style. Yeah. I think that's more, I think that's most likely. And that's not a knock on his talent. I just, he just, he, to me, he was just so lazy. It seemed like, yeah. uh, on, let me ask you this. If Paul Bosch, if Gino's still alive, when Paul Bosch makes the deal with Vince, even though that deal ends up being, you know, not, not what he intended it for it to be. If Gino's still alive, do you think Paul Bosch tries to get Gino in there? I don't see why not. I mean, you know, Tully, I, I know Tully tried to get him into the NWA, um, and Bosch and Gino were very close, and, you know, I would think that he would highly recommend him to Vince. You know, and we talked about this on Stick to Wrestling. One thing, you know, you say, okay, if Gino Hernandez had not died, well, you have to, you kind of have to pretend that his problems went away, too. Um, right. 
you know, he doesn't have, he hasn't gotten the, the Dallas drug dealer mob, whatever, angry with him. He doesn't have these horrible problems that he had. Yeah, I, I think that's the bigger what if. Like, what if he had gotten clean and sober? Because he had so, I think he had so much natural. When I said he was lazy, I mean, I think the guy was talented. I think he had so much on the natch, uh, but he could have been on another level. You know, he could have been one of the horsemen, but I think it would have taken him getting totally clean and sober. I mean, I, I don't, and I can't see him surviving a WWF run on the road with that travel schedule if he weren't doing uh, every drug under the sun. But I think he had a lot of, he had tons of potential. Yeah, and we have to remember too. I mean, he was only twenty. Was he twenty-eight or twenty-nine when he died? Either way, I mean, he had a long way to go. And I know part of it, the part of the projection is okay. What if Gino Hernandez wasn't Gino Hernandez? What if you know he didn't have this horrible problem? Other way, you know, I mean, if he, from what I've heard, I mean, if um, if they didn't kill him, Hernandez would have killed himself sooner than later. You think they killed him? Yes. Really? I don't really have any hardcore evidence, but uh, number one, once again, Mark Underwood uh, did a lot of research, and he was saying he believes that Gina got highballed uh, by people who he screwed over. And, uh, he, you know, not a, not a deference to authority, but Dave Meltzer believes the story, so I'll believe it. Hmm. I never heard Dave come out and say that, has he? He did in one of the newsletters, and he he uh, was it was it the Observer he said it, or was it somewhere else? But his exact line was, you know, what I said. You know, if they didn't, it, Gino would have uh, killed himself if they didn't kill him first. And when I, I remember reading that, I want to say it was ninety nine or two thousand, and just going, wow. Fix investigative reporter Fix and Span. What are your thoughts? You think Gino was murdered, or you think he just OD'd? Um, there's something that I remember being, very, I think it might've been on one of those Facebook posts that, that seemed very compelling about, I forget what, it was something about how he used cocaine that would have made it unlikely for him to have overdosed. That's exactly it. Uh, he was, uh, killed with a, uh, an injection and supposedly Gino was afraid to death of needles. He, you know, even in like a doctor's office, he was scared. He had uh, whatever that phobia was of needles. He had it. And that's why that was the big thing that like, okay, you know, someone killed him. Well, this really took everything down to a. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we, we were. Yeah, but well, we I can mention something we never went back to earlier. Okay. Um, you you mentioned the stuff that Jimmy Hart appeared to have as far as Memphis footage that we don't really know a lot about. Uh, I one of you did. That. I think it was it Scott yeah. or was it Brian? I said it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um. Okay. What I know, and you can correct me and add to this, is that when they were doing the opening the vault show after Power Pro closed, mm-hmm. when they did a couple shows that were like they aired the bulk of a couple shows from I like think like seventy six and seventy seven. That was stuff Jimmy Hart had brought in, and the story I always heard was that Lawler and everyone else was shocked and was like, where did you get this? Why have we never seen this before? And apparently he had some kind of collection. Um, For that reason, I don't think anything ever came of it. I remember um, Lance asked me once if I knew of any audio recording or video footage of when he announced the deaths of... um, Sam Bass, Frank Hester, and Pepe Lopez, 
And I said, like, not that I know of, but if anyone had, it would be Jimmy Hart, because I think he has stuff other people don't have. Um, so there is more to that, though, because I forget what I heard. There, there's something with Jimmy having split, Jimmy Hart having split from his wife that I don't know a lot of the details of. But I do know that some of the stuff that's shown up as far as like other film footage where the reels showed up on eBay that was newer stuff, the seller's name, at least his eBay username, was Jimmy Hart Jr. Mm. Yeah, that's so, right. That's right. So, yeah. So my impression is that there's stuff that J Jimmy had that now his ex and his kids have. Yes, it's uh, true. It's true that my mom and dad got divorced. That's the bad news. But behind every dark cloud, there's a silver lining. I got all these films. Today's the greatest day of my life. That's the greatest. <laughs> I want to say in like 2000 or 2001, they were airing like a classic Memphis show. That's the show on... I'm talking about. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Uh, no. This is. Oh, it, we're hey, going back like 15, well, 20 years. Hey, McAdam. Yeah. I, I don't know if I don't know if you saw, but uh, hey, you, you know, I posted uh, Dusty, the one Dusty Rhodes interview that I think everybody's seen that aired on Memphis TV. Uh, and a guy listening to my podcast says, "You know, I have this this other deal with uh, Dusty being interviewed by Gordon Soley and Lawler being interviewed by Lance." I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" And this is after I moved out of, out of the city, and I didn't, I never saw this local show that they were doing. But I think it was Lawler and Macklin and Jimmy Hart, and that's where this footage aired. Um, and I think maybe even Jim Blake was there, and. It was amazing. I, I mean, I thought that I'd seen whatever was available out there, but I'd never, and it was in great quality and just uh, absolutely stunning to see it. Uh, and I'd, I'd heard that Hart and Jim Blake both have stuff. And Blake, I had lunch with Lawler and Jim Blake, and it was a moment where Lawler was doing something, signing some autographs, and we got to talking about WHBQ footage. And I said, Yeah, I have these audio cassettes that, that I'm transferring. And man, it's just incredible to hear Sam Bass and Lawler do these interviews. Dundee's first promo in the studio. And he's like, Well, I got a lot of that stuff too. I got a lot of reels at home. And I'm like, Excuse me? And we got to talking, and I was trying to get my hands on it. Not that I that I wanted to take it and sell it, but I actually contacted that guy in Georgia who we were talking about earlier to see if he were interested and they could work out some kind of deal. Not I just wanted to see it, you know. Huh. Um, and Lawler put the kibosh on it. So huh. I don't I don't know who has those now or, or exactly what it is, but he said, in the uh, "Yeah, exactly." <laughs> <laughs> So we might as well also talk about that fellow that in uh, Jonesboro that a few of us talked to several months ago. <laughs> um, no, was or was I the only one on this call that talked to him? Well, no, I thought, well, Scott, you would well, talk to him, well, too. Well, you told me about that, too. And then we'll go to McAdam. I heard John say something. But, Scott, remember there was a guy, uh, the story popped up a few months ago. There were a bunch of people involved where he allegedly had a shed full of footage that was from Randy Hales's mom's house or something. Uh, I don't I don't know. Okay. Is that right? That's, am, am I remembering it right at all? That sounds ridiculous. No, I, I forget who first mentioned Randy's name, but no, what it was was basically everything that Lawler had. And you could tell based on like the labels and stuff, but it was the more complete versions, including like some full shows, even like I think including the first ever WMC show. Uh, or if, if, if not the first WMC the, uh, show, then the first Lance show on WMC, where huh. this this guy was a picker in Jonesboro, and piecing some stuff together that I heard my best guess 
is that Corey Macklin took custody of it when he was doing the show, the producing the show we were talking about, and never, and then never gave it back to Lawler. And then after he died, well, what also ties into this is years ago I had done a Craigslist post in in the Memphis area, see if anyone had stuff, and there was a guy who owned a storage unit that was Corey's. And oh God, he, what was in there? <laughs> he only, but he was only finding stuff, at least at the front of the unit, that were just like newer, like mini DV tapes of his promotion. Mm. So it wasn't something I was interested in. But my understanding, piecing some stories together, is that he had that stuff like buried at the bottom of the unit, so no one would know he had it. And this guy, though, it was like, I think it was all three quarter inch tapes, about like eighteen of them. He had had one converted to see how it would come out. He sent me a clip. I got to find it. That is like sister really? post on Facebook. It was of a it was of a different Dusty interview from the one that aired on that show. Okay. And there were one or two other things, but he was asking ten grand and wouldn't come down lower than like I think it was the lowest. He eventually went was like eight or seventy five hundred for the whole for the whole collection. Yeah, and. I, it was just you couldn't find anyone to go in on that, especially like you not know, you know some of it was probably gonna be in an okay condition since he had some of it converted, but you couldn't be sure on all of it. And just I, I kept trying to tell the guy like, you know that if you went to WWE they would pay you less, right? Because WWE at least historically, and I think it might even be less now, paid seven fifty an hour when they bought collection. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. But no, from the labeling it was like you because you would see all the stuff. That it you would we we saw over and over over the years, but it but, mo- right. in most cases gotcha. Waller had saved the whole shows and stuff well, like that, or the original that, tapes. That's a lot different than what than what Lawler has told me because I but I remember being surprised when I, I think I was no I I think it was after I turned heel and I was managing but they were they were going to do some kind of special uh, look back at you know the history of Memphis and he asked me what I had and I. I told him and he was like, yeah, yeah, we could use that. I'd love to have that. And I'm like, don't don't you have all this? And he's like, no, uh-uh. we did. We didn't keep any of it. Um, well, most stuff, though. I mean, this was just a handful of tapes, though. I mean, that's a little bit. Right. The so, stuff wait, we would be used to seeing, but then other stuff from the same show. Yeah, I got you. Like, like some of the stuff that, that you see look over and over when uh, he comes out and insults Lance on the first show after they move from WHBQ. Like, where's the rest of that footage? Is that is that is that kind of what you're getting at? Pretty much. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I this, I don't, I didn't, I, I sort of recall the story, but I don't, I don't know the details of it. Yeah, I mean, the fascinating thing is, in general, stuff's still out there. Um, yeah, so I know. Brian, that's, that's the thing. Brian, did I link you? I linked you to that new YouTube channel, right? Yeah, the guy who had the Letterman uh, Vince McMahon appearance from '89. Yeah, that I tweeted. So. And the I ended Houston up talk- wrestling episode from 78. That's the really interesting ones. Okay. With so I ended up emailing yeah. with the guy. Yeah. Um, so this is, a, it's now called the W slash O slash C archive. So with original commercials is what that stands for. And he bought a collection of like a couple thousand tapes from a guy in Southern Ontario somewhere. And there's a good bit of wrestling so far that's popped up. He's just putting up basically whatever's interesting most of it is stuff that's clearly taped off TV in Canada. You got a few episodes of Pro Wrestling Plus with me. <laughs> um, some <laughs> WCW Worldwide. Um, a Maple Leaf Wrestling from 85. 
And then there's also the December 30th, 1978 episode of Houston Wrestling. Um, the guy sent me, like, the card that was with the tape. And it has the original commercials and the promos and everything. Um, the guy he got from was a big tape trader. was on a tape with, oh, I forget what the TV show was. Some regular TV show. He's going to see, you know, obviously, what else the guy has. Also offered to send DVDs if anyone needs to have better quality copies of the stuff. Fuck yeah. But the guy, and he's trying to track it down, but the guy he bought it from is kind of elusive about where the stuff went, had a wrestling-centric collection of like 500 tapes that he sold away already. Wow. Now, the big question mark to me is, how would that big a collection, especially with how good it seems like it would be, be sold without anyone like in our communities knowing? Yeah, well, that's the thing. And the other thing is what what made me... The other thing I thought of while you said all that is, you know, I never thought of the idea that other people with other tape trading communities who are just taping whatever, they're taping whatever channel, they would incidentally also potentially be taping wrestling. And it would just be on the tapes of something else they were taping. Mm -hmm. Like like potentially this Houston wrestling story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, For the record, the taking a minute for the photo to load for some reason i was gonna say the other show oh it was um okay so the houston wrestling was at the end of a tape that also included multiple episodes of does that say mew into space and rin tin tin Hmm. all right yeah i just i I just went to this guy's channel uh and that yeah the stuff looks great the houston show john mcadam you had something to say before and everyone interrupted no, I, it was it was really nothing. I was just going to say Jimmy Hart uh, contacted me in like ninety nine or two thousand about you know do you have any footage for this show we're doing? Can you help us out? And it turned out everything I had they already had. Was the show oh, really delicious? <laughs> <laughs> wow! It's delicious, <laughs> baby, <laughs> baby. Is that is why, that why does your Jimmy Hart sound like Sue the Shooter? Hello, baby. <laughs> has that has that guy burned through all his cash yet? Jimmy Hart? Oh, the lottery? No, that, no the lottery the, the, winner. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh yes, good. yes, he has. Yeah. Uh, oh, really? I I hadn't kept up with it. Someone Shock. told me. I thought it was you, Bix, but if it wasn't you, it was someone else. Told me that yes, the wrestlelicious guy did in fact burn through all of his money and now has nothing. No, no. Oh. I thought he was going to be the one that just bunked all the odds. <laughs> Poor guy, just living the dream. Yeah, well. Hey, John, you know, you were so involved with tape trading for so many years. Where's the, like, weirdest place you found some really cool footage, if that makes sense? Like, you know, in terms of something else you got, and all of a sudden there was a hidden gem in the middle of a video. Uh, Certainly my storage unit. Um, I bought out in bulk a gentleman named Kenneth Utley who lived in McKinney, Texas, um, I forget how much I sent him, but it was like, you know, here's the money he, in, in exchange. He was like, here's everything I have. And I sort of did the same thing with Jamie Ward. So it's just like I have a bunch of stuff laying around and I don't know what it is. And it's like, you know, I've got to go through 3000 tapes and it really is, you know, you'll find that occasional diamond in the rough thing. Um, you know, some 
old WWF shows from like 78 that aired on WOR TV, for example, or this uh, tape that had all kinds of really cool, like mid to late 70s stuff from the spectrum. But I mean, for every one of those, you've got a hundred, you know, okay, here are six episodes from wrestling superstars from 1986. You know, you brought up the WWF TV from the 70s. So that's the stuff with the local promos and everything that's around there. That's around now, right? Yes. They were telling you to go, uh, go see King Tutankhamen uh, at the <laughs> museum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm always fascinated but with what is found, how it's found, how it emerges, how it gets out there. You were reportedly responsible. This is where I was going before, John, for some of that Mid-South that's out there, right? The stuff that's before the end of 81 that's in distribution. Yeah, um, well, let me, how I did I get credit. that? People get in trouble for taking credit. I don't know if you want to. I'm totally taking credit, dude. Um, yeah, I think that was something that, you know, I just went through Jimmy, Jamie Ward's pile of tapes, and that's probably something that he recorded or got from someone who recorded off of World League Wrestling. Was World League Wrestling airing complete episodes of Mid-South with the opening music and the outro? No, World League Wrestling was a wraparound show that was Lars hosted, Anderson. Yeah. hosted by Lars Anderson, and they would have – it was a pretty interesting show. Um, they would have some Mid-South Wrestling. Before that, they had some uh, – what was it? Knoxville, which was really good. Um, and interspersed, they would have like a Mid-Atlantic match here, a Georgia match there. But they would t- they would have interviews with the top students, I guess, from Lars Anderson's wrestling school. And it, it was the first time I'd ever see a wrestler who was doing something other than trying to talk you into the building or build a character. They would these guys would you know sit down and have like a real sports interview, which you know was was I thought was very interesting in contrast to everything wrestling related I had ever seen before. Where are those tapes? If Lars Anderson got tapes from other companies and then spliced that footage into his program, where are any of those tapes in that equation? My guess is that the cost of, you know, maintaining those tapes back then was so high that they just taped over stuff. Yeah, I mean, but I don't know if it was the master recordings of those shows and knowing Lars Anderson, he was probably trying to pitch those shows even before or after the initial airing. He was always trying to get World League Wrestling up and running. It was a promotion. It was a television show. It was various things. It was a wrestling school, I think, for a while. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I mean, those tapes... Even if the original shows he cut the footage from are gone, there's a chance I would think that those master tapes are still there. Because even if Lars didn't have them, you never know if it's some producer who just grabs and holds on to stuff. I mean, I've seen that where it's just people who, hey, yeah, I was working on this stuff. I was never a big wrestling fan. I just grabbed the stuff and took it with me. And now, yeah, now you care about it here. Well, I always thought it was weird that there was so little World League Wrestling around anyway. The little bit that I've seen was I'll just use his first name in case for some reason it feels like it would get him in trouble um orlando from new york who had a lot of the i mean john knows who i'm talking about a lot of the, oh, yeah. you know wwf georgia and florida tapes most that was what most of his stuff was they were compilations that he taped off tv of different stuff from those three in new york but there's little bits of world league wrestling in his collection but very little like um there's that i think it, what is it jack briscoe austin idol match from Chilawi park i think I've never seen it's, that. It's somewhere outdoors no, in Knoxville. Either. It's somewhere uh, outdoors but... in Knoxville. There's that and like a couple other Knoxville things. 
that are on those tapes that are floating around. Hmm. I need to see well, that. Well, I think buy a copy. I think I got from John. John, have we lost John? Is anyone there? Have I lost everyone? I don't know what's happening here. We're three hours and 26 minutes and 59 seconds. Now three hours and 27 minutes into this program. I am back. You are back. Let's see if everyone else is back. Everyone got cut off at the same time for reasons I have not figured out. I've tried to dial Uh everyone back in. Three okay. <laughs> well, why didn't you just rejoin the existing call? It wouldn't let me. The whole call went fucking haywire. Okay, but I mean, we—I was able to. You were I able to hear me? No, no, no. I couldn't hear you. But then, after everything went haywire, and I should probably hang up the other call now. Yeah, hang um, me, Cor- Cornish, and Bowden were still together, but Cornish wasn't saying anything, and it was basically me and Bowden. See, but I- we were both able to rejoin it. I didn't hear any of that, and I didn't have the ability to. So uh, here we are now. But you weren't on the call anymore anyway, technically. I just thought John brought the entire proceedings to a halt. That's what I thought, too. And then (laughs) everyone had halted. So I was like, what the I have the power, man. Most awkward silence in the history of podcasts. (laughs) I couldn't hear anything (laughs) after I said that I got my copy of the tape from John, of that match from John. You couldn't hear anything after that point. Wow. Yeah. There was so much that was said. Well, I've tried to add Scott Cornish back, and it appears it is not. I'll try him one more. Are we on the air now? We are on the air. I mean, I'm recording. It's my option whether this is on the air or not. Okay. But I want to explain to the listeners what the fuck happened. Uh, (laughs) Does that mean I'm not allowed to make? Oh, does that mean I'm not allowed to make any references to John's mom's phone? John, it's your call. I don't <laughs> better than references to other things. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to add Scott. He's not picking up. So we lost Scott. Did we lose anyone else? Who else was? Oh, and Scott Bowden. Which Scott? Yeah, we lost both, both of them. Hold on. Is that that call still says join? Call? Hold on. Let me go yeah, on to go the on other there call. And talk to those people while someone over here is doing bong. Hits. Let me see who's on there. All right, I can guess who too. I need Cornish. Yeah, well, we're trying to get Cornish here. And uh, Scott Bowden, are you there? He may be, and he's just being difficult. Hold on. Let me, let me see. David Bixenspan left. David Bixenspan. Okay, no, I accidentally clicked on hang up by music. No, the other call was still going on Scott, for some reason. Yellow, yellow again, everybody. Yeah, there, there he is. <laughs> Scott, hey, you're not the only person missing. You're not going to believe this because I was watching this this uh, 78 footage while we were hung up. So this is December 78, and Boss is interviewing Mill Mascaris, and he's like, "Mill, I understand you're going on tour." And he mentions going to Memphis. Get the fuck out of here! And I'm, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although it is December 78, so the whole I know he's in the area. Yeah, he, he's 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 nearby. Uh, incoming call from Scott Cornish. No, it's Scott the- is trying to, to join the other call. <laughs> I'm hang up that call. Uh, Hold on, let me. Uh, hey guys, I, I gotta get going. All right, goodbye. G- goodbye. <laughs> Not enough. <of> you. <laughs> Bye guys. Adios, Have a good guys. one. 
you know, this is easily going to be the worst Star Wars since uh, Re uh, Return of the Jedi, without a doubt. So. I thought you were going to say Solo. <laughs> I think this is the best Star line. Wars since Brian last correctly predicted that the Mets would win the 2018 World Series. Hey, go fuck yourself. How about that? I, I already have. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Scott, I can only do that twice a day. I'm getting old. Scott, <laughs> Scott Cornish, are you on the line now, finally? Yes, I'm on the line, finally. All right, say okay. goodbye to Scott Bowden, who has decided to leave these festivities, which we'll be wrapping up shortly. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, good night, Scott. I'll uh, tell everybody else what you told me about Randy Hales. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, now that, Scott, now that Scott uh, Cornish is back, Brian, I, can I tell you a non-wrestling story that you will die laughing at because you'll get the whole thing? Scott will die laughing at, and I know a lot of 605ers will die laughing at. Absolutely. Let me just say goodbye to Scott Bowden. Scott, I will uh, message you in a little bit, and I will definitely be talking to you tomorrow. And it appears he's already gone, so fuck Yes, you. he was. I was uh, trying to figure out if you were doing that, like, in a no, radio way or not. I really not. thought he was there. It still shows he's there on my fucking computer, but fuck this shit. Uh, John, yes, I'd love to hear your answer. <laughs> All right, then I will, I will end with this. Um... Let me see. Like I, I, it, almost totally non-wrestling. I'm 15 years old. I have a girlfriend named Carol. She is 16 years old, so she can drive me around. She's beautiful, redheaded girl, but you know she's a pain in the ass. Everything, very negative, even compared to like other girls her age. And she overused the word problem. John, what's the problem? Is this a problem? Why is this such a problem? Yeah. And she was driving me up the wall. And I'm, like, ready for the big fight, the big breakup. And one day, it was a cold January day, I am hanging around with my friends listening to records, and the Sex Pistols album comes on. <laughs> and the song Problems come up, comes on. Now, for those of you unfamiliar, there's the, the uh, verse in the song goes, Problems, problems, the problem is you! I'm at my friend's house, I snap. I get up, pick up the phone without any permission, and call Carol. And I'm like, we're not going out tonight. We're done. I'm breaking up with you. And she goes, John, what's the problem? And I said, the problem is you, and I hang up. <laughs> so I'm at my friend's house. I'm celebrating. I just got rid of her. She doesn't know that I'm not home. And she calls my house. And my mom picks up, and she's like, hi, can I – now, I, I wasn't here, but my mom has told the story. And she's like, hi, can I talk to John? And my mom's like, he's not here. And Carol's like, he just called me. Can you put him on the phone, please? And my mom's like, he's not here. And Carol goes, you're a fucking liar. <laughs> and my mom's like, what? And she goes, every time we walk in the door, the first thing he says to you is, no matter who calls, I'm not home. Now, I know he's home. Put him on the line. And my mom's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Carol's like, you're a fucking liar. And she hangs up. <laughs> so that's it. That's all I got. Problem is you. <laughs> uh, well, Brian, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely, John. Uh, I hope the 605 universe isn't sick of me by now. Well, they're not. And, and before you do go, why don't you tell the listeners just a little bit about your show? Because it is new, and we want to make sure everyone knows about it. It is a part of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. It is Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam and Sean Goodwin. Let the listeners know a little bit about that. 
Well, it is so far, it is strictly a stick to wrestling show. We've done a pretty good job of doing that, which is something we won't be doing 100% in the future. The, the, uh, the name of the show is kind of a parody, but um, we, we're talking about old school wrestling. We do a lot of what ifs, like what if Magnum TA had never gotten into that car accident, what if Gino Hernandez had never died. Um, we talk about the last show we did, we talked about me uh, starting up as the tape trading guy, you know, how that started and you know what kind of a world it was that you know, got into that. And, uh, I think it, I, I think it's an enjoyable, fun, laid back. Listen, um, the show kind of goes in whatever direction the wind blows and that's fine with me. Well, there it is. And you can hear it at mcadampod.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast and, uh, spread the word, stick to wrestling with John McAdam and Sean Goodwin. But John, I wish you an adios and, uh, take a hike. Yeah, I, I certainly will. And just give the show a try. My friends, take care. All right. Night, John. And there, wow, an old school hang-up. We haven't heard one of those in a while. <laughs> and uh, John is gone. We have now Howard, Bix, and Scott. Hey, Howard, am I wrong to say that uh, I got the impression you recently watched New Japan? Did I see something? Yeah, you know, I kind of started out with an opinion of just glancing at New Japan, and then I really applied myself to it. And at the end of it, I'm back to where I was in the beginning before I was even familiar with it. <laughs> and I want to get you guys' takes on this because I'm an esteemed company right now. And my take on it is this. The matches seem needlessly grueling because I think they can accomplish the same thing in 20 minutes, 25 minutes, as opposed to an hour. And they showed like uh, an Okada block, like 5 a.m. every night for like a week. They showed his greatest matches from 2016 through the present. On I watched a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. And um, oh, I saw him against like a lot of the classic ones, you know, Omega... I think, if I'm remembering correctly, the one from Dominion, maybe 2016, or an older one, was better than... Well, I don't have the date on the second one of my examples, so forget it. But what I will say is, I think it's grueling, but I, I still don't think that the guys... And they put each other through incredibly painful stuff and death-defying high spots. One thing that I don't like about the new brand of wrestling is that if you're going to the top rope for like a superplex or something, the guy who it's being applied to always goes up with no pressure on him to do so. You know what I mean? The guy's hooking the neck, and the guy always. takes it upon himself yeah. to crawl with his feet up to the top rope like he's doing it to himself. Just sit out. That's, that's, the, that's the basic logic. What that's I like not super is, recent, though, I don't feel. I feel like that's been happening for a while where the guy t- totally, if- totally, even in the Steiner's yeah. era, because the guy would like help him, like, you know, get up there. Let's get up there so you can like suplex me straight to hell. You know, let me just not sit out like like, you know, <laughs> but what I like is is a lot of the things the New Japan guys are doing now is really interesting, such as, you know, like these quick knees when the guy couldn't possibly know it's coming or you know, it's just such an accelerated version of what you're used to in America. Like the guy's going to come off the ropes and it's going to be a leapfrog or something. But in this case, a Kenny Omega is in the guy's face with a knee in a split second. And um, I just – there's something about it. And I don't know if it's me, but I was, I was raised on like the All Japan guys, Misawa, Kawada. And I don't want to be like the bitter old guy. I think what they do is clearly amazing. But – it just seems to be grueling for grueling's sake. And a lot of the Okada matches follow kind of like a formula, like a dusty match or a flare match. 
because they'll contain one or two amazing death-defying high spots in the beginning, usually involving a table or a big leap over the guardrail into the fans. Then they'll get in the ring and kill each other a while longer. Um, and then it's the end struggle, and it's always about the uh, the the money maker. The uh, what is it? I knew I was going to say maker. something wrong. The uh, the rainmaker, right? And um, you know, I would love to hear your guys' opinions on this. And but you know, the rainmaker itself also falls into a category of a hold that everybody does, and I don't see what makes his more special than anybody else's. Yeah, I understand it's some, it's it's like getting something over, like Lawler had the fist and whatever, but um, where is his clothesline better than anyone's I've seen? I dare to say I can think of five guys right now who had a better clothesline. It's all on the announcer. So I will open it up. It's I'll all open it up to you guys. Well, he's terrific. Hello? He's terrific. Can the show again? Oh, can dear. Scott, go. <laughs> Just that it... Okada's terrific, but the Rainmaker thing, like you said, it, I'm looking at it. Go, is it that exciting? And it's it's the announcer going, Rainmaker. Right, right. What I love about That's the New Japan they- product is the um, they kept the amplified mic, they kept the echo on the mic, and the camera work, and the same camera angles and everything, the same kind of guardrails. It doesn't take much of a stretch to to. They're a direct lineage to the glory days of wrestling. They're like the only thing left from what I can see. I don't like the way it looks, though. I used to like the way New Japan looked, even when I wasn't a big fan of New Japan's product. Like the way the, the buildings were lit, the way you could see the fans. It just always felt like kind of a cool venue, a cool place to be. And now, like when they do the Tokyo Dome show and people are saying like they drew these big crowds, I'm like, really? Because I didn't see it. Like they don't light the crowd well. You know what well. I th- they don't show the crowd well. You have I don't no think they idea. ever lit their dome shows that well, though. But at least when you had the long runway, I don't know. It felt like there were more people in there. The, the building felt bigger. They absolutely lit it better. Now that I think back to it, they absolutely used to light it better than they do now. The ones who lit it the Where best though they- was when. Oh, sorry. No, you were going first. No, by all means. Yeah, go. Okay. Please. Um, when Noah did their two dome shows in the mid 2000s, they lit it up like a Christmas tree because they completely packed the place at a time where New Japan wasn't. So, like, that is the biggest the dome ever looked because it's like it's not even like the way New, New Japan used to light it up when they would pack it was nothing like this. Like, this was they wanted you to see just how many people were in there. Um, and I maybe because New, I feel like New Japan never really did that is why I don't necessarily feel that way, like you were saying. Howard? Who, me? I, I zoned out for a second. What was that? No, you were jumping in before, so I figured we would jump back to you, but you jumped ahead. The Yeah, but I forgot it. We went off on a tangent, and <laughs> that was that. What did you think of the hairdos? Obviously, you got a lot of attention for comparing <laughs> the New Japan wrestlers to Joy Behar on a previous edition. Of the- yeah, and, and the other guy. I saw another guy, Tanahashi, maybe? I don't know. It was one of Okada's uh, Japanese opponents, and they had a very similar look going. Nice. I don't know what it is. If that's what, um, no, no. But what is his gimmick with being a Latin American gentleman? <laughs> oh, with uh, Los Ingobernables de Japón, them. And what is the significance significance of him holding his eye open? Oh, uh, Naito. Yeah. Okay. So He's a big okay, clockwork well, orange fan. No, but the. No, the name though is because so is Jericho. He he no, because he had, oh Jesus, he had joined the Los Ingobernables 
stable in Mexico, and then they split it off, at, and thus Los Ingobernables de Japón. But the Naito I thing goes back to when he was on his original like excursion to Mexico, and the fans were chanting like racial slurs at him about th- about his eyes not being open. So he started doing that eye thing to make fun of them and acknowledge it. And then it just became uh, a thing he kept doing. Another thing born out of classy professional wrestling. Classy fans. <laughs> the, the king of sport. So the, Mex- the Mexican as, as the Royals, As the Royals refer to it. I know what I was going to say before. I think they drop the ball when they have a huge house. And they have that one camera shot where they're shooting direct, like the hard camera is aimed at the ramp or the big wall. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't want to I never that. got that because it adds so much excitement to see the crowd, even yes. though they don't react just to know that they're there. But where I, what I love is they have that catty corner angle that American produ- productions, American promotions rarely use the catty corner angle, but the Japanese production promotions love it. You know, they shoot from that, from the turnbuckle. They get that view. The American, pro- pro- Jesus Christ. Oh my God. Everyone's going to think I've completely lost it. You know what I'm saying? They don't shoot yeah. from that angle in America. Well, like even WCW, you watch old WCW stuff. They shot wrestling so much differently than WWF did. And like even yeah. the guys who were on the apron and the guy, you know, like you would see more of that kind of stuff in WCW than WWF. Yeah. The thing that I really felt coming out of the, the Dominion show, which I, I haven't seen the whole thing. I like fell asleep like two matches in and then woke up at like the beginning of the third fall of the main event is how their way of shooting wrestling is so much more cinematic than WWE who thinks they're shooting in a cinematic way. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Scott, yeah. you ever watch uh, New Japan? Yeah, I've actually gotten to see Not a lot of it, but I actually have gotten to see uh, quite a bit of it lately. Uh, over uh, When I'm at my mother's house, she's got AXS uh, on her TV, so sometimes I see it on there. You know, I haven't seen a ton of it. It's all very interesting, and uh, the good stuff is as good as they say, but I don't know. I'm watching it through a jaded eye, or or, or uh, I like it, but some of the stuff just doesn't, like, I, I just happened to wake up uh, <laughs> the day that the Dominion show was on, and I don't even know why. Somebody put it on our 605 page, turned it on, and there was a live feed, you <laughs> know, Literally woke up as soon as the uh, Kenny Omega Okada match was was starting. You know, I watched the whole thing. You know what I? You know what I kind of think is. I don't mean to step on you, but it just came to me. You know what I think is really lacking is like the passion. Like this guy doesn't like this guy. Yeah. You know, like because they're just because they're just doing stuff to each other, and I think the most intense it gets is like the forearm, which I love that they bring back the forearm smash. I'm such a big proponent yeah. of that. You know, I mean, punches have been played to death over the years. Let's bring back the forearm smash. And I just saw the Steve Kern shoot interview from a company that we will never mention, but he <laughs> got his forearm smash. I always called him the, the greatest forearm smash in the business. Tito Santano's was nothing compared to Steve Kern's. And it always looked stiff and it always looked good. And um, he got it from a Dick Butkus commercial in the 70s. Wow. I never realized that because Dick Butkus, Dick Butkus had this commercial where he jammed his forearm into the uh, wall. It was like one of those Decon Forgon commercials or something, and that's where he got it from. But um, you know, I applaud them for bringing back the forearm smash. 
But that seems to be the most competitive that the matches get, where they challenge each other to bust each other in the chops, you know, as like a show of strength, strong style exhibition. But I don't see any like, I hate you, like, I got to get you. And on the same note, when Jericho tries to do it, it's so transparent that he's just trying to be a throwback to what wrestling used to be. But it doesn't look scary or heated to me. Well, you need to start familiarizing yourself with the CMLL Friday night shows then. Hmm. Are they really Are good? Are they yes, an exciting alternative? Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, I was. I haven't seen all of Fridays yet, but since, you know, L.A. Park, original La Park has been back feuding with Rush, they've been on fire. And it's like this, all these heated type brawls and then... Um, Penta Cero M made his Arena Mexico debut on Friday to attack the original Mystico, Caristico. Very hot crowds, very heated stuff. I think you'd like that. How, how many well, different you names know, is that thing guy is, had? Pentagon Jr. Um, okay, so first he was Pentagon Jr. Then he was Pentagon Dark. Then he was Penta... I think he was Penta and then just the number Zero M... Or he, I think he was might be also, I think, or he was Penta Cerro Miedo, and then I, what is he now? I forget which is officially his now. And then he was Pentagon. <laughs> Within three years, the guy had thirty-five what? fucking. Names. Well, because what they did though was that they would also like when he left AAA and Lucha Underground, they, like when he announced his new name, they would file bullshit trademarks on it, even though he didn't use it for them. That's wild. To screw with him. He's now known as Pentagon Original Recipe. No, but then now on Impact, he's Pentagon Junior again because they're working with Lucha Underground. Okay, okay, now he is Penta L Zero Z E R O M. M, yeah. (laughs) But do you guys concur or am I just jaded because I want to like it because I'm like, there's something wrong with me. Meltzer's giving this shit seven stars and whatnot. Like, oh, this guy's great. Like, I pop internally for Suzuki. Like, I know when I like stuff. I just don't like it often enough. And yeah. I want to know if you guys concur with me or I'm just jaded and I don't get it. You know, they're doing something amazing that I'm not tuned into. Uh, but I don't think that's the case because when something great happens, I would love to hear what you guys think, you know? I'm with you on some of it. I mean, from what I saw of the Omega Okada 2 out of 3 Falls, I really liked. Um, some of the guys I feel like are better live. Like, in New Orleans, I gained a new appreciation for Ishii after seeing him wrestle three times in mm, I like him. Hours. I saw him on TV. I like him, yeah. Um, I mean, I was already a Suzuki fan, but he was even better, you know, seeing him back-to-back nights. Well, not even back-to-back <laughs> nights. It was, like, nighttime and then the next afternoon. Oh, excuse me. I saw him three times in about literally about 24 hours. Yeah, he's cool. He's badass. Do you think those guys clown around too much when they come to the States? Or do you think that's what people want? I wouldn't say clown around. I mean, like doing like house show comedy type thing or just doing like a house show match in general. (laughs) Doing stuff here that they don't do there. <laughs> not always, no. Um, what am, what am I missing on the uh, on, on the uh, the kitty cat doll? Oh, uh, but, 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 but why am I forgetting his name all of a sudden? Um, 
Daryl Jr., you mean? Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand that either. What the fuck? Why do people like that? You don't, you don't, what, you just don't understand why people like Daryl and then Daryl Jr.? I, I, don't, yeah. I don't understand why people who should know better, people who would shit all over anything dumb the WWF did or WWE, like this stupid stuffed animal cat being a part of anything. In a realistic, but he just brings the stuffed animal cat to the ring with him. Usually, he just doesn't actually do spots with it. Saw it last night. Well, he did the spots with it on on Saturday. What did he do? I didn't see. What did he do, Scott? They stuck the cat in the middle of the ring on that uh, on that <laughs> CEO versus. Uh, you mean on Friday? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I was gonna say he did it on Friday, but he doesn't you usually. Said, do. You just said he doesn't do spots with the fucking. I cat. forgot <laughs> until he uh, <laughs> three days. <laughs> Scott, did he do any spots? Oh, yeah, he brought him right to the middle of the ring. <laughs> it's I just... spots with it. And then one one time last year, I, I don't often get to see the Ring of Honor TV show. I tune in, and they're all in the ring, in a Ring of Honor ring in the States, doing stupid spots with a cat, the Young Bucks and that guy and, and everything else, the cat doll. You know? huh. <laughs> Nonsense. And, and whoever just said it that that same kind of thing they would shit all over and they do when that kind of nonsense plays on the wwe but when it's on this show oh it's a it's a giant bear with a you know somebody coming out with a with a bear with a giant fake bear hat on oh that's that's so fantastic oh that's the greatest thing i've ever seen you know until it's until Vince picks it up, oh, and then see, it's that's gar- the thing. Well, the bear is supposed to be stupid. Well, though. that's the thing, though. If it, if it happens <laughs> on the independence, it's cool. If it happens outside of the WWE, it's cool. But if it happens right. in WWE, it's Garbage. fucking yeah. awful. Because that little ironic humor plays differently. Like, when you're small, it's like, oh, aren't these guys cute? And when they're in the big time, it's like, what is this shit? <laughs> and you know what? Like, Frank, like they say, is there any room for humor in music? I say no, and there's no room for humor in wrestling. Very little humor. If it's a natural spot that evolves out of something organic, you know, a guy falls on his ass, something that people can understand, that's organic humor. But, you know, there's no room for, re- for humor in wrestling. None of that stuff needs to be around. <laughs> Unless it's unintentional. Like, Fred Blassie was funny, but he wasn't trying to be funny. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The humor they... they pass off as humor is usually not humorous at all. Right. And I don't, Bix, you still haven't explained what's the story with the fucking cat. It's, it, it's, it's just his, it's Daryl. And then Daryl got married to a Barbie doll and had Daryl Jr. Come on. You, you have to okay, admit not- this is the stupidest fucking thing you've ever, but he's supposed to be a mentally ill guy who believes this. Oh, that makes it okay. Okay, I take it. <laughs> well, that explains. Yeah. It's, I know. It's I a modern that day. <laughs> why it's just a modern day retelling of my of Mighty Igor. <laughs> yes. Involving stuffed <laughs> okay. animal cats. Yes. I. Uh, that's so you. That's why wrestling subliminally never lets you forget what it is. Well, let me ask you this. Only, only in wrestling. Someone asked me this question the other day, Bix, and I had no idea what the fuck they were talking about. And then okay, I forgot about it until this. Is Cody Rhodes now going around with a stuffed bear? Or... That's, that's no, just, he walks around with a guy in a bear mascot costume. Oh, that's much better. Why? The, the better, okay. Because at some point, the bear hat has to come off 
and it has to be somebody that Cody wasn't expecting, and it's a big surprise. Well, they've already done that once. His so old first there was school. George Steele Jr. <laughs> yeah, so first there was Barry the drug-free bear. <laughs> it's going to be George Steele Jr. I, I don't even get where that's going. Because <laughs> in these old days, Dusty had a cage out there, and this guy was in a gorilla mask. And I think they unmasked him at the Omni, and it turned out to be George Steele. Once it no, was that Dick was, Slater, no, but I think was there was Dick another Slater. time. He had Steele come out of a box, I think, a couple years earlier. Well, wasn't there one? There was a really similar yeah. one with George Steele then. With George Steele, Roddy Piper got one of those monkey puppets. I don't even know how to describe it. They used to have them. It was like... Sock monkeys? No, no. It was like a long puppet body. I remember, yeah, arms. yeah. And he said, I have a monkey on my back. And then all of a sudden, George Steele, it's like one of the few at that point babyface appearances he ever made, just runs out to help mm-hmm. like, Tommy Rich or whatever. And uh, and by the way, I got to say something real quick. And we got to begin wrapping up. And uh, actually, real quick, I'm going to add one more person for just the last couple of minutes. But the Tim Hornbaker book, which I'm going through now, and I'm going to do something about it on the show probably as quick as possible. It pointed out, I've never heard it pointed out, just that the Georgia fans really kind of did start getting sick of Tommy Rich by the end of 83. And that with him on top, the crowds were, it wasn't just all he's booking, but you know, according to the thesis in this book, or at least the way I'm interpreting it, that Tommy Rich was a part of the reason why I didn't realize like by the end of 83, the Omni got to 2000 people. I actually didn't realize it got that low. Are you done with the book yet? I'm about midway through it. I've been going, you know, short spurts. Jumping around, yeah, I have, I have not actually started it yet. I love it though. I, I, I can't endorse it enough. Can't put it over enough. Let me, uh, real quick here. See not out till September though. It, it isn't, but I, I think uh, I'm going to recommend it for people to buy it immediately, uh, pre-order yeah. it. Uh, let me add this last person, and then we'll begin to wrap things up because we've been going a while now, and uh, I definitely need to eat something. Let's see if he's there. We're dialing him. We're dialing. It should be ringing. He is, in fact, there. I've confirmed it. Golden Boy. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Oh, what the fuck? (laughs) Howard and Bix and Scott, you guys are there. Yes. Yes. Hey, guys. Jerry, can you hear me? I've added the golden boy, Jerry Gray, but we're not getting any audio from him. <laughs> Jerry, if you can hear me, we can hear you. If you're talking and we just can't hear you. I will say that now in case you have to play with your volume or whatever the fuck people do. And we will talk amongst ourselves for a few minutes here as we begin to wrap things up. Fourth of July. We haven't mentioned America once <laughs> on this entire episode. <laughs> just, uh, I don't know what to say. Fourth uh, of July, another year. Uh, what, what's your favorite Fourth of July wrestling memory? Wow. No one has one. Lex Luger slamming Yokozuna on the U.S. track. Well, that is kind of a favorite of mine. It is. I have to say. And they blew it with Lex Luger. That's like the ultimate example of like a start and stop push. Of them just taking someone, getting them to the finish line, and then just saying, eh, you know what, we're going to drop you off on the corner over there. Yes, let's give you, you know, a countdown always... win. Yeah, they just killed him. And then celebrate. Time. Oh, balloons dropping. He was always so he was always so stiff in every role that he portrayed, no, though. Heel, face, you know. They could have pulled off. It could have been so much better. If they had given him the title over Yokozuna, 
it could have been, and I'm not saying they should have because I like the way thing. I like the way it went with Brett getting the title at WrestleMania 10. But if Luger had gotten the title at SummerSlam '93, there was so much more that you could. I mean, I don't know who he would have wrestled other than Yokozuna because obviously Luger and Ludwig Borga was one of the fucking worst yeah. matches uh, ever. But it was a bad. They didn't really have that many good heels at that point at the top of the card. No, no, really. they weren't really lacking at that point. But Jerry hates Lex Luger, so I'm talking about. It. I'm thinking Jerry will pipe in and uh, <laughs> that'll roust him. Yeah, his hatred of Luger will triumph. By the way, am I the only one that hear when I when they hear Jerry talk, they get weirded out by how much he sounds like Buddy Colt, or at least impressions of Buddy Colt? Hmm. hmm. We got, now I got to listen to it next time I hear Jerry on the show. I just asked him, "Can you hear us?" And he hasn't responded, so maybe he can't even see that. Okay. We'll see. We'll find out. Wait, well, where did... Well, you called his phone, so I hope you didn't ask him in Skype. No, I I, I asked him on on Facebook. I asked him on Facebook. Okay, good. Good. And he has not responded. Jerry, can you hear us? Blink twice if you can hear us. (laughs) That's not going to work. All right, I've given up. Uh, Listen, Jerry... Obviously, is still battling cancer. It's been really rough on him. I know he has a lot of medical bills, past and present, that are overwhelming, to say the least. If you've enjoyed Jerry on the show and you want to help, please go to tinyurl.com slash GoFund. Now can you hear me? What the fuck is going on? (laughs) Come back of the year. You're interrupting your own plug. (laughs) You're interrupting your own plug. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I unplugged the... (laughs) Slash, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Paul. Slash GoFund Golden Boy. <laughs> and maybe he could buy a new phone. Great moments in timing. That's tremendous. <laughs> Jerry, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. I had a stupid, uh, let's say I had a real bad jet lag because I did a real stupid thing and flew somewhere. Where the hell did I fly to? I can't even think right now. I haven't slept for like two days. I, I just got it. <laughs> I think, I, I think I this show has a real theme going through it. You just flew out to San Diego? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the hell. I thought I dreamed it, but yeah, I I've, did. Did I write you, uh, Kurt? I wrote you an exact that I didn't go through, and then I wrote you. Ended up going through it today or something. No, Kurt's I not. I to show. tell you, I was in San Kurt's, Diego. Kurt's oh, he's not. No, who no. just said I sound like Buddy Colt? That who was, told me I sound like Buddy Colt? <laughs> that was Howard Baum. No, that was <laughs> me. I didn't oh, say that. Oh, that was. I'm sorry. That that was that was, that was Vandal Drummond. Yes. Robert. Proper credit. Vandal Drummond. He's not even well, on Kurt Brown. Why am, I, why am I Vandal Drummond now? No, Vandal Drummond will be played by David Bixenspan today. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'd like to say, hear that. Okay. Well, they do sound a little it's bit. It's an intriguing combination if you think about it. Yeah, by the yeah, way, when okay. Kurt hears this, he he needs to finally live up to his promise of sending me the review of Snow White meets the Harlem Globetrotters that he wrote while on all sorts of medication. Medication. <laughs> so that's what we're calling it now. Euphemistically, medication. No, actually, you don't bangle the noted chemist. Which medication it was? Oh my god! The noted pharmacist. So I sound like he's actually pretty cold. straight edge. I want the people to know out there. You know, you think Bandle's all Cheech and Chong? He's he's extremely straight edge. He's not half as you know. It's all natural with him. Pretty much all natural. It's, I don't know. I thought the tone and timber of your voice resembles that of Buddy Colt. Yeah, Jerry can't get past the Buddy Colt thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? I, didn't, I thought you guys were rude, man. I didn't know you really couldn't hear me. No, we, we couldn't hear I was saying all kinds of stuff. What were you saying? <laughs> that was weird. All kinds of stuff. 
What did you do in San Diego? I really do know. <laughs> that, that show, I was telling you. I told you about like three months ago. Remember that show? You told I used me to do for all the years. Something you actually did it. Wow. What was that like for yeah, you? Yeah, I used to do that. Flying. Oh uh, well, thank God those. I guess those blood thinners are working because it almost killed me last time I did it. So blood thinners are working though because I didn't get any blood clots. Thank God. But I'm, I'm like, feels like somebody beat me with a sledgehammer everywhere. I'm sore everywhere, but um, I didn't get any blood clots, thank God. But I'm just sore everywhere. And, you know, as far as like, I can tell I don't have any blood clots or anything like that. But just sore. I didn't, of course, I didn't wrestle or anything. Nothing like that. But all I did was pretty much sit there and Hockey Top Man was there. And then a lot of, uh, you know the um, what's that thing? The Divas that show they have a uh, WWE. The Divas, Total Divas. Uh, what's his, yeah, the Bellas and what's his name? Uh, what's Bellas? What's that guy? <laughs> I can't even remember. You know, John Cena or Daniel Bryan? But, yeah, Daniel Bryan. That that show they have where they train at the um, SoCal Wrestling, the gym. That the guy I use his um, the SoCal Wrestling, his um, federation. I use a lot of his local. For the um, the show I have there, when I did do San Diego, the fair there, uh, at the Del Mar Fair, big fair there in San Diego. I used to do it there every year for a lot of years. So they've been wanting me to do it, so finally did it again. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was telling you about it, I remember Brian, a few a couple months ago. Or yeah, was. I didn't really think you were going to do it because I knew how you were feeling and I, I was audition, and I, yeah, flight to San Diego did not seem like the best thing. I know. Moment, but... And then I was just like, I'm going to do it. I was like, I have to. I told you I was going crazy. It was boring. And I was like, I have to do it. Yeah. I wanted, and of course, I wanted to wrestle, but I was just like, just even do something. I was like, yeah. If you're bored, let me know. I'll call Sam Houston. I'll give me your address and I'll send them over to your house. No, no, no. I'll <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. tell you what. We, we, uh, I, I told you we were getting close to wrapping up and we truly, truly are because we are well past four hours with uh, holiday Star Wars here. So we will now begin wrapping up. Uh, and we will first go to Howard Baum for any closing words he wants to give to the listeners of the Super Podcast or anything else he wants to say here at the end of the program. Well, guys, I just want to say it's like my one year anniversary here in the, uh, on the 605. Come visit me, and thank you very much, and all that stuff. Thank you to everybody involved. And uh, come see me on uh, Twitter, Howard M. Baum. The M is for Mucinex. And uh, (laughs) come hit me me up over there. I'm on the Twitter now. Hardway Art, of course, Facebook. uh, Our Facebook page, Hardway Art, has the most activity and excitement, and we're going to have an announcement in the coming weeks and months that should be very exciting. There you hear it, the and most activity and excitement. Howard Bell. So I didn't <laughs> I realize that I wasn't following Howard on Twitter. So I went to follow him, and it said it had, he had 44 followers. And then I clicked follow, and it changed to 41. Wow. Oh, you're like, fo- it's your negative energy. <laughs> I guess so. Bigs following you cost well, you geez, You better unfriend me so I can get 10 likes. <laughs> Who else is on No, there, I appreciate uh, it. Do Brian? try again. Do try again. <laughs> but I appreciate it, everybody. I'm going to bow out. I do appreciate it, and we will all be in the touch in the, the near future. That's right. All right, Howard. Listen, <laughs> you man. know the touch. Have a good evening, and of course, enjoy the fourth. Have a safe fourth of July. All right, all you guys too. All you guys out there in 605 land too. Thank you very much. Adios. All right. Bye bye. I was good.
And there goes Hammerbaum. Left on the line right now, Jerry. I know you're wondering who else is here. David Bixen Span is here. And of course, the humorist, oh, okay. Scott Cornish. Oh, okay. Scott. <laughs> but uh, as I said, we are beginning to wrap things up. And uh, Jerry, I'll let you say something right here because you've been on a short period of time, but we are wrapping up. Anything you want to say to the listeners? Yeah. And once again, just let them know how they can help you out. Okay. I was want to ask too, um, what, ha- what episode is this going to be? 80, what happened to 88? Is it, what's on this one? What's 80, on this 80 one? is <laughs> after this one. This is holiday Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. What happened to that one where I did a job on uh much wrestling? Does that, that uh, episode uh, ever air? <laughs> that episode is still being worked on. There's a few segments that have, uh, have some issues. Okay. That I have to, uh, okay. Spend a little yeah. extra time. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. But anyway, so, anything you want to say to the listeners I, here at the end of the show? Yeah, I got two words for you. Thank you very much. Well, that's more than two. So <laughs> I have real bad jet lag. I haven't slept in a couple of days. I'm not as good as usual. So just want to thank everyone. And I can't remember who you said's on here, but good talking to all you guys. I didn't have very much to say because Brian called me and was ribbing me. I didn't even know you guys really couldn't hear me. I thought I was, you guys could hear all the words, <laughs> the things I was saying, but I was saying all kinds of stuff. But anyway, again, I'll talk a lot more next time I'm on and have a lot more good stories like usual. But thanks for having me for the time I was on. And we'll talk to you again next time. Thanks a lot, guys. Happy Fourth of July to all of you guys. We'll talk to you soon, Jerry, and have get some one. rest. Get some sleep. Okay. All right, thank you. Take care. All right, buddy. All right, bye bye. All right, bye bye. And here we are now, me, Scott, and Bix here at the end of the program. Jerry Gray has left the program, and we will now officially begin wrapping things up for real this time. (laughs) Uh, What closing comments? How how do you guys think the show went today? Not well. (laughs) Wow. Bix slamming the show. No, you know what I mean. I know what you mean. It was great. I have a question though. Is Scott a wrestling humorist or a wrestling humorist? <laughs> well, it's uh, whatever he wants to be. I, I notice you've been saying Houston more though, and as opposed to Houston. I, you know, it, you never know what you're going to get from me. Will I say Guerrero? Will I say Guerrero? You never know. I like to mix <laughs> it up. I have full control over my mouth. Uh, in case you didn't know, and I choose the way I want to say things. Sometimes I say sabotage. You say sabotage. I say, <laughs> sa- I say sabotage. Please don't do that. It, do you get sick. that reference, Bix? Yes, Shatner. Okay, okay. That's one of my sabotage. Favorites. Sabotage. Mr. Spock. No, who was it? Was it Mr. Spock? Sabotage the system. You ever see the clip when he was on Conan O'Brien? He forgot his name. He's like, I was no. Like, I was on Star Trek and I played uh, Captain uh, and Conan's like, Kirk. <laughs> you know, the whole audience starts laughing. He forgot who he was on Star Trek. Wow. Yeah. It was years ago, too. That was like 25 years ago. But anyway, here we are at the end of the show. No one has any good Fourth of July wrestling memories. Everyone has been in a hot arena. Some of them. Well, what? the Fourth of July wrestling memories are the vast majority of them that we think of off the top of our head are Yokozuna and Luger on the Intrepid, the world class Star Wars shows and like people dying like four years in a row. As I said, no one has any good wrestling memories from the fourth. No, those world-class Star Wars shows are some of the best ones. Is the July 4th one the one where it's Kevin versus Harley for the title? 
and then Kerry and Brody versus the Freebirds. Is that July 4th? I had it open and then I closed it. All right. Maybe not. I'm just guessing off the top of my head. And then David ran in during the title match between Kevin and da- and uh and Harley. And by mm. the way, Luthez, as a referee, who bought him that stupid shirt? And why did he wear it for like 15 years every time he refereed a match? I love the stupid Luthez red and white referee shirt. What is that shirt? Who bought him <laughs> that? Did he wash it? He always had that shirt when he refereed, and no one else wore anything that looked remotely like that. It's his version of Nikolai Volkov's suit. His red suit that he wore everywhere for years? Still does, probably. Andre's jacket. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, any closing words here this week? Uh, Bix, I'll go to you first. Stay out of jail. All right. Bix Bix is very smart. He begins everything with the same tone and pace as he started everything. Excuse me. He ends everything. With the same tone and pace as he starts. Yes, I begin everything with the same tone as when I start. And yes. we've, we've been going a long time, friends and folks. Uh, Scott, any final words from you? Yeah, I want to wish everybody a happy 4th of July. And uh, I know everybody likes 4th of July. Lots of people like 4th of July fireworks. But, uh, you know, take care of those animals out there, your dogs and your cats and whatever. This is a, a rough holiday for pet owners and for our uh, dear four-legged friends. So, uh, you know. Take it easy with those fireworks. Leave it to the professionals. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Bob Barker, for uh, this uh, <laughs> safety well, message for the animals. All right. <laughs> uh, well, I couldn't tell if you were being serious or if you were joking around. What, what was I, I, I kind of am because my brother has my brother has a beautiful dog and several of my friends have dogs. And they're all expressing how how awful this is for their dogs you know and i know cat owners have a same have a similar problem i was driving in queens the other day and someone just for no reason it's july and it's hot someone lit off a fucking firecracker a loud motherfucker one and i thought someone got shot it was so loud in the middle of the street (laughs) fucking jamaica it's like jesus christ but anyway Mm. As we begin to wrap things up, thank you, everyone, for listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed it. Certainly, we'll be better than last year's Independence Day Star Wars. I have a good hunch. And we want to thank everyone for your continued... Have we, really done... have we really done three of these? I think this is the third one, yeah. Third year wow. of Star Wars, I think. Must be, yes. I think so. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Well, then maybe it's the second <laughs> one. Who fucking cares? We've done three of one of them, and I think it would have been Independence Day Star Wars, but... Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong, but there'll be another one next year. We think an episode 88 will be coming out in several days after this Star Wars, this extended edition of Star Wars. But for everyone that was on the show today, and uh, thank you to everyone who gave us some time. And for Scott Cornish and David Bixenspan, I'm the great Brian Last. Enjoy the fourth. Tally-ho!